right there. And okay, welcome back. Happy Saturday, everybody. And I didn't do anything today and uh, took a nap, you know, a little stretching. I wouldn't even call it yoga. I'd call it stretching. <laughs> it's like uh, even extra lazy yoga. The And there's the audio effects. What do we got? We got the cash register. Let's just test test out the system here make sure everything's running okay good so um yeah i just found all of the fantastic tweets i wanted to get to and we're going to get into the big 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 biggest biggest of the the top headlines that people are tweeting at this very moment um but before we get into that does anybody have a particular story that they're excited about or we're just going to jump into the pool head first without looking. Okay, let's jump in. The top story at this very moment is the the Justice Department in the U.S. says that 27 U.S. attorney offices had at least one employee's Microsoft email account breached by Russian hackers in the second half of 2020. The Russian hackers behind this massive solar wind cyber and espionage campaign broke into email accounts. This coming from AP. I'm going to tweet it out, as we always do, to the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW so that you can read along or save it or retweet it or what have you. And this, this article says the Russian hackers behind the massive solar winds espionage campaign broke into email accounts of some of the most prominent federal prosecutors offices around the country last year uh, that the the Justice Department said yesterday. The department said 80% of Microsoft email accounts used by employees in four U.S. attorney offices in New York were breached. All told, the Justice Department said 27 U.S. attorney offices had at least one employee's email account compromised during the hacking campaign. The Justice Department said in a statement that it believes the accounts were compromised from May 7 to December 27, such a time frame is notable because the solar winds campaigns, which infiltrated dozens of private sector companies and think tanks, as well as at least nine U.S. government agencies, was first discovered and publicized in mid-December. The Biden administration in April announced sanctions, including the expulsion of Russian diplomats in response to solar winds hack and Russian interference in the 2020 U.S. presidential election, Russia has denied wrongdoing. The And uh, Jennifer Rogers, a lecturer at Columbia Law School, said office emails frequently contained all sorts of sensitive information, including case strategy discussions and names of confidential informants. When she was a federal prosecutor in New York, she says, I don't remember ever having someone bring me a document instead of emailing it to me because of security reasons, she said, noting ex- Exceptions for classified materials. So there you go. A lot, lot more Russian hacking. And then the second biggest story at this very moment is that Telegram's latest update adds group video calls of up to 1,000 users with 30 simultaneous broadcasts. Video messages, screen sharing during video calls and more. This update takes video to the next level. Group video calls now have up to 1,000 viewers. Uh, video messages record in higher quality. And let's have a look. And I'm going to tweet this out for your convenience at the Tech News Twitter account. 
as always. And now looking at their own website, it says group video calls now have up to 1,000 viewers. So I guess that's you and a group of friends can have a thousand listeners. Okay. Video messages record in higher quality. Uh, regular videos may be watched at half speed or double speed. We also added screen sharing with sound to all video calls, including one-to-one -one calls. So you can use it as a replacement for Zoom, basically, or Skype or, you know, whatever. And the, the benefit of Telegram is that it's supposed to be more secure. And on the issue of group video calls, it's, it's calling it group video calls 2.0. Group video calls allows up to 30 users broadcast video from both their camera and screen. And now 1,000 people can watch anything from online lectures to live rap battles. But that, that's very similar to what we do here. We normally have about 30 people on stage. And, you know, you, now we can have up to 1,000 people listening to. So it could be a, an interesting somebody could essentially do a, a, a version of club of a clubhouse room in that context, I guess. And it says they will keep increasing this limit until all humans on earth can join one group call and watch us yodel in celebration. Just, silly. Yeah. And silly. <laughs> by design, video messages, video playback speeds, they're going big on video screen sharing precision drawing, passcode animations, password recovery, message sending animations, and a whole whole bunch of stuff for Telegram. So Telegram's ramping up. Okay, third biggest story at this moment, Digital Bank Monzo reveals a loss of about $160 million uh, uh, for the year ended February and says that the UK FCA is investigating it over potential money laundering breaches. Oh, good times. Digital lender suffers second going concern. Warning from auditors. Okay, next big one is about this from the LA Times. And oh my, this really should be the biggest story because my God, everyone is talking about this one, uh, including the LA Times. The headline from the LA Times is a new book claims Elon Musk demanded to be made Apple CEO during Tesla buyout talks of Apple buying Tesla in 2016. Before Tim Cook cursed and hung up, Musk says he never spoke to Cook. Um, Cook hasn't commented, but uh, Musk has taken to Twitter and repeatedly said, here's exactly what happened. I we tried to set up a meeting and Tim declined. And he's now tweeted that multiple times. And uh, for sure, Elon will have been the, the CEO of Apple if it will have allowed. Not necessarily, because... Maybe they could have done. Uh, I I don't think he would have honestly because uh, uh, Elon doesn't isn't skilled up. It would take Elon quite a while to learn everything that's going on in the Apple universe with, um, with that many products and that many teams and that size of a team and blah 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 blah. blah. I think and even by the way, uh, Elon even says in a tweet. Um, in all fairness, uh, Tim's doing, uh, an obviously good job. He says cook is all things considered, obviously doing an incredible job. <laughs> he felt the need to tweet that out. It kind of denying the fact that he would think even think that. So, um, it's such a huge, let's talk about this. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So first of all, 
So first of all, it sounds like an episode from a real world dating yeah. thing. Like he wanted me. No, he mm-hmm. wanted me. Right. It's really. Yeah. I'm hearing weird. Oh, it might be me. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Um, but there's more power in the in the organizations being separate uh, for obvious reasons. I mean, there's it just makes more sense. So um, I can't imagine that it would make sense for these companies to even combine like that. I mean, they're in very different markets, serving customers in different ways. And Apple's actually, you know, trying to build a car or working on some yeah. autonomous technologies. So I think it started. I I have that. memories uh, around that, which is as soon as it became obvious that Apple was working on a car, which was around 2016, uh, and Elon learned of it because of the. Uh, you know, the talent of the engineers, uh, there's a kind of limited number of individuals that, you know, would get involved in a, in the Apple car. And they're obviously going to recruit some of those folks from Tesla. And they were both trying to recruit individuals from other companies. And, you know, the person that Tesla's trying to recruit says, oh, well, I just got an offer from Apple. And so, you know, Tesla was one of the first people to learn that Apple was clearly working on something based on the early recruitment efforts to build that team to do it. And I think also in 2016, that was uh, Tesla was going through a super rough time at that moment because they had just lost my friend Peter uh, was the chief product officer and head of supply chain. And he left to go start Northfold. And that was a internally, uh, from what I understand, uh, caused a whole lot of problems when you lose your chief product officer and head of supply chain. Um, and so it, it's likely that Elon, and by the way, they were being shorted, you know, in, uh, tremendously at that time. And it was very dark. Elon even admitted the company almost went out of business. So it's not... Both, in, it, at, the same time, huh? Both at the same time, Tyler, was it? Wow. Both yeah, Peter was doing, those. that time. was his title at that time. And because of adding all of those things up, you know, and now that it, now that they survived it, Elon refers to it as the darkest hour in Tesla's history, where he was sleeping on the factory floor when those first Model 3s were, you know, being built. And um, that, and then with the rumor, not even rumors, kind of confirmed rumors that Apple's starting to work on a car. That could have, that's why he did ask for the meeting. So Elon's even isn't denying that he asked for the meeting and he's not denying what the meeting was about. So it, he, he likely was interested in potential having uh, Apple potentially quiet, knowing that they're working on a car, knowing they're going to compete for the same talent, knowing that the company's in a bit of a dark spot. And um, so I, I think it's, it's very, it's all plausible anyway. And um but it, it wasn't meant to be. And, you know, I think uh, Elon made a comment in one of his tweets in the past 24 hours that Apple was worth uh, 6% of today's value. So kind of implying he's actually sort of happy it didn't go that way anyways. As it turned out best for uh, Tesla to have gone, you know, independent anyways. So really interesting. But the book clearly... Um, what, what the, the journalist Tim, Tim Higgins has taken to Twitter to say, Musk was given plenty of opportunities to comment on this, and he didn't. Meaning the book reached out to him, because when, when people write books and they get information, and this is true just of journalism in general, you sources tell you stuff, 
as a journalist, and then you as a journalist check with the actual people who it's about. So the 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 author or the journalist got in for a, heard a story about Elon meeting with Tim or having a call with Tim, and Tim hung up and whatever, and Tim. The author, the journalist, says Musk was giving plenty of opportunities to comment on this, and he didn't. Meaning, we asked Elon for uh, uh, to confirm, which the good tech journalists always do that on every story, and yet Elon didn't comment. So the book got written without Elon, cor- you know, correcting. And this anecdote, and and so then Tim. It's kind of naming his sources by saying this anecdote comes from Musk's own account of the conversation, according to people who heard the retelling at the time. However, uh, yeah, so I'm wondering, yeah, who who he's referring to. He's not exactly naming his sources. So I think the, I think the thing is, Tyler, I think one of the, the most important things during 2013, 14 is, you know, Tesla has been always been the most shorted stock, um, you know, ever, yeah, right? H- huge a, lot short, yeah. never, a lot of people never understood it was just a futuristic company. I mean, you know, so uh, so the thing is, I think, uh, do you remember when he was, uh, he was so frustrated with all, I, I don't think, he, you know, he made that tweet about, I want to go private, you know, I want to take it. Yes. private because he just didn't know you know uh, so i think yeah so it's 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 um it's, it's, it's a lot of that well yeah he even said he had met with the saudis and raised enough money to take it private at 420 dollars or whatever yeah, in 2018 yeah. yeah and i think he was wishing he could at that point because it was still heavily shortened and that pressure made him from you know going from chairman you know role uh, yeah. you know giving up and then so all of that so i think he, he never been a big fan of i think that is true i think he, you know he's never been a big fan of holding these titles and especially from the regulatory i think that shows how he handles the crypto and the you know it's pretty much his way of saying dogecoin is a money you know middle finger cc and you know the regulators pretty much okay there's a bit of an but echo, it also florina yeah no it I said there's a bit of an echo, okay. Tyler, Let, by the way. Thanks. I'm going to put in my earbuds in that case. Hold on. Go ahead, guys. I was just going to say, but it, he... Yeah, hello, go ahead. Hello. <laughs> okay, yeah, sorry. Uh, simply, Elon has kind of showed uh, numerous occasions that he's just... Uh, he kind of crosses the line on, on what defines a really good CEO, quite frankly, right? He's kind of demonstrated that a number of times. So it's, it is kind of... Shocking! This is this is great, like almost Kardashian uh, celebrity, you know, kind of CEO news or something like that. It's just kind of distracting. So, Farina, you wanted to speak? Oh no, I just wanted to comment on the echo. I think that's resolved now. Okay, thanks, Tyler. Yeah, I got the earbuds. Um, here is my question. Uh, Okay, Uh, my question is that Tyler. So, if the if the um. They were struggling to have uh, um, to even survive the company. How do they get the money to acquire Apple? I, no, I no, 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 no. Apple business. was going to acquire Tesla. Ah, okay. I thought uh, Tesla was trying to. Acquire not even Apple. close. That's not possible. Okay. Apple's the biggest company <laughs> on the planet. <laughs> that, that really Apple could sense. buy okay. Tesla like going out for dinner. That's yeah. Tesla can buy apples at, in the farmers market. Oh. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Thank you. So, um, the next big article is that the all about the metaverse. Metaverse, as Zuckerberg and others imagine, is an odd vision built from a compendium of juvenile fantasies. 
perceived market opportunities and overt dystopias. Uh, <laughs> and this is a journalist clearly realizing they're all going to die as soon as this metaverse thing takes over because no one's going to have time for reading anything once we get into a metaverse type scenario. Um, Silicon Valley CEOs keep hailing its eminent arrival as the hawk digital as they hawk digital goods, but the metaverse was a dystopian idea from its concept inception. A big shift is apparently underway in Silicon Valley. The company that operates the world's largest and most profitable social media network will not, according to its CEO, be a social media company much longer. In an announcement that inspired a fervid wave of speculation, analysis, and mockery, Mark Zuckerberg proclaimed that Facebook's going to become a metaverse company instead. Facebook will pivot from being a website that is accessed through phones and laptops to a next-generation computing platform where the focus is on a user's presence and is accessed through VR via Facebook's Oculus headset or other Facebook products like Portal. Uh, and Zuck says, I think over the next five years or so, we will effectively transition from people seeing us primarily being a social media company to being a metaverse company. Elsewhere in the big tech landscape, uh, Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft at the time of writing the second largest company in the world in terms of market capitalization, has been promoting his aim to become enterprise metaverse. So Facebook will be the consumer metaverse, Microsoft aiming to be metaverse for business. And at Microsoft Inspire Keynote, Talk back in May, uh, and on a July earnings call, Nadella described this as a new layer of the infrastructure stack where the digital and physical worlds converge. It's not just Microsoft and Facebook. It, uh, and here's one, one, two more little quotes. The metaverse is... One, Tyler, I have a question. Hold on, two little sentences face- here. The metaverse is arguably as big a shift in online communication as the telephone or the internet itself. The metaverse is a vision that spans many companies, the whole industry, as Zuckerberg put it. You can think about it as the successor to the mobile internet. Go ahead, John Francois. Yeah, my question is, uh, do you think that Facebook metaverse, Apple metaverse, yes. Microsoft metaverse will talk to each other? Yeah, they I think. Well, I think they. I think they're to, smart like, enough to realize that it's all in their best interest to do that, and make take the best of the you know the internet that we use today. Um, one way to think of it, for example, is like the apps on the iPhone used to be very siloed, where they weren't able to pass information from one app to another. So when you tweeted a Instagram post, you couldn't go see it or you tweeted a Facebook post, you know, it was a really clunky thing and you had to open the Facebook app and it was like they weren't cooperating. They were siloed. And I think they're realizing being siloed um, isn't the smart strategy. And it's kind of a win-win to uh, be a fluid ecosystem where people can be far more fluidly interoperable. There's, there's, there's been a lot of criticism of Zuckerberg, I think, around this. I mean, I'm looking at this Vice article. It's describing it as an odd vision yeah. built from a compendium of juvenile fantasies, perceived market opportunities, and overt dystopias. I think it's yeah. what? Been interesting well, the, how negative it's everyone's a tech been. Journalist. I think I mean, tech journalists idea. are quite often um, have a... I have several friends who are tech journalists and even the, even the, <laughs> he's got a typewriter startup uh, generally quite pessimistic about, you know, geeks 
are, you know, the entrepreneurs, the innovators are by, by almost by design, wildly optimistic and wildly forward looking. And the journalists are not <laughs> at all. They're the opposite. They're very pessimistic and I would jaded, you might say. And um, and it's an interesting dynamic between the journalists and the entrepreneurs, you know, especially when they're on a call together or doing an interview together and the entrepreneurs explaining their vision and they're so excited and there's so much opportunity and they're going to become a billionaire and the journalists are like I'm making, you know, $50,000 a year writing about. And, and I'm arguing <laughs> with my friends about Oxford commas. And, and, and as, and as Schopenhauer, as Schopenhauer famously said, First, they will laugh at you. Then they will get angry at you. And then they will tell you it was perfectly obvious to everyone all along. Prediction. No, no. These these obvious to them all along within two or three years. So this, again, is is exact. This is a perfect story of what the uh, it's just like the games people and the tech people, because the very definition of multiverse and metaverse, those are all kind of getting a little bit more more defined, perhaps you'd say. But people could argue that, you know, EverQuest was a immersive verse, right? And then Call of Duty, and then you get into these use, use of the words immersive as a more general term where virtual is a very more specific term, right? That's where some people talk about, well, Facebook is a social game. Facebook is a verse. But one key thing that I would subtly push back and simply say, Tyler, that we don't know yet is a key strategy for all of those companies is the walled garden yeah or just kind of it's kind of like in fact the uh, the games business who have been birthing these things for a long time you know tens hundred million people playing the freaking game at the same time yeah. it's it's a uh, it's a it's an attention play you know you you want to get your players to just pretty much do nothing else as much as yeah. possible well yeah you're battling you're, so it's, it's, you're battling for time um in, right. in, in terms of eyeball time or whatever, or but in in this scenario, the the idea that you'll have a sing there there are already uh, they're trying to some people are trying to m- make the platform such that uh, you can move your singular avatar from experience to experience or for, from app to app, for lack of a better word, and the. And that will be very interesting because you'll have a, you'll have a physical presence where your physical presence today in apps is very limited. You're you're not really in the app in Clubhouse. You are Clubhouse is kind of unique in that you are in the app and you're moving from room to room. Um, in most apps, you're not. You're in Tinder. You only exist as a page somewhere, but you don't see yourself moving through Tinder and you don't see yourself in video games. You do see yourself moving through. And that's why video games are kind of a preview into the metaverse in a way, because you'll see yourself from, you know, the the cloud above you perspective or any perspective you want. You can move the camera from any angle and your avatar is present in some location. And then the camera that views that avatar is in another view or through your own eye or through the avatar's eyes. So the point I'm trying to make is the if you're your avatar's presence goes into another app. Say you go from, what does Tinder look like in VR? Boy, is that going to be interesting. You're essentially going to be able to date. You're going to go to a cafe together in real time, right? I mean, you're going to see photos 
And then you're gonna be like, okay, that one looks good. Hey, let's go to this VR cafe. Boy, was that convenient. <laughs> like you're gonna, you know, just, that blows my mind that you don't, you know, the, can I, uh, you know, one, let me finish the thought real fast uh, because you're in Tinder. Tinder's tracking, of course, everything you're doing and getting all kinds of data. Of course, of course, of course, as they always have. However, you then stand up and what if what if you agree to meet in a different app in the Starbucks app in a cafe, Starbucks VR experience in a cafe, but you left from the Tinder app together into the Starbucks cafe? Is there some kind of VR equivalent of a cookie where Tinder gets some of the data of what was happening inside of Starbucks's cafe, virtual cafe. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, yeah, sure. can I just um, riff a little bit on, on the skepticism and, and then a question related to what you just said. So the, the, uh, um, the journalist is saying not everybody's going to be a gamer. That's just a gaming fantasy. But in fact, what's going to happen uh, with the, territory that Microsoft is staking out is that education and training, uh, job skilling, upskilling is going to be heavily dependent and people are going to embrace the metaverse because they have to in the educational system and in the workplace. Um, so it's not going to be all gamers. It, it has emerged out of gaming, but it's not going to remain within the gaming community. So what they're missing is that educational and commercial um, uh, future the metaverse my question is apropos to what you just said tyler is you know in the traditional model of there's the hardware there's the operating system there's the applications and there's the data um at which of those layers do we think that interoperability is going to yeah. exist because clearly there will be some interoperability yeah. but um at mm -hmm. what layer may i share our thoughts just on that topic um so there's I believe there's going to be a metaverse uh, war uh, between the decentralized platforms and the centralized platforms, Facebook, and then uh, platforms like Decentraland. Um, and, and this is very problematic because on the one hand, the decentralized platforms, you have creators and users who want, you know, that freedom, that autonomy to create their own economy, to sell their own products with no rules and no chains and no wall gardens. But then on the other side, you have, you know, Facebook who loves to control things and loves data and loves... Um, you know, making revenue off of that. Uh, but then again, you have Mark Zuckerberg, who talks about wanting to help build the metaverse, right? A consortium of different um, companies helping to build a metaverse. So it's going to be very interesting how he collaborates with these decentralized yeah, platforms. In, the, in this article, this it says, like any place in reality, uh, the street is subject to development. Uh, developers can build their own small streets feeding off of the main one. They can build buildings, park signs, as well as things that do not exist in reality, such as a vast hovering overhead light shows, special neighborhoods where the rules are. Da, da, da. And then the, the biggest, you know how when you read any article, there's often like this huge quote that's like 10, you know, the font size is like five times larger. And it's th this article has one huge quote in the middle of it. It's a very long article. And the font on this quote is is equal to the size of the actual headline. And it says, the metaverse itself is a place that is addictive, violent, and an enabler of our worst impulses. <laughs> and that tells you pretty much all you need to know about how this journalist feels about the metaverse. Yeah. The, the classic one of critics say the metaverse is like this. 
you know, the way journalists kind of obfuscate. Yeah, yeah, they, they distance themselves from their own yeah. opinion. They find someone that, that, that parrots their own thoughts, and then they can push it on to someone else when yeah. it's really their own Tyler, perspective. Can, yeah. Can I, can I pick up on something JT said? JT, you know that the uh, – I totally agree. It's going to be interesting. The, the role that companies like Unity, the ones that kind of build some very important tools – they're going to be able to create more new tools and you know maybe even player launchers where you can have one place where you're working on your your uh, you know your your items and and your avatars but you'll be able to, to seamlessly play uh, player launch into these different verses but if i if i might tyler i was doing at atari we were looking at all this vr stuff in the 90s and i had a really interesting conversation with a dear friend of mine who who's actually like a kind of total badass in the game space, Lou Castle, and he had his own kind of studio he sold to EA, but he made a very important point to me that I never forgot. He said that, that these VR technologies are, useful, are used by people or more useful for people who have less imagination mm. than, for, than, for, than the gamers. The gamers were... Even back then, playing PC games that were just dramatically less immersive, but they were their minds were deep into the immersion. You know, the book was the first immersive story, right? So it's kind of the technology is caught up to provide this really quote unquote immersive experience. And getting tying in, John, what you had said with regards to training and things like that, it's like absolutely there's going to be opportunities uh, and new experiences for those who are not quote-unquote yeah. gamers it's not the point that it's only going to be for gamers it's, it's going to be something that's useful for everybody so check this, this out point. Oh, on that point and uh, Tyler, just quick quick thing it's it makes so much business sense for facebook inc because they are being pushed around by uh, the device right. maker uh, yeah. apple and google right. in particular so i think they have to get out get out of this yeah. mobile world and if they uh, fail to do so i think this right well, the, on that point that you were making david was the yeah the, the people who don't have the best imaginations essentially the vr world will the the most engaging experiences will be created by the people with the best imaginations and and consumed by the people with less imaginations and we're all going to be spending our time or, or committing our presence to those experiences that exceed our own uh, imaginations if that makes sense, that base and by by the way, no, totally. And songs songs tools. are not much different. You, uh, you spend your time listening to John Lennon's songs because he can write a song far better than you. And I mean, you can think of the song as a as a two dimensional version of a VR experience because it's when you're consumed in a song with your eyes closed, you kind of are almost in a metaverse like experience. I mean, it, at, especially if you're on a psychedelic, it can really feel like you're in a, in, on a different kind of level of existence at times in a, in the, in the best of songs. I think we've all felt moments of rapture and in incredible music. At least I, I, I'm blessed with that disease anyways, but uh, it, it could I, could so, I Tyler, how do you see the journey? Just ask on that particular one. Sorry, one second. How do you see the journey of somebody becoming more imaginative or becoming more creative or at least engaging in the journey? Like, you know, a, a kid learning how to play the guitar, but they'll never be, you know, they'll never be a rock star. But they'll, they're, they're kind of in the journey. They're creating it and they're producing something. And 
um, and, and th there's got to be room in the metaverse for that, I imagine. And, and can, probably can I more take a room, right? Can I take a shot at that, Tyler, yeah. at, at, at Cal's question? So I was just about to say that if you look at how there's there's been attempts to create user or reader initiated changes to the narrative line of plots, uh, whether in in uh, digital print or in movies where you can select different trajectories for the movie. Um, these have been tried for exactly that reason. What I think is different about the metaverse is that there's going to be the opportunity to use tools within the framework and the architecture of the metaverse to create your own novel journeys as opposed to just experience what's presented to you in That's ways right. that are unprecedented. And I think that the, the, the need for creatives to create their own story within someone else's landscape, um, i.e. acquire and express an identity um, that may be different in different metaverses, um, is going to be fully supported um, by the architecture and it's going to be fully uh, addictive and differentiating for the makers, uh, the, the competitors in the metaverse into how much of the creative uh, elements of the participant are going to be expressible um, in novel ways, not necessarily right. intended by design in the creators of the right. metaverse, but by the individual participant in the metaverse. And that's going to be the big differentiator because the creators are the ones who are going to be the Kardashians of the metaverse and say, oh, you've got to do this because then you can do that. You've got to use this metaverse in order to achieve this kind of level of creativity. Can to I... build on that, okay. this is really, if we compare this against TV yeah. watching, this is far more interactive and could <clears throat> actually enable more health benefits if the metaverse enabled movement of the body, as you've seen with many VR applications like Beat Saber. So I, I think this is far more interactive and could be better. Cal, is, and Cal there is a sociocultural theory as well. So uh, people who are escapist, who, who aren't, who doesn't like their sociocultural environment, tends to be more creative because it's, it's a correlation between escapism and uh, imaginative. So that's there. Apart from the uh, normal IQ, uh, the IQ with which you are born with. I loved uh, David's point about reading, right? So stories uh, that you read from books is, our, you know, our, really our first, the first mainstream way to act read. And the more you build the skill of effective reading, uh, the more empathy that you build as well. And so it's, I think it's quite similar with, uh, with, with VR and you know, by extension, the metaverse, um, the better, the more you immerse yourself in those experience, do role, do more role playing, immerse yourself and actually walk in someone else's shoes, the more empathy and the more creativity uh, you'll gain. And then if you start creating, like if you're a good reader, oftentimes you become a, a better and better writer. It's the same principle there too. You'll just be a better, uh, virtual creator, the more you immerse yourself in VR. May I just add a quick thought to John's uh, comments? We're already seeing uh, the creator economy and, and kids doing this almost subconsciously, right? They're, they're creating in Roblox, they're creating in Rec Room, and they're being paid off of this um, without them actually knowing that they're creating metaverses. So uh, they're going to be leading the, the content creation and metaverse uh, development of the future. Well, on the on, yeah, it's really good. on the yeah, two I'm two sorry, two just... quick ones on the subject okay. of yeah, there's a lot of kids that have grown up now with Minecraft and now Roblox, and to them, it's just a given that you're able to create as part of the experience. 
And, and then in the case of Roblox, you're even able to monetize your creations. And then, so uh, that's a fun, you know, when you grow up with something that just becomes table stakes kind of going forward. So that's very likely to be part of these experiences is that the users are a creator or a co-creator and even a monetizer. And then on the subject of uh, Jeremiah, what's the name of the game? Uh, Beat Saber. Is that it? Where you've got these almost like uh, lightsabers in your hands, you know, from Star Wars, and these blocks are flying at you in a pattern. It's very similar to what was the dr- the drumming game where you have to be, you know, rock. rock it's like band. Rock Band in three dimensions. You know, you're you're standing there, and these blocks are flying at you as if they're really flying at your face, and you have to kill these blocks with your lightsabers in a into a rhythm. That's why they call it Beat Saber. So the point is is in vr it's actually likely and almost certain to be almost you know when when game players today in traditional video games when the game's over many folks build additional levels to the games who have the skills to do so this is an incredibly common thing now it's, it's, it's a given and in vr it's likely to be that it's easier to create additional levels of beat saber in VR for the users than it is today to make additional levels in traditional video games today on traditional, you know, laptops uh, or what have you, because Beat Saber could be like, great, you finished the game. Now here's the assets, uh, the visual assets, the, you know, the blocks themselves and, you know, so that you can create the next levels for everyone else to play. And then, you as the user do become a co-creator of the uh, endless levels of this game. And now you're cre- like, like we are creating an experience inside of this platform called Clubhouse that, uh, that users can come and join. Great. The same thing will apply to uh, VR-ish experiences where people or individuals or in small groups or large groups can come together, create levels that all the other players can come and experience and play and some of them will be free some will be monetized they'll be ranked they'll be reviewed and everyone will go and experience the the most highly rated um experiences that that players are creating so that the video game itself only has to make the first few hours of the content to enough to inspire you and everyone else to create the endless thousands of next levels of the game or experience does that make sense anyone who plays rob yeah it's, it's absolutely it it's right. already happening that that's kind of the point and this has been ga- games lead tech the, the yeah, vr the key, is just the, key, the latest the key uh, is UI, though right the key is the simplicity we, the latest H- by which uh, because roblox this is what minecraft and roblox really my, minecraft more than others really deserve the credit for this is making it easy enough for eight-year-olds to do that right and that's what i'm saying is it's only it is in fact vr as immersive as it is because of the 3d nature of it it actually becomes easier to make stuff than it does with a mouse and a screen. It's easier in three dimensions with two actual hands to move the blocks around and create the next levels. So it's a it's a profound change. So and, it's and apropos that, to, apropos oh, to what great, great point, said John. about the medium is the message. This this medium this medium is going to shape social norms and social hierarchies in ways that spill over into um, the physical world in such a way that metaverse natives, the, people, the kids being born today, 
are going to be defined as the metaverse generation or the metagen because their entire frame of reference for social relationships and social hierarchies is going to be shaped and morphed by this very medium. It's, if I can get back to what Cal said, Cal, if you can go back to like Photoshop, the dawn of, you know, the, the graphical artist tool, right? What emerged from that was this, the power of the tool and also the, um, the asset libraries were a means for those that you, you were asking for those maybe a little less creative. It, it was, it inspires and it makes you look really talented. So that, and though that kind of uh, authoring system has been a part of, of tech, right, in, in different domains. And so just before we all drop off into the lake of this multiverse VR stuff, you have companies like Unity who have a big asset store already, right? And people are monetizing. So the concepts of a marketplace, all of these have already been well-developed in some of those larger um, some of those bigger companies. And so it's just uh, having some tools to do as Tyler's describing, which is to be authoring while you're immersed is just the use of, of tools and things like that. It's going to okay. be very exciting. So one last thing. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, just, you know, when the CD-ROM, anybody remember the CD-ROM? Of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, you know, there was, I, I wrote a business plan for Crystal Dynamics right when those were coming out for 3DO. Anybody remember 3DO? I do. The idea yeah, back the, then. The publisher, yeah. And, yeah, the, the game publisher. The idea back then and, and what, what catalyzed the digital Hollywood thing and Silicon Valley versus Hollywood and all that was the CD-ROM. So this concept that, that, um, that Jeremiah brought up with regards to, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a, you're walking around in a free verse or a free verse. I'm sorry. I'm not sure what exactly what phrase you used, Jeremiah, but the kind of interactive story is is something that has been tried but when you're trying to if when you have to create all the assets for a very specific path through a story those attempts are are very difficult to do at all you can't do it at really at much of a lower cost in these in environments you know the triple a games budgets are obscene so it's going to be kind of interesting to see how people build you know the 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 narration and try to do a guided path through some of these these uh, you know free uh, free spaces that's going to be a very interesting to observe as well um i will yeah i i i apologize. is that my phone yeah. sound Okay. Sorry, I just wanted to add something that uh, Epic Games, for example, has a $100 million grant for creators that I believe that they're going to pivot towards Metaverse, and I use the engine myself. It basically has everything that you would ever imagine that you would want for any sort of production. We need not look further than The Mandalorian to see that, oh, wait, why does it look so good? Right, because it's a video game engine. It's not, it's not really centered around these last-generation tools. It's centered around the metaverse. So who remembers Second Life? Why didn't that take off? It did. Yeah, it oh, yeah. I remember building a building on it. <laughs> well, so it so what happened? Not, we're not... It was too early. It was really too early. It wasn't immersive enough. Uh, and it was not in those... VR. It was not in VR back in the days. It was, uh... I know people that would spend years of their life on that platform. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think it was pretty immersive. They were rich of London dollar. Um. 
they promised corporations that this would be where all the eyeballs were in the future. And the thing is that they didn't have the numbers to back it up. The other thing is that because their primary financial model was selling virtual land, it meant that the platform de facto became less populated the more that people, content people added to it, which is a little counterintuitive, but they, they kind of locked themselves in the wrong business model very early on. I remember that IBM had like 13 so, islands on it. Yeah, it, it's it's analogous to the Newton and the iPhone. The second life is the Newton and the metaverse Jay, is the iPhone. Go ahead, Real quick, something I want to, it's, it's very brief. It's very brief. I just want to point out that very few of these platforms that are like saying, hey, we're the metaverse thing in the future, or, we're the, or we have the content ecosystem. Very few of these actually believed in these and their own stuff internally when they launched this. You know, I'm talking to the guy, I mean, the, the woman that basically made the, uh, the, the Unity asset store when that was a thing. Um, and she had to fight hard just to get them to even like put even the most basic support things on that for years um, before it like started to take off and become like a major part of how their whole strategy is. Um, she ended up leaving the company before essentially that, that became like the thing. I saw similar things was essentially for, I talked to the, he actually replaced me at one of my last jobs with things um, many years ago, but uh, at Apple, essentially the internal app store stuff, like they had to jailbreak these things to get them to do anything. Uh, now it's like something that they're looking at antitrust over. Uh, it's a similar things. Epic, Epic gets credit. They've, they, every product they've ever launched has launched with a level editor. They're, they're a little different in the modern scene. But uh, Microsoft Connect, another version with that, a lot of stuff they've done essentially for all, a lot of their uh, community Xbox 360 and everything. These were efforts that you had to force the platforms to do something with. And then later on, they figured out, how, oh, wait, this is something maybe we could launch with by default and monetize. But almost none of these came from internal efforts. Most of these were forced from the outside. So I'll be, it'd be interesting to see what the metaverse version for it's like saying, here's our corporate vision of the future. I'm really skeptical about that's going to be where the actual metaverse emerges from. I think it's going to come about from some people breaking some of these platforms from some other sector and then forcing them to look like this. But that's just my own suggestion. I don't know. Um, we'll see uh, where this JT, turns out. You had an article <laughs> yesterday about uh, Fortnite, which is one of the biggest gaming experiences on the planet uh, last year, last couple of years. Uh, Fortnite teases a concert series, a new concert series with record-breaking superstar. They're promoting it. Uh, the headliner remains a mystery, but they're claiming it's, you know, uh, a record-breaking superstar. The next big Fortnite concert is happening very soon, but who will perform remains a mystery developer epic. Uh, announced an event called Rift Tour, which will take place from August 6th to 8th with a series of events across various time zones. It's described as a musical journey into a magical new realities where Fortnite and a record-breaking superstar collide. Epic previously teased an alien-themed event happening on August 6th, which is just a week away, with an in-game countdown. Uh, who that superstar is remains to be seen. Recent rumors suggest that Ariana Grande could be the next performer to take Fortnite's virtual stage. She would join the likes of Travis Scott and Marshmello, whose Fortnite performances have been some of the most popular in-game events to date. Epic says that we'll be sharing more big news on the Rift Tour on August 2nd, which is two days from now. In the meantime, start starting today, there are a series of in-game challenges, one of which involves visiting a partly U party UFO where players can unlock concert related freebies and indeed uh there's going to be a lot of hanging out on ufos in the metaverse what an interesting concept for for a venue inside of a vr experience anyway uh thank you 
total side note, if you're a tech company that relies on consumer adoption and you, you message a bunch of people in Hollywood, say you've got your new head of creator stuff, actually follow up on the stuff that when you when the people make personal introductions. I found out that later that I didn't find some until like literally yesterday stuff. I introduced it to a friend of mine and he was and he was really excited and they're talking together with their head of uh, the community stuff with things. And then and then she just went cold turkey on it. And I found out later he was trying his is is as um is is uh his uh his sisters actually like like Beyonce's manager or something like that like they're related with things and he was trying to hook him up with Beyonce and it's like they just never followed up on that from what I've seen tech companies are absolutely horrendous on having actual people that are not programmers that are going out and going acquiring like all those community partnerships so just a random thing for Fortnite I think one of the things that separated them is they actually have some people dedicated to actually you know taking the calls which is very entertaining to watch that happen so the um, the this is interesting because Vice was the article was the publication who had these very cynical, jaded headlines about uh, the metaverse uh, as a um overt dystopia. Uh, and but t- the next web uh, out of uh, Amsterdam, run by Boris, they do a, a big tech conference in Europe as well, so we're uh, quite familiar. And um, the next web. You has a different take. Their headline is "The Age of the Metaverse is Upon Us." It's a little more. The Next Web is one of the few kind of actually tech-friendly uh, publications, kind of run by geeks. Um, anyway, the next big article at this very moment is that physicists. Oh, yes. Tyler, <clears throat> I just want to add a quick thought to the, to sure. the previous Fortnite oh. article. I think there's a little bit more to okay. add to that uh, that is being overlooked. It's the fact that uh, video game platforms. Um, and also metaverses as they're as they're known are now being um the the area where entertainment is going to be held whether that's music concerts or fashion shows and i think that's being overlooked um from the grand scheme of things of where the future of this is going to happen facebook already has several job openings where you're able to now uh they're called uh, virtual event producers and they're hoping to have in their horizon platform uh, musical concerts, performances, etc. Um, so this is going to be uh, futuristic and very important to the future of. Yeah, for sure. I'm as a as a conference uh, festival producer. I'm I'm incredibly excited about. Uh, um, you know, it's about creating experiences. That's what uh, you know. Conference producing is similar to that. So I feel like I might have a little bit of a head start on the on about yeah. Tyler, on that note. Um, what percentage of your conference attendees and community have VR headsets? Oh, now? I don't know is the answer. I need to add that in my next um, take when next time I have an event, I can I could do a blast. I, ha- I have the email list of anyone who's ever attended one of my events and it's, you know, tens of thousands of people. So I need to send in my next email blast that I sent out to my list. I need to ask what what percent of people have VR now. That's a great question. Do people and when, the, and does anyone Stanford, on stage spend an hour a day or more on VR? I'd be curious. Well, to answer the last question, I just, I just want to say when, when Stanford was the first major university to issue laptops to every single um, uh, undergrad, uh, I think that we will see the more de- democratized, dematerialized, inexpensive VR 
uh, headsets given to children in elementary schools or at least in high school uh, as table stakes for learning uh, within a decade at, at most. Okay, next headline. The, the next headline is physicists say they used Google's quantum computer to demo a, what's called a time crystal, which forever cycles between states without consuming energy. For the first time, Google's time crystals could be the greatest scientific achievement of our lifetimes, according to the next web. Yeah, this is the actual. This was cool. PR. <laughs> Endless the PR. It's the Rube Goldberg machine of PR. The you're, it's a, this. That's the actual headline that this could be the greatest scientific achievement of our lifetimes, or at least this week. Anyways, uh, Eureka, the research team featuring dozens of scientists working in partnership with Google's quantum computer labs may in italics <laughs> have created the world's first time crystal inside a quantum computer. The, this is the kind of news that makes me want to jump up and do a happy dance. The scientists may have produced an entirely new phase of matter. I'm going to do my best to explain what that means and why I personally believe this is the most important scientific breakthrough of our lifetimes. However, for the sake of clarity, there are two points I need to make first. Number one, time crystals are a wickedly difficult concept to understand and even harder to explain. Number two, the Google team might have created time crystals. Perfect. This is a preprint research and has yet to receive a full peer to receive full peer review until the rest of the scientific community has time to review the and replicate the work. We can't say for sure it's legitimate. What's the time crystal in colloquial terms. It's a, it's a big screw you to Sir Isaac Newton. The time crystals are a new phase of matter for the sake of simplicity. Let's imagine a cube of ice. When you put a cube of ice in a glass of water, you're introducing two separate entities, the cube of ice and the liquid water to each other, to each other at two different temperatures. Everyone knows that the water will get colder. That's why we put the ice in there. And over time, the ice will get warmer and turn into water. Eventually, you'll just have a glass of room temperature water. We call this process thermal equilibrium. Most people are familiar with Newton's first law of motion. It's the one that says an object at rest tends to stay at rest. Uh, and an object in motion tends to stay in motion. An important side effect of this law of physics is that it means a perpetual motion machine is classically impossible. According to classical physics, the universe is always moving towards entropy. In other words, if we isolate an ice cube and a room temperature glass of water from all other external forces, the water will always melt the ice cube. The entropy, the movement towards change of any system will always remain the same if there's if there is, if there are no processes, and it will always increase if there are processes, since our universe has stars exploding, black holes sucking, and people lighting things on fire, chemical processes, entropy is always increasing, except when it comes to time crystals. Time crystals don't give a damn what Newton or anyone else thinks. They're lawbreakers at, at heart, and uh, uh, they can theoretically maintain entropy even when they're used in a process. So what this means, think about a crystal you're familiar with, such as a snowflake. Snowflakes aren't just beautiful because each one is unique. They're also fascinating forms that nearly break the laws of physics themselves. Crystalline structures form in the physical world because for whatever fundamental scientific reason, the atoms within them want to exist in a certain exact point, Want is a really weird word to use when you're talking about atoms. I'm certainly not implying they're sentient, but it's hard to describe the tendency towards crystalline structures in an abstract such as why. 
a time crystal is a new phase of matter that simplified would be like having a snowflake that constantly cycled back and forth between two different configurations. It's it's a seven-pointed lattice one moment and a ten-pointed lattice the next or whatever. What's amazing about time crystals is that when they circle, when they cycle back and forth between two different configurations, they don't lose or use any energy. The time crystals can survive energy processes without falling victim to entropy. The reason they're called time crystals is because they can have their cake and eat it too. They can be in a state of having eaten the whole cake and then cycle right back to a state of still having the cake. And they can theoretically do this forever and ever. More importantly, they can do this inside of an isolated system. That means they can consume the cake and then magically make it reappear over and over again forever without using any fuel or energy. Because they never ate the cake in this dimension. It's like they go back in time. It's like time traveling. Because ma- math says in the that, future and the past at the same time. Yeah, math says there's there's seven dimensions, and we're only aware of four, really. And string theory, it's eleven. By the time it uh, people actually figure it out, we'll have about a few tens of thousands of like articles about it at some point or another, and about eight nine years of research, and then uh, we'll say, "Wow, that was a lot of time that we spent on this." Nearly. But even if the entrop- entropy is reversing, the time still moves forward, right, John Foucault? Yeah, according to Einstein, yeah. No, um, no, not necessarily. Nearly every far future tech. Yeah, you can you can stop if you go at the speed of light. You will you will feel like you're not. Yeah, not the forward. Yeah, well, ta- then, then it's relative time because we're still going forward and it's not. So it's uh, we're having it's relative time. N- n- it's- just throwing this out there, if it wasn't Google with their name on this, but startup right. claims to have basically invented time crystal seeking $10 million, <laughs> would, would we bullshit. put the same level of credit no. credibility around this? Nearly every far future tech humans can imagine, from teleportation to warp drives and from artificial food synthesizers to perpetual motion reactors capable of powering the world without burning fuels or harnessing energy, will require quantum computing solutions. And it go it just starts going into quantum computers and quantum bits and qubits and but time crystals want to be coherent, it says. So putting them inside of a quantum computer and using them to conduct computer processes could potentially serve an incredibly important function ensuring quantum coherence. And that's what why this person thinks this could be the biggest thing in our lifetime, because it would truly enable the, the quantum computer phenomena that we're so eagerly after time crystals have always been theoretical and by always i mean since 2012 when they first when they were first hypothesized if google actually created time crystals it could accelerate the timeline for quantum computing breakthroughs from maybe never to maybe within a few decades that's uh, so i was right in kind of grokking what he was implying At the far-fetched, super-optimistic end of things, we could see the creation of a working warp drive in our lifetimes. Imagine taking a trip to Mars or the edge of the solar system and being back home on Earth in time to catch the evening news. And... Salvatore Pies. 
it's that it's that navy that navy guy you know he's already even kind of proposed on, a lot of this yeah, stuff, even right? on the conservative even end with more that. realistic expectation expectations it's not hard to imagine quantum computing based chemical and drug discovery leading to universally effective cancer treatments this could be the big eureka we've all been waiting for i can't wait to see what happens in the peer review so i'm gonna tweet that out for you so you can retweet it and whatnot uh from the next web time so the research is working on this technology no pressure or anything it's not like you've got the fate of the world it's essentially and everyone's time crystals basically invented the best okay slice bread yeah i'm sitting here thinking like you know with these breakthroughs what's this clubhouse going to be like if we're here together like 700 years together <laughs> how's the how's the odd couple uh gonna gonna work out are me and chris gonna go at it because we're the two chris's on stage the or what? I don't next know. big <laughs> article is from australia australia-based intelligence bank a marketing software provider for brands raises 37 million dollars um big whoop the next one's from milwaukee wisconsin-based veda which uses ai to automate data processing for healthcare payers and providers raises 45 million dollars big whoop the next one is Safari's extremely slow pace in adopting popular features and fixing show-stopping bugs and refusal to engage with contentious API proposals is harming the web. Come on, there's oh, it's 10% market share. There's been a lot of... Uh... Go ahead. Um, Tyler, I can, I can add a tiny bit to that if you like. And that Safari thing. So I was mm -hmm. looking into, got very excited about something called progressive web apps at one point, which on Android, you can have a web app that you add to your, if you add a web page that's a PWA, progressive, it's a website. So you get right. this from a single code base. You, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, Safari. Can't you do that on iOS too? Not properly, no. They don't support most of the PWA standards. And I think it's a good reason for it because they see it as a bit of a threat to the app store. It, to the, exactly right. So this is, this is the thing. And it's a real shame because they are cool. And I had Google's backing to teach this and all the rest of it. But then when I looked at it on iOS, they're just absolutely dragging their heels yep. on features, most of which are about offline app access. Because um, the, the PWA has to work offline for a start. Um, and uh, it's a website that works offline, basically. And Safari's crap with that. There's a whole load of features it's missing. Even just the way it adds to your home screen, it doesn't become part of your app library properly. But on Android, they're full first-class citizens, you know, a, a PWA. So... Try Twitter. You can go to m. I think it's m.twitter.com. And if you go there, it's a progressive web app. You can add that and use it. Um, and it basically, it's as good as the native app. It's slightly different, but it's just as good. Uh, and yet, you don't need to install it as an app. There's no app stores involved. You bypass the app stores altogether. Um, a single code base lets you write for the desktop, the, the, the mobiles, the whole lot. So there's lots of benefits. But yeah, yeah. Apple don't uh, seem to want to support no. it. No, yeah, you're right about that. I, I just wouldn't be so quick to blame it on Safari. I'd blame it on Apple. Um, so kind of one and the same, I guess, in this case. The Yeah, exactly. Blame it on Apple. Yeah. Yeah. The next um there's the next big article is how US sanctions forced Chinese companies to develop key tech themselves, aligning the company's incentives with China's goals of economic self sufficiency in twenty sixteen AlphaGo, a computer program developed by machine learning experts in London, which was uh deep mind. Um, uh, beat the world's top players on the classical Chinese board game Go. And um, it was a revolutionary breakthrough in AI. 
AlphaGo had demonstrated an unprecedentedly unprecedented capacity for intuition and pattern recognition that a Western program had beaten the first had been the first to achieve this AI feat prompted some commenters to declare that China had experienced a Sputnik moment, an event that would trigger widespread unease in the country about its perceived technological lag. Indeed, China had a Sputnik moment in recent years, but it wasn't prompted by AlphaGo's victory. Rather, in 2018, tightening U.S. trade restrictions have threatened the viability of some of China's biggest firms, fueling anxiety in Beijing and forcing Chinese companies to reinvent the U.S. technology they can no longer access, kind of like the 5G chips that are notably missing from Huawei's phones. Um, the Chinese government has long had twin ambitions for industrial policy, and it, it goes on and on and on about uh, how the sanctions are forcing China to up their game, essentially. So I will tweet that out, and we will get into the next big headline here, which is, at this very moment, um, the SEC has stopped processing IPO and other restrictions by Chinese companies as it crafts guidance for companies about the risks they face in China. That's a related headline to the previous one. And here's the next big one from the Economic Times. B2B commerce, that's business to business commerce, uh, and financing startup called Of Business raises $160 million from SoftBank at a valuation of $1.5 billion, becoming the 18th Indian unicorn of the year. There you go, number 18. And Twitter uh, offers a bug bounty of up to $3,500 to spot uh, bias in its photo cropping algorithm, which was shown to favor white people over black people, which users started testing out themselves by doing very clever little tests where you try to upload uh, in a tweet. You can have multiple photos. And the question is, there's an algorithm that auto crops the photo for you, which tends to focus on the face, <laughs> but disproportionately so when it's a white person. And if you upload a photo and at the top of the photo, it's a white face and at the bottom of the photo, it's a black face. And there's a there's a bunch of pink, you know, just just a big pink box in the middle of the photo. Um, which face would it put in the crop? Which, you know, what 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 would Twitter show? Because it has to choose what part of the photo to show. And they they realized after a lot of tests, it uh, disproportionately shows white faces. So that's kind of the, the classic example of uh, algorithmic bias. So what Twitter's offering is a bug bounty to spot this uh, bias. You can have sexual bias as well, male and female, black and white. And, you know, you can go a lot of different dimensions with that. But in its photo cropping algorithm, which was shown to favor white people over black people, Twitter has now has a new way to rid itself of artificial intelligence bias, pay outsiders to help them find problems. So there you go. You can make 3500 bucks if you can uh, help them crack their own uh, uh, um, biases, algorithmic biases. And I will tweet that out. You two can go back <laughs> and sweep up the detritus yeah. that is the algorithm trash. Tyler, one note on that. Um, while you're correct, it is algorithmic bias, but it actually goes back to the choices of uh, the engineering bias because they're creating it. So it's important we remember that and not just focus on the tool only. It's the because no one issues. wants to roll their own data sets. They all want to license it from someone else. And essentially no one bothers to actually ask where it gets gathered from, what the conditions were. They just want to say, yep, that's a lot of data points. Let that go, go magic algorithm. Um, I mean, the data sets themselves aren't that hard to collect, but Again, no one wants to pay for it. 
the other thing that's a little bizarre about it is that that you know when i receive the algorithmic bias thing is like you know sometimes they can work in your favor <laughs> like, about like you know death drones the facial recognition it's like maybe the fact that there's certain people that it doesn't recognize do you want them to recognize you maybe it's better you can run with <laughs> that would be robots. a very <laughs> funny uh, like snl skit of you know the the terminators you know and uh, they're basically just targeting all the white folks and you know <laughs> I mean, apparently that's socially acceptable to do. I don't know. I just it's, it's weird because when we talk about the, the, these bias things, if you flip it on its head and go, wait, is that good thing a bad thing and vice versa? This for a very narrow lens of what is going to be the flow-charted conversation the PR department has sculpted for us. Sometimes they're fun to turn on their head and see how other scenarios that aren't quite as favorable to the companies. You know, these biases are really important that they come out. Uh, there's a Boeing study which says ethnic theory of crashes so in 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 in, uh, in 90s and 80s there were a lot of plane crashes and they had a correlation with some of the cultural uh, south korea and colombia and uh, i mean and someone who blindly believes in causality would have just associated those crashes with those uh, cultures but actually what, what happened is that there is a power distance index which they come up with and say that in culture where there is a power uh, difference index the pilots the co-pilots are are basically reluctant in warning the main pilot so these are the and and if if they have just if they have would have just ignored these biases these problems would have never come it's just that uh, in an ai people just keep on putting the data and uh, do not look into those uh, do not take a pause and look back how can we uh, uh, remove these biases but these biases are really important that they come out so that it can be corrected okay I think it'd be more fun if they had like a privacy label type kind of thing, but do this from data says like this data set is only 70% racist, you know, and 30% misogynist. And they just, you know, put the labels <laughs> on the front side, they have biases, just declare it up front. And, you know, have them say it's like, you know, 30% Great. less bias, yeah. 30% less misogynist. No, it's misogynist. like the, the restaurant uh, rating system where, you know, the cleanliness, you know, the where this this, this restaurant <laughs> has a B or a C. <laughs> you never you never eat at the no, C restaurant. don't ever... I mean, this is like ImageNet, where they had, like, this is a big part of how I got to be so advanced to begin with. Why aren't we applying this to essentially going, let's throw this for the standard racism test or whatever. And then you can have them all compete with each other going, wow, we're values right now. It's amazing. Wait, but the company paying for this still ended up being, like, really anti-worker? Oh, wait. Oh, that's going to be a hundred round of testing there. So a new startup called Riskified, an Israeli e-commerce fraud protection company, began trading uh, on the New York Stock Exchange uh, after raising $363 million in its IPO at a valuation of $3.3 billion. In a filing, Amazon disclosed the EU privacy regulators fined the company a record $888 million for violating the GDPR data storage rules uh, as part of their quarterly earnings, it, it was part of the accounting. It was clear in the books. They had this $888 million, you know, expense uh, that they had to explain. So they explained it during the quarterly earnings. And Vietnam... Did, did anyone no. go to jail? No, yeah. Okay, never mind. That was, that's, yeah. I don't think it's going to change. So Vietnam-based VN Life, the parent company of VNPay, which helps banks provide mobile payment apps, raises a bunch of money. Education publisher Pearson says it, it is switching to a subscription model for all of its 1,500 titles. That's interesting because that's a huge uh, education book publisher, one of the biggest, where they used to charge a lot of money for books. Someone's, Vinay, you, you wash, making some tea or something there. Um, 
or Dr. Francine. Well, welcome back. Okay. It's, it's okay. me. Hey, I just no problem. Welcome on. back. Sorry. Are you still in London? It's a patient. Oh, sorry. Okay. No, I came home this week. I'm, I'm uh, welcome back, back. back in Go Arizona. Ahead, So Pearson seemed uninterested in making books. I wrote a book with them uh, on Unity Engine uh, some years ago. Um, cool. Well, went well. I mean, it's kind of crap income, but, you know, good authority. That's the whole root of the word author, authority. Um, and then I went back to them recently and started talking about Bitcoin, and they were totally uninterested in books. They're like, yeah, we'd love to work with you, and you can run some classes, but we're not interested in books. We've just got to do live classes and stuff. Interesting, yeah. And the, in, I, part of that, tell, that could be a very huge revelation, actually, that the future of education isn't books. It's like video and experiences like VR, which we're seeing a lot of that where job training is now going to happen in VR for all kinds of jobs. Right. So, um, yes, yes. Tyler, one, one of the things I've noticed, I don't, um, one of the things I've noticed and, you know, maybe it's transparent to everybody, but given the volume of people on the planet, you know, $20 a month, like I'd kill, <laughs> I'd, I'd stab my own mom for $20 a month from everyone from the planet, you know? So as they see these opportunities, they realize like what makes it sticky is the people, the interactions, you know? So when Ben, they said, you know, we want you to do a class. I think in their mind, they're thinking, you know, Ben's going to write 12 books and the, you know, we'll get 12 books revenue out of Ben if we get him to be a monthly, well, my, my point um, goes, you know, watch educator this, though. for us. If Pearson, who's one of the largest education book publishers on the planet, is saying, giving indications that books aren't the future uh, because they see VR and, oh, oh boy, can you learn a whole lot better uh, about a topic in VR than you can from a book? Try, try, let's talk about the Civil War for a second and, you know, transport you to the location um, and and then or read about it from a book or let's talk about, you know, biology and then you're there cutting open a frog you know a digital virtual frog or you're trying to looking at photos in a book it just seems to me vr just has the opportunity to uh, in the education space to just blow people's minds hold on to me so the the point i want to make is if the book publishers are realizing ah the the the, the days of books are sunsetting and that the real future is going to be in vr and experiences um, or at least in video, but I think they'll naturally take the take it to the 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 foregone conclusion that it's more the VR thing. The somebody else mentioned the point of you know every kid you know eventually will have these. But the the back to the journalist, I, I made the point you know when we were talking about this journalist who clearly has a, a kind of an extra grind on on you know the metaverse. I think journalists are coming to the same realization that the big education book publisher did, which is text in general is going to be a potential notable victim in uh, if VR takes off the way that we think that it will, because it's uh, um, yeah, what some somebody's got to lose, and it's not exactly um, text isn't the first thing that comes to mind when you think of VR experiences. So, so I think this will, you'll see journalists, tech journalists are going to have an interesting uh, bias against the, the VR space because it's, it's an existential threat to anybody Tyler. who does anything in text. Yeah, I may. And literacy is underrated. Oh, oh Tyler, let me just say really quick. I'll make it in two sentences, hopefully. 
Um, Tyler, doesn't or everyone, doesn't it also seem, you know, when you see all the YouTube folks, I mean, this is happening. The YouTube influencers and the people that are teaching an example of this, how she's a streaming artist, right? She's a live streamer. I have a feeling that's what we're leaning towards is that I wouldn't even be bothered with Pearson's. I think people that are going to educate are going to be able to do it via live stream. And via live stream, like you, we've been talking about for like days, VR, AR is just like one step after that, right? right? Because when you start live streaming, I mean, like literally I'm doing theta.tv and I'm going to start going live stream because it makes it easier for people to just watch. And that's what people want to do. They want to engage. They want to be connected to you. And this is what you were saying, that they could shop everything around where you are. So if I have products all over my, my scene, right? Let's say I set the scene for a yoga room, right? And I set all the products in motion, like Manduka, the props, blah, blah, blah. I now can sell from straight away from that, like, that made yoga room. Do you see what I'm saying? And it's being live streamed. And this is where you said, I can clearly say, oh, well, these blocks are great for this. This, prop, this uh, prop is great for that. And this mat is amazing because of this. And they're going to buy from that scene. And they're going to probably in that way be able to purchase from there. And I have a feeling that before it goes to the metaverse, the precursor to that will be those that are going live stream. And that's already happening with YouTube. I just believe the next iteration of YouTube is live stream. Well, I, I, I'm, I think you know, live streaming is going to be big, of course, especially on the sales side of things. But on the... On uh, the... I have a gr- uh-huh. grandchild um, who is learning all of his history from somebody on YouTube called Thoughty or Thoughty 2. And it's amazing the stuff that's up there for kids How do you spell to it? learn is is T H O U G H T Y. Got it right here. I got it. Thank you. And and here's the deal. You don't understand for how long the book publishing industry has held back the progress of education. You think they haven't known for 20 years that video was going to get rid of books? They have. They've just tried to uh, push the the book industry as long as they possibly could because it was their cash cow. And Pearson is one of the greatest offenders. Mm. Give an alternative uh, idea there that maybe it's that uh, the permanence of Bitcoin information is quite short versus, let's say, uh, carpentry. <laughs> so you might want a book on carpentry, but you realize a book on Bitcoin is going to be outdated a few months after you publish it. So you'd rather have it in other forms. The possibility. Hey, this is Corey. I just want to talk a little bit about the medium for art in general. Um, reading a book and watching a movie that's made from it are two different experiences. When you read a when you read a book, you yourself imagine what the world looks like through through the words where in like, like in a movie or video that's given to you. So there's are differences, I think, and there's I think there's room for both. I mean, just like there's room for for you know oil paintings and for for pencil drawings in in the world. So on the on the consumption side, I still think people like to read books versus even listen or necessarily watch uh, because they get to create the world in their head. And maybe it's a smaller group and that may shrink over time and we'll see what the data says. But that's um, kind of one aspect. Yeah, I just the, you know what the data says. Go look at a, a YouTube video called um, You Are Not a Visual Learner by Veritasium, a fantastic YouTube ed- educator. And it basically dispels the myth, this dispels the myth that there are visual, audio, kinesthetic, whatever learners. It's just not true. There's been researched properly. 
the point that the bottom line of this is that depending on what you're trying to learn, there are different forms of medium um, that, are, that are the best. There is definitely, as you say, a place for the lower bandwidth inputs like reading. Reading is very low bandwidth, very low kilobytes per second. Video is very high, but you have a difference in how the mental model lands. I'm not so talking about the there learning. Is a, there is a place for all of them. I'm not if talking about the learning. If you want to learn how a piece of, you want to how a piece of music works. Sorry, go on. <laughs> I'm talking about the art, not the learning. I agree with you that actually doing and teaching are the actually most retention rates on learning, right? So VR, AR fits well into that space. Absolutely, 100% agree with that. I'm talking purely about about when people role play like a tabletop game, it's a very different experience than going in and having a world built for you that you're playing in. They're, they're, the creativity levels are different there. There's different styles. I'm talking literally purely yeah, I'm, about I'm completely agreeing with you, content creation. Saying that video is not fundamentally better than written or audio. If you, Depending on what you're trying to do, you, you need to be kinesthetic, audio, visual, whatever, auditory. Um, it depends on what the, the skill you are trying to, uh, to gain. It's really worth watching the Veritasium video called uh, You Are Not a Visual I Learner. I think it's the- really interesting and gives a Go really ahead. quick summary. I'll give you one last comment on this. Uh, Harry Potter books, right? People who read Harry Potter books and saw the movies, have huge differences opinion about about they love the books over the movies or vice versa or there was differences and same thing with uh, game of thrones right the tv series so i'm just saying that that there there i think there is a place for reading um uh because you get to imagine what the words look like and what the world's built in your own head which is different than my friend john down the road when we actually talk about it and it's just kind of interesting to see that creativity comes out of you. So you're part creator in that experience where, where in a movie, you're pretty much a consumer in, in general, watching what someone else's vision is, what, what the book and words look like. But Corey, for education, it's a different story. I, I have, you know, have a PhD in literature. So yes, I understand what you're saying about the arts. And the arts are never going to go away, and they're always going to be in whatever format you enjoy them being in. But for school, for um, for tra corporate training, for all the things where we're trying to bring people into different skills, that's where the technology tools are helpful. Absolutely. Uh, I just I just just totally disagree. I think taught a million people to code. Just it's. You, you, you to know and not to do is not yet to know, you know, or to know is to know what to do. There's no difference between being entertained and being educated in my mind. You've got to keep the person engaged. If you're talking about chaining somebody to a desk and forcing knowledge into them, sure, but they're not developing skills. They're learning how to pass a test. That's completely different. If you want to engage and entertain somebody, it's almost the same. And this you're talking about, about leaving enough space in their mind for their own to make their own connections and creativity is absolutely vital. If you give somebody a full, fully attention grabbing piece of video, and expect them to have creative thought during it. You can't. They're, they're, their attention is fully, fully, um, you know, taken up with that. So there's absolutely space to hear something, to see something, to read something. The space, and it depends what you're trying to learn. Right. So Ben, Ben, um, in the case more than anything, in else. a really extreme case, and I think it's, I think there's three levels we can identify, th almost three states of matter, which is textually, visually, and then experientially like VR, when you talk about flight simulators, a VR flight simulator, I don't, has anyone ever learned to fly an airplane through reading a book? Yes. Uh, oh, yes. no, 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 sorry. Legally? No, 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 not through reading a book, no. No, yes. no, 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 no,
No, no. So, so, so before, okay. Now that's to say the safeties were as high as they were today. But yes, this was how a lot the Simlink trainers back in the day they would actually create entire mechanical things with that because they'd only get about a few days to work on that before they throw a bit of a bomber. No, no. <laughs> the, but Tyler's uh, asking if anyone's learned to fly by by reading a book, and the answer is no, 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 no. Flying authority that and, I'm aware of. And, and well, my point is this, is that the... in the VR space, I, I'm a firm believer, I mean, we're already seeing this, that the, you'll have haptic gloves whereby you will be, imagine any scenario, like a, sur a brain surgeon, and you have these machines that you have to learn to operate. And the point is, is that in the VR space, you'll go into a surgery room, but you'll be in your own bedroom in VR and there will be a machine that you'll go over and touch the machine and you'll feel it through the haptic gloves. Even though that machine doesn't exist in your bedroom, it exists in the VR space and you can engage with it in the VR space with haptic gloves and you can learn to use the tools and everything in the surgery room and the scalpel and the, you know, all of that. And, and a flight, you can learn to be a pilot or a, uh, whatever, you know, there, this kind of endless in terms of what you could learn to do. And that, that's sort of my point is in, in tasks that involve doing stuff, uh, I, I have a hard time imagining that VR won't be the uh, most optimized uh, medium for learning. I have a and, very and, dark and... prediction. If you can make it easy enough or, or articulate each one of the components to a level of skill that essentially that the, it can be uh, communicated with VR, you can also communicate that same thing to a robot at that point. And the problem with a lot of robotics is that essentially it's less the actuators, it's more being able to break down the task of the individual skills. Yeah, and it's really important, uh, Tyler, that you highlighted the, the surgical uh, implications for this because already today, um, surgical faculty attendings are saying that their graduates are terrified of doing their first surgery, pick a surgery, um, unsupervised. And so getting more practice with realistic haptics is going to overcome what's becoming a barrier to surgeons being confident in I their just, skills early I, in their career. I just, can, I can just I push back? Yeah, yeah. One, I just a quick end. I just spoke back? to somebody 12 hours ago who was telling me they quit uh, med school, you know, many years ago, precisely for that reason. Go, go ahead, Chris. Just real quick, Ben, although I typically would agree with you about reading being low bandwidth, it's actually extremely high bandwidth. You know, we're bringing in data visually at billions of megapixels. We're bringing in audio. You know, there's a codec to reading, and that's the challenge, right? There's a codec. You need to learn how to read. It's not like if someone just visually shows you something, you kind of get it, right? You need to learn how to read. So, I agree with you that it seems to be low bandwidth from an analog digital perspective, but it's actually going through a codec called reading. Yeah, absolutely. I think and an audio book thing, is roughly equivalent. So. And I think one thing that is, it's not between book and video. Perhaps both of them could be losing to voice because I look at myself everywhere I go right now, I come to this room because it's so convenient. And I visualize, you know, Tyler just explained to me the Newton laws in a very beautiful way, I'm up in the mountain walking. So as far as the available time that we have to assign to reading, I've never been, you know, this consistent reading book. I've never been this consistent watching TED video, but I've been very consistent, you know, coming to this room, especially to this room, you have to find your own room. But uh, the part the part that about learning, which is going back to Corey's point is about art. Uh, the voice could bring a lot of visualization, imagination to the learning. So, um, 
but yeah, the, it's the, beautiful the concern, when you look at the voice concerning as a thought very that I have is platform. with the smartphone era, it gave an indication, um, kind of just a observational anecdote that the classical mute. Let's use music for example. Music has seemed to evolve oh, since classical music to today's pop music to become more and more. Uh, dopamine spike inducing where classical music. Yeah. Which, well, by the way, I, I know I love classical music. Danceable. I love jazz, uh, but those um, genres I believe are not um, competitive in the marketplace because of their have very uh, slower dopamine cycles. I think they're in, in no way inferior. I think they're in many ways superior, but, on a, it would be very interesting to see a dopamine, uh, serotonin responses to classical music and today's pop music, and how that might explain the evolution of music over time as being more and more in this quick hit, you know, um, dopamine uh, um, triggering type of experiences. Similar with the video game development over time, where we went from Pong into you know wherever we are now, and the idea is. That in VR, that will that the experiences we will gravitate to in VR, as rats as we are in this maze of technology, we're gonna run to the lever that gives us the the most um, refined cocaine or heroin, <laughs> rather than the uh, we're not gonna be running to the room in the maze with the very watered down um, you know stimulants, so to speak. So that that's where i get a little concerned is uh there just seems to be a pattern that i think uh developers need to become a bit aware of and, and the problem is they are going to become aware of it and that and the video game developers are aware of it most of all and it's um how how do we come how do how do we avoid falling into that trap of the rat you know endlessly hitting the cocaine lever you know to uh so i did a start I with addiction therapy it's very brief. I did, I did start with addiction therapy stuff and just some consulting work with them. One of the interesting things we came across with research uh, when we were looking at this was there was a um, uh, they actually did the rat study with uh, with the, you know the, the you know the pull the, uh, you know do, do the lever essentially get the hit of uh, term or which stimulant they were using, but it was some addictive substance. One of the things they found was interesting was that uh, the rats that essentially that were isolated in their chambers actually will, would tended to basically have very strong reactions and during withdrawal essentially they weren't able to like resist the uh, uh, resist the hit. But the rats essentially had had essentially larger rat communities essentially where they like you know had uh, more of their friends and family essentially. Um, they were actually able to actually break addiction cycles with that much much easier. Um, so there's probably something there about having social bonds or community aspects with you know that have you know other mechanisms for having that that sort of brain hit of dopamine. Okay, somebody in the the right, dopamine. I'm sorry, just simply the amount the, the squirt you're talking about depends on where the emotional where you're where you're eliciting the emotional connection. So that that's what's that's why not all of these uh, interactions uh, have the same power. I mean, that's something that, you know, quite frankly, as the browser, <laughs> freaking grandpa, David, as the browser kind of became available, the, the back in the 90s, it, it, we were talking about the interactive media that that was it was all, you know, personalization, all those kind of came after that in terms of what are we going to use this stuff for? But the, the power of that click, the, the, the reason for why we're trying to click, you know, now it's the, the screen phone, right? The phone on the screen of your phone. But that's that's it's, it's all 
it's all about that. Every, everything now is about that. So that's that's just something that is out of our control now. The the the, the uh, it's the it's almost Pandora's box in the sense that you know what what you put behind the screen is really going to drive you know the, yeah. the, the your addictions. And Someone like in the Maybe audience really. kind uh, Mr. Jackson kindly DM'd me an article about how the Chinese um, People Liberations Army Navy Air Force pilot cadets train using virtual reality headsets to uh, provide 3D imagery, uh, etc. So uh, thank you for that. There, there are some aircraft. It's the only way you can learn. I, I nearly bought a share in something called an Ego. It's gone bust now. I'm glad I didn't. But that was a plane here in Cambridge, a, a single-seater fiberglass light aircraft. And uh, when I said, well, how do I learn to fly? It's only got one seat. They said, well, if you've got more than 200 hours, I said, well, yes, thanks. They said, well, if you've got X-Plane, a computer game, I said, yes, thanks. They said, well, we're going to give you a model of the plane on X-Plane. You go play it till you're happy with it, have a chat with our test pilot, and off you go. So if I don't, if that simulation doesn't work properly, I die. It's as simple as that. So I'm the next big article at the moment is the uh, uh, Google contract workers in Pittsburgh uh, have ratified a three-year deal with their employer HCL for higher wages and more nearly two years after unionizing and a look at Intel's dismal 2020, which saw delays in its seven nanometer architecture, Apple's switch to ARM-based chips and the departure of Jim Keller and other execs. And from Forbes, a something called Modern Animal, a pet care service offering 24 seven telemedicine and more intelligent labor model for veterinarians raises $40 million uh, by Founders Fund. It's essentially telemedicine for pets, yeah, which is fantastic. And then a Southeast Asia. Oh, here, here. I like this one. Um, a Southeast Asia. Uh, sorry, as Southeast Asian governments introduced fake news laws to fight COVID nineteen misinformation, conspiracists thrive on Telegram and other non-public platforms, and that's very true in Thailand today. There's actually a headline in Thailand today, in the past twenty four hours. Let me pull it up and read it. I read it uh, a few hours ago. So give me two seconds. But basically, journalists are um, asking the prime minister to get, let them, um, you know, be critical. And and they're wor worried because the government, oh, now, now the government, uh, nine hours ago, the headline is, government says it's okay to criticize them if it's fact-based. <laughs> but you're not allowed to uh, it's okay to criticize the government, such as the health minister, who recently suggested huge crowds of people were an optical illusion. But um, you can't criticize them if it's not based on facts. And if you do, you're in deep shit. So the journalists are walking a tightrope in some Southeast Asian countries. Uh, and here's the article from yesterday. Fake news is banned in Thailand. The Thai media say order infringes on freedoms. The Thai government is cracking down on so-called fake news, making it illegal. Actually, you go to jail if you write a fake news article. An order was published in the Royal Gazette banning the distribution of false information. So uh, journalists have, have their work cut out for them. Uh, and they're asking for a little more leniency because they don't want to step over the line and find themselves uh, living behind bars. But uh, back to the headline of the moment, the fake news laws are failing to stem the misinformation in Southeast Asia. Singapore's conspiracists thrive on Telegram, while a punk rocker and former health official drive rumors in Indonesia is the headline. So I'm sending that out. And Telegram is... ...rely on entirely neutral fact-based advertising that never, ever exaggerates anything for their financial gain. 
the the I I yeah, and there's a chart of Indonesia's COVID cases, which looks a lot like Thailand's, where we were all doing so well until uh, Delta came along, and boy oh boy, it's 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 a whole new world here. In Telegram, there are no community guidelines to control the narratives. It's a truly free world here, as one Singaporean says, but. Uh, yeah, it's a different issue than when the journalists of the big uh, papers are creating narratives, I guess. So not totally a fair comparison. The That's it. Well, no. China's top court issues new guidelines that hotels, airports, and other commercial venues must get consent from customers to use facial recognition. Okay, so it's... it's uh... The Facebook's future prospects remain strong as the secular rise of digital advertising blunts any headwinds from regulators, Apple critics, and others. Um, um, Binance says it will wind down its futures in derivatives products in Germany, Italy, and the Netherlands. Um, 48 civil rights and advocacy groups asked the FTC to ban corporate facial surveillance technology and continues corporate surveillance of public space. Snapchat says it resolved an issue that prevented some Snapchat users from logging in and advises others to manually update the app if it issues pursuing. Canada proposes the creation of digital safety commissioner role to oversee violations of new harmful online content rules and issue penalties to platforms, which is an early indicator that they're going to be moving to a verified identity system for social media, just as Australia is planning to do. So, um now that's the big headlines that your cousins and co-workers are talking about but we being the geeks who really uh can tell what a good headline is from a bad one there's a, the co-workers and and your cousins are missing out actually on on the majority of the actually interesting headlines and so before i get into my very deep stack of fantastically interesting headlines cherry picked out from all of the tweets that everyone's sending in all 24 hours a day to the tech news twitter account anyone have one that they are particularly anxious to share okay i just shared one about 5g tyler and 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 huawei let me find it give me two two I, i i just tweeted it i dm'd you i was interested i'm interested in 5g and uh Latest Huawei smartphone flagship yeah. does not have 5G because yes. of U.S. sanctions. Just, Pretty, uh, just retweeting surprising. it. And it's, yeah, it's precisely that. And it's because the uh, Qualcomm apparently has sort of a patent uh, that, and they're not able to, due to the sanctions, to even sell it to Huawei, even if they wanted to. And so, ironically, Huawei is one of the two companies, you know, that leading the 5G transmitter, you know, antennas get their own phones don't have the 5g chips to <laughs> operate on them so all china's you know has not been shy about uh putting out headlines that they have the largest deployment of 5g uh but they can't use it <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's kind of ironic uh that they've got a hundred thousand 5g antennas in china that are useless for the for the foreseeable future so, um, yeah, I just tweeted that one out. Thank you for that. And let's jump into these. So these are in no particular order, actually. Very entirely random, actually. Um, the first one uh, from Katerina, the headline is, Obesity doesn't always mean ill health. Here's what scientists are learning. And we can, obviously we can debate this one. It says, research on DNA 
animals and people could lead to rethinking medical care, medical care around obesity. And those rose, they rose to fame as the world's first fattest mice at around 130 grams. The rodents were called the equivalent of 600 pound in humans, says diabetes researcher Philip Shearer. They, they were born to genetically engineered mouse parents in a lab at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. One set of parents lacked a hormone leptin, an appetite suppressant that signals when it's time to stop eating. The other parents overproduced the hormone adiponectin, churned out by fat cells, which is thought to support metabolic health, protecting against obesity-linked diseases such as diabetes too. The mice pups melded with their parents' traits. They ate con con constantly and became obese. But unlike other leptin-deficient mice and people, the animals had healthy cholesterol and blood glucose levels and didn't develop metabolic illness such as type 2 diabetes. They were exceptionally, quote-unquote, healthy, Shearer says, though he wonders whether it's possible to be truly well while carrying such a considerable fat burden. Despite the metabolic health, the mice didn't live a normal lifespan. Their weight left them so off balance that they often ripped or I'm sorry, flipped over and got stuck, causing dehydration and death. Still to sure, who described the animals in 2007 and continues to study them today, the rodents sharpened an emerging message for people as well as mice. Weight and health can be uncoupled. Many researchers and doctors in broader societies take it as given that obesity means ill health. In fact, says Ruth Luce, who studies the genetics of obesity at the University of Copenhagen, we can be obese but remain healthy. And the article goes on and on and on. So I just retweeted that one. And thank you to Katarina for that interesting article. And the next one up, Oh, is a really interesting look at a medical VR app uh, that somebody sent in while we were talking about medical VR stuff. And so you can see what a floating skull with the eye and the nerves and the, you can see all of the nerves of the head um, in this interesting 3D model and things like that. So I'll tweet that out. Thank you to whoever sent that in. And what else do we got here? Yeah, we got the the obesity one. Twitter offers bug bounty to spot fixes of AI bias. We covered that in the top stories. Hey, Tyler, I had one healthcare one that was okay. uh, health news. Um, uh -huh. So, you know, we talk a lot about healthcare and AI and sort of what's exciting, but also kind of concerning. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I tweeted out just a few minutes ago um, the MIT Tech Review article that actually uh, – highlighted a study done by the Turing Institute uh, mm -hmm. in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, and they looked at all the major AI tools that have been built to help frontline uh, healthcare workers, in, you know, in terms of diagnosing or triaging patients with COVID. Mm -hmm. And none of them worked. Mm. And so what happened was, just like a lot of things that we were doing, sort of in the moment, trying to help these frontline people that were just so overwhelmed uh, we essentially went forward with what we thought would be a good way to do it which would be let's take the information from the medical record and use that to predict whether somebody has covid or not or ask them a set of questions you know everybody who's anybody that's been to a doctor's office remembers all these questions that they ask like oh you know like have you been sick recently blah 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 well none of those ai based versions of that actually uh, had 
a major impact in terms of diagnosing or triaging correctly. And this, it goes, the Turing Institute article goes into much, much more detail, but it kind of explains that, you know, garbage in, garbage out, like AI itself is, is only so helpful. And these weren't truly clinically validated. So, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, I haven't those read the questions article. did have a very valuable function though. They discharge legal liability, which was the most important lesson of all. Uh, yeah, and, and I know, John, go ahead. Yeah, well, I haven't read the article yet, but but I have I have sort of a different interpretation of the article as you as you represented it, and that is that the human body has a restricted set of final common pathways to react to a pathogen of any kind, whether it's a virus, a bacteria, or whatever. And the way that our microbiome, our immune system, and our genome respond to a pathogen determines what array of those final common pathways each individual responds to. And so it's not necessarily that the training data set was bad. It's that the many-to-many relationship between the pathogen and that limited set of constrained archetypal responses that we have as humans to a pathogenic invasion is such a complex array itself that differentiating one infection from another based upon that many-to-many arrayed relationship is just too big of a challenge. So if we start looking at the uh, the volatile organics that we expire, and you know, there's studies showing that dogs and artificial uh, VOC sensors can begin to look at at more specific profiles of the response in our exhaled breath. Things like that will be more helpful in terms of rapid differentiation of what's COVID and what's not than the array of symptoms, which is just um, you know, too complex in the many, many, many to many array to have the kind of sensitivity and specificity necessary to make a, uh, an augmentation uh, in the diagnosis. So I'm not surprised at the results of the study, but it isn't necessarily that the data input is the problem. It's that the human biologic responses to pathogens um, are, both, are both patterned and yet arrayed differently based upon the individual. No, absolutely. I will say that there's been, you know, there's no shortage of tech folks that uh, have come to me and others and, and talked about how chatbots <laughs> will save healthcare. And I think that that's a, a good dream. But I think this study kind of showed that specifically, like you said, without actual data, actual primary data, looking at beyond just symptoms, to your point, John, you're absolutely right. I think that's the main thing that we should take away from this. But the point is that uh, that these chatbots and these triage algorithms and these sort of just asking you, hey, what's wrong with you and figuring out what's going on, there is an aspect of medicine that goes beyond just the conversation. And I think that that's really what we're learning here. But Danish, isn't it the limitation of any AI system that it's, uh, it's not effective against any novel uh, problem? Uh, and coronavirus being the novel virus with spike protein, I think haven't, hasn't yet interacted with human body at scale. So there could be I, a problem. I would say, Armish, I'm, again, I'm a very big believer in AI. I'm not trying to be like the, the grumpy doc uh, that's like, you know, old school. But I'm just saying the, in fact, I would say the opposite, which is AI is built to take into account previous information to address new, you know, or priors to address new situations and and some people would say that perhaps it's even set up and i know ben would probably say this depending on whether you use reinforcement learning or not it perhaps is even set up better than a human that would then use those biases to go down the wrong direction so i i do 
I do want to say that there's nothing inherently wrong with the algorithms themselves. I think what's wrong is the data sets that we're using, to your point. But the thing that's confusing with this Turing Institute article is how we put these into practice. We saw they weren't working and we just continued to do it. And maybe Chris is right. Maybe it was about liability, but I'd be surprised because at the end of the day, okay. it still sits on the doctor's malpractice. Next interesting headline is electronic car maker Rivian in early talks for UK factory. And this is backed by Amazon. It's basically Amazon's version of Tesla. Uh, and it, and they're starting with this very cool looking truck, um, which you can see Uh if you check out the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW, I just tweeted it. Thank you to Faraz for that one. And that is indeed news about uh, doing them out of a UK factory. And the next one, also from Faraz, from Bloomberg, anti-vax app squares off with Google and Apple over misinformation. Unjected uh, is the name of the app, and it bills itself as a unjected. What a, what a great name instead of injected. <laughs> wow, there's a lot of puns to be made there, actually. But um, Unjected bills itself as a community for medical autonomy. <laughs> that, that's one way to intellectualize uh, your 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 views. Uh, medical autonomy and put the brakes on vaccine mandates. Uh, let, let's let's have a looky loo at this and see what the it says. Um, and oh, it's paywalled. A new social app designed as a community for the unvaccinated is testing Google and Apple's policies concerning the spread of misinformation about COVID-19 and vaccines. They probably don't want to get themselves wrapped up in that one. Um, and then the next one, also from Faraz, he's on a bit of a roll. Israel-linked oil tanker was targeted by drones, the U.S. says. What does the article say? It's another one. Vessel, oop, I just accidentally closed it. There it goes. Vessel linked to um, A.L. Ofer, one of Israel's richest men. The U.S. Navy is escorting damaged tanker to safe harbor. And the U.S. Navy experts believe a drone struck an oil tanker with links to an Israeli billionaire. Uh, this week, the Associated Press reported citing American military. This starts to get way more interesting than you many people probably realize. And I'll just take one minute to explain that this is very much the essence of the core of the predictions of Peter Zihan and his book, Disunited Nations, which is that the U.S. is going to um, wind down its role post-World War II as the police of the high seas of the deep blue seas where basically all of the boom in the international trade of importing and exporting was essentially enabled by the fact that U S is brought peace to the oceans and stopped activities like this, which used to run rampant uh, before world war one. And uh, which is why you didn't have as much international trade. <laughs> so uh, now that we're winding down our role as the police of the oceans, as really one of the only countries that are able to do so, um, this is going to become a, a, an hourly occurrence in the near future. And that means every, you're either going to have to have a Navy that can protect your imports and exports. Nobody does. Or you're not going to be doing importing and exporting across oceans. You're going to, have to be forced to do it over lands or very short distances um, with your local neighbors. And um, 
and in this case, this this happened off the coast of Iman, not so far from Israel itself. Israel doesn't really have that big of a navy, especially on the coast of Iman. So it's um, something to pay attention to. A, another data point to 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 uh, or headline that came out ooh, about five months ago was a South Korean oil tanker in nearly the exact same location um, was hit not by drones. Um, but by Iran, and America did nothing. And in this case, America is using its navy to escort this oil tanker because uh, Israel is, you know, an ally in the region. And South Korea is is still a bit perplexing as to why America didn't come in to support the a, a South Korean oil tanker. America didn't even bother to make a comment about it, and um. Yeah, it, it, uh, Faraz is saying this guy is the wealthiest guy in Israel. That probably has something to do with it. I would uh, be happy to take a wager that he probably is a large donator to American politicians. That might have something to do with it as well. And um, But uh, this is going to be an incredibly fascinating space to watch, which is America no longer defending activities uh, on the high seas. And it will start with oil tankers, most notably. And you can, yeah, go ahead. There was there was a, a documentary that came out. It was, a, it was a little short. It was more of a drama type kind of thing, but it was called Fishing Without Nets. It was covering the uh, uh, Somali pirate attacks, attacks, but from the Somali pirates' perspective, it was really interesting. But uh, uh, Fishing Without Nets. But one of the things that was intriguing about that is I'm looking at, the, they actually covered a number of the financial parts about it. Is like how much do they need for fuel for the little boat? How much do they pay for AK-47s for life insurance policies or the equivalent essentially with, you know, when, you, when you're very impoverished for if you're doing a siege of a, of a ship with the ransom cuts and everything. And then you have to basically be willing to go through months and months and months of negotiations for all this with groups that aren't supposed to negotiate, et cetera. And it's very labor intensive, everything. Comparing it to the cost of, say, here's my little tiny drone that just so happens to be in a little floating thing that's up, there's a vessel going by, up up you go. I mean, like, what, this is less than, what, 300 bucks, $1,000 or so to cause that amount of damage? I mean, this is cheaper than Somalian pirate raids. <laughs> so that, that should affect essentially some of the, 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 the context of where we see these things. One of the fascinating things about the Somalian uh, piracy uh, uh, enterprise is its is its pedigree it started off so somalia remains one of the toxic dumping grounds of the world so ships loaded with toxic waste from around the world that don't want to pay for its proper disposal ferry it over to somalia and dump it off the coast they've ruined the fishing economy they've ruled ruined local economies and the pirate trade originated in the local people trying to protect their their waters from this illegal toxic dumping and then it emerged into the extortionary trade that exists today hey tyler the united states navy has gotten very concerned about the growth of of the the chinese navy and everything china's doing in in the china okay and it's only a question of whether it's congressional appropriations to kind of catch up but there's a growing recognition that the United States Navy is falling behind China. So I'm not, you know, unless we think we can do that with drones. If you uh, read Disunited Nations or watch Peter Zihan's videos about Disunited Nations on YouTube, he talks to all of this and he he goes over every one of uh, China's vessels and all of the American vessels and the simulations of what would happen depending on which countries get involved. 
in different parts of the world, China needs to, and it knows it needs, and it's and it's putting an incredible amount of focus and attention and resources behind developing their navy because they want to continue importing and exporting when America is not protecting their imports and exports, and especially their oil import and exports because they get about fifty percent of their oil from the Persian Gulf, which has to go around uh, India. And then over the Straits of Malacca, over the coast of Sumatra, around Singapore and all the way up to Beijing. And they have built a pipeline from Myanmar. So they don't no longer have to go through the Strait of Malacca around Singapore up to Beijing. They can stop the boat right in just after Bangladesh in Myanmar. And there's a pipeline goes right up to Kuming, China now, which, by the way, the Myanmar uh, people are now attacking because they believe that China's behind the military coup. Um, to build the hydroelectric jam that China wanted to build. And so and Chinese factories are currently on the ground. And the news here in this part of the world is that the people of Myanmar have come to the conclusion that the Chinese are the provocateurs of the military coup. And so now they're attacking all of the Chinese businesses, warehouses, infrastructure, dams, and oil pipelines uh, within Myanmar. Um, And that's the... The point is that's uh, also w- once you understand uh, the Belt and Road Initiative, you look at the map very closely and why they, they focused on Pakistan and Sri Lanka and Myanmar. Um, it's because they're going to have to figure out a way to either get their oil through Pakistan, through the back door of China, essentially, because Pakistan borders with China in the kind of Himalayas there through, you know, and so they can. They can bring it from the Middle East through Pakistan, over the mountains, through the back, you know, the kind of far west part of China through Tibet or go around down to Sri Lanka, which they overtook. The, they now control the port in Sri Lanka at the southern tip of India and then up to Myanmar uh, and then into that oil pipeline. And so they're reducing their exposure to the time of uh, kind of naval passage, you know trying to do it all by land if possible and that's a then you the belt and road makes a lot more sense when you understand that they're you know uh look at what they're doing and realize what happens if you know uh people you know a pirate would just imagine what happens when american navy is no longer playing its traditional role and they're going to want to do a lot of their everything over land and sea as they always have they've never been a naval country they've been very traditionally a um done trade by land um so uh, hence the old silk road and hence the new silk road that's why the belt and road initiative is called the new silk road but uh yeah just something is yes sorry, go ahead sorry, kind of, sorry 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 brother first of all i've been really busy on zoom calls i haven't been able to put so much input but on the on the original headline on the israel part there's an important point to note there um whether the u.s steps in or not you, you have to be very um uh, cognizant of the Abraham Accords now, right? Because you have the UAE involved in the Israeli Abraham Accords and with the United Arab Emirates. And what a lot of people don't know is fine. You don't have private capital flowing too much between the two nations, but the two nations have a lot of sovereign capital flowing between them, between the United Arab Emirates and between Israel. So whether the US steps in or not, I'm, I'm quite confident of it. Over the next two to three days, you'll see headlines coming out of the United Arab Emirates and certain various other nations such as Bahrain, where there will be inquiries being done and the Israeli prime minister or the Israeli government will step in and they'll ask for help. And there'll be, there'll, there'll be a whole bunch of uh, nations stepping forward to assist the Israelis in, in, in this part of the world. I'll stop yeah, there. And can, can I just add something onto that? I mean, before there was the Abraham Accords, 
the UA the UAE uh, used to there were they they used to give quote cover to the Israeli ships by they would own them or they would have an agreement so when they were passing in the waters they were absolutely they were UAE ships but in fact Ayala offer owned a lot of them as well as some of the other big uh, shippers out of Israel and so they used to go into Dubai do their trade between there and and India and that was all done in there so they have a very long standing relationship Thank with you, the Israelis Donna. in shipping Thank you. You've actually put it much better than I have because Eyal has a very long-standing relationship. Eyal's um, has been coming and going for a very long time um, from the region. So yes, you're absolutely correct with that. This is also the second time in a few weeks that one of their uh, ships were targeted. Another was uh, carrying a Liberian yeah. flag. Yeah, there was a discussion in Justin's room just a, a couple of days back when Ken, uh, who closely watches Turkey, uh, we, we, it, it came out that uh, Turkey and uh, Israel, when they go out and sell their uh, arms offensive drones, what's the problem they are facing? Buyers are saying that, okay, uh, these are, drones are good, but they are not battle tested. So what's going to happen in coming days is that Turkey is going to sell and uh, flow uh, these small war zone and shipping areas with their offensive drones. And uh, uh, Israel would uh, try to offload their uh, anti-drone system so that it gets uh, stamped, labeled as war-tested, combat-tested before they turn up to bigger yes, market. Now like, reported uh, that India, two uh, people these. were killed in the drone attack on the tanker, which uh, the, the one that we just discussed. Uh, yeah. Also, Tyler, just, just out of curiosity, I mean, with these drones, and you know more about this, on the drone topic, how easy is it? I mean, I heard in some of the earlier rooms where if I wasn't that um, participative, how easy it is to track these drones? I mean, you could essentially have a toy that anyone could use or, I mean, not on, on a tanker, obviously, but which kind of drone would be needed? Um, how big would it have to be? Is there any way to trace which sovereign would be involved, whether it could be militia from where, et cetera, et cetera? There's satellites involved. It wouldn't be that difficult to be able to identify which, which nation or, or which part of the I disagree. Uh, part of the um, drones have drones become incredibly from, right? modular. Um, you can buy a, a, a completed drone, you know, from DJI or their competitors. Uh, but I imagine in these cases, it's uh, for professional drone enthusiasts. Um, they look at people who use those as hobbyists and that the real drone enthusiasts build their own drones. And so they've become completely modularized and they're rather simple affairs. There's not that many parts, honestly. There's the propellers, there's the frame, there's the camera. There's the battery and the real magic's the flight computer, basically the yeah. thing that, that that controls it and and those are very inexpensive and and it costs about two hundred ish two fifty three hundred if you want the good battery <laughs> you know to build one of these modular drones and you do it with a soldering gun basically and you could um, hit an oil tanker with this thing yeah so sure. that's the crazy part so so here's the thing so just very briefly 20 seconds explosive design so explosions can go in every which direction if you shape the charge to go in one direction you can and pack all the power into one place you only need something about the size of a hand grenade to essentially take out a tanker because it's not a matter of you have to sink the entire thing all you need to do is punch a hole and the thing is that essentially because the, uh, the the tankers are designed to basically survive ocean and currents and stuff, but they aren't designed to basically hold up against military-grade assault, it's the equivalent of essentially a bazooka. When you think of like a bazooka, 
you're literally just basically the majority of it is just a delivery device. It's just basically getting from point A to point B. That's the majority of the mass. The actual charge, the actual thing itself is smaller than a hand grenade and is very small. And all of it, and that's the same amount of cargo you can put on like a, as a payload instead of putting a, you know, a big extra honking camera on a drone, you swap that with a payload of a shaped charge and you're good. And then it's just a matter of getting point A to point B. And that's all it is. It's, it's just the shape of a bottom of a... origination, right? This doesn't even have to be Oman originated. It could have come from... Any yeah, other yeah. country. So, so one of the things they teach to essentially for for um, for uh, uh, for like uh, guerrilla war fighting is how to basically take a hand grenade and melt it on your kitchen stove and turn it into a shaped charge. I mean, this is not exactly well, complex well, stuff. My grandfather was in the Corps of Engineers, and you know, all you need is the bottom of a champagne uh, bottle. That yep. shape is a shaped charge. Yeah, the telephone poles. There's all sorts of things to then provide stuff. The key part about this is that probably the only component in the entire drone that can be traced. As like as far as the supply chain is the flight controller chip. The problem is is that you could use flight controller chips from like the 1980s level of technology. So it's not that hard to even if they have something that's not even special purpose or parts. But I mean, the uh, the motors, the frame, uh, the even the guidance systems that you use for like the the target acquisition aspect. I mean that can there are dumb ways of doing that. The flight controller is the only component there that's actually kind of pseudo new. But even that one's pretty commonly available and won't be hard to, to, to improvise uh, legitimate versions of the supply chains for producing huge quantities. So, I mean, yeah, not going to be something easy to track. They, they fly pretty low. In summation, we're all screwed because anyone could cause a drone attack from anywhere and then the whole world could go at war. No, that's why, no, that's, why no Chris says every, that's why Chris says every building in the future is going to have a net around it. <laughs> right. For us, let's talk more later with things. I'm working on transportation technologies. They, ha- got they have about a 10-kilometer range is sort of the far end of the range uh, at the moment. So, yeah. Currently. So, yeah. Can, I, can I jump in for a second? Go for it. Yeah, so this is the name. Uh, that's why, uh, I, you know, there was a, there's been a lot of conversation about should we monitor control components of drones or should we create and invest in anti-drone technologies? So if you guys check it out, and I tweeted it a couple of weeks ago, uh, the number of startups working on anti-drone technology has quadrupled in the last 18 months, and particularly in India in the last six months because of the attack on the Air Force Base in Kashmir. So uh, the Indian defense establishments uh, is actually seed funding several startups in anti-drone technologies. So weird prediction that you see like anti-drone, they typically look at weapon systems or like, you know, radars or jammers or little EMP things. And honestly, a lot of these aren't terribly effective. Lasers kind of kind of an interesting thing, but they're just too expensive. Well, I think that's actually, I think one of the things you'll see that's a little counterintuitive, you can actually have drones take out other drones. So you might end up having like, you know, if you're on every oil tanker, there might just be a shipping container there that just so happens to have its little drone defense system. It's just monitoring the size of the ship. And it's like, oh, there's something I see flying up in the, in, in, in the water right there. Ship out the little, you know, anti-drone drone. <laughs> it's going to get to be really funky. I think it was, Guys, I think just, that's just, where it's just going. One, just one quick second. Tyler, do you know of any, uh, any major startups that we've seen in the world that are coming up with anti-drone technology or recognition technology? No. I've not yet seen anyone build a startup months. around it. There's been we've seen headlines of countries flexing, making kind of PR puff pieces that they have uh, anti-drone technologies, but I've not seen a startup dedicated to it, like VCs funding and whatnot. But uh, that might be a good space to get into.
in weapons contracts, which is very different from solving a problem. If you're just trying to get something shiny that makes the general say we're doing something, you can make a lot of money just by doing something that looks like you're flashing around. If you actually wanted to solve the problem, you're going to take a much more aggressive uh, technique so, about it and redesign and, and the systems. It's, it's, it's going to have to address a very, very challenging use case. And the use case that represents the ultimate challenge is a drone carrying a dirty bomb. So you can't just blow it up yeah. because you can see it. And so how you safely capture and disable it is really okay. the challenging technology. Yeah. yeah. We, we, somebody EMP else, said, our friend Johan suggested the same. That you have an electric uh, pulse grenade or something of that type that would uh, kind of stop it from functioning Sure, EMP. But the, the dirty, Maybe not, the payload, not, not an electric go off pulse is bomb. The challenge yeah. that John's talking about, not, right? Not, not, not necessarily. Yeah, exactly. Also, uh, the military. So, so guys, uh, sorry, I'm trying off to off directed uh, energy weapons recently as well, which you can just shoot them out of the sky instantly. So that's something they're working on. These drones fly yeah, this low, so the traditional air defense system doesn't work. So the problem with what India faces with the drones, they are like typical delivery drones. Someone is standing across the border and managing those. So it come and drop, it come loaded with 5, 5 kg RDX. So you can't even track it. The only solution is to put bounties nowadays with guns, anti-drone guns on the border and just track them and shoot them down. So as opposed to the drones which fly pretty high with, with all the radar system. So we're facing different sort of problems at different region. Uh, and uh, that's, a, that's a main problem. Only S-400 has some capabilities to, uh, uh, the Russian air defense system has some capability which were used in this Armenia-Azerbaijan war. But the, the rest of the drones which are doing damage at India, it's like pretty delivery drones are man getting managed. So that's, or you can uh, train uh, eagles to take them down. That's fun to watch. There you go. There you, now we're talking. The... I'm imagining the Pizza Hut drones of the future having bounties taken out of them. It's like, I don't want the Domino's thing to be delivered right here with things. Oh, Pizza Hut's taking out this one. And then, you know, it's a cyberpunk future where they're taking bounties on terms. Sorry, bro. You were saying something, Tyler. Oh, the inevitable easy prediction is that it's it's inevitable that we'll have like a, a drone terrorism event in, in, in the continental U.S. And that will lead to until that happens, there, we're not likely to see, you know, really strong um political kind of regulations but it, when that does happen and it could be you know a, a school one of these incel types who go you know traditionally load up on, with guns of different types you know or the traditional you know postal worker who or the uh school shooter scenarios you know inevitably one of those is going to get replaced with a drone uh or a drone swarm and and or just domestic terrorism within the continental U.S. And then at that point, you're going to see the, you know, the entire government go berserk in terms of uh, regulating the the whole drone space in the U.S. anyways. But I, it'll be I, I'm curious so, to see what what is so, what is so, India doing now that they've been attacked at least once there up at the Jammu Air Force Base. So, so this this is Vinay, and, and there's actually several uh, anti-drone uh, regulations of where you can fly them in in a city like Bangalore. You've got to take permits for drones; they can only be flown indoors during a functions for camera recording. But uh, somebody was asking about startups. Uh, I do know one particular startup uh, in anti-drone, specifically they're in unmanned systems. Um, and if anybody's really interested in it, just do it. DM me on it. Uh, I I can't disclose the name uh, publicly. Okay. 
<laughs> that sounds curious. Um, so the next big headline from Florina from Wired says, unlike the ice found in your freezer or at the North Pole, supersonic ice is black and hot. A uh, cube of it would weigh four times as much as a normal ice and scientists think that it might be among the most abundant forms of water in the universe called supersonic Whoa. ice. And a Hong Kong man, uh, according to the Wall Street Journal from Dr. Fran, a Hong Kong man arrested on suspicion of booing the Chinese national anthem during the the performance of the national anthem uh, in, the, in this kind of medal award ceremony. Police say the they arrested a 40-year-old after a video circulated of people waving a colonial Hong Kong flag and jeering when the anthem played during an Olympics, you know, uh, award uh, when they were giving the gold medal to somebody from China. People in Hong Kong were caught on video waving a Hong Kong flag and uh, uh, booing or jeering, and so somebody, a 40-year-old man in Hong Kong has been arrested in relation to that, so no doubt we'll see a, an update in the future, a future headline related to that, I'm sure. iPhone 13 leak alert from Donish. The Forbes says they have a new Apple leak revealing the iPhone 13 release surprise, which is what exactly? iPhone, Apple 13 release just took a sudden surprising twist. Oh boy, that that's... Um, that's got me wondering. Here, let's see what it says. With Apple recently confirming the new iPhone production delays, Apple fans may have to wait longer and pay more to get their hands on the iPhone 13, but a new leak has delivered a surprising Apple release update. Consistently reliable Apple leaker has revealed that iPhone fans will have a silver lining when Apple announces its iPhone 13 range, including AirPod 3, will launch alongside it, arguably the only tech product which can compete with the new iPhone for attention. The arrival of a third-generation iPods will over millions... That's a typo. Will over millions of iPhone fans um, some solace after Apple CFO uh, confirmed that ongoing chip shortage will primarily impact iPad and iPhone production ahead of the Christmas rush. We expect supply constraints during the September quarter to be greater than what we expected during the June quarter. And the CFO explained on an earnings call after the Apple announced a blockbuster Q2 financial results, the constraints will primarily impact iPhone and iPad. Interestingly, the iPods 3 may have already been delayed after multiple industry sources claimed they were originally going to be released in April. The flip side, however, is that two of the world's hottest tech products now look to set to launch together for the first time, and the leaker has recent uh, form having corrected leaked the arrival of Apple's new iMac and its choice of chipset ahead of its Apple revealing little is actually known about the iPods 3. Leaks claim it will have a more rounded design akin to AirPods Pro with wireless charging as a standard and a higher price tag, but we have not seen the same flurry of leaks as those surrounding Apple's next-gen iPhones. Indeed, Apple internal. well, this is a headline that we had about three months ago, which was Apple was really starting to crack down on their uh, leaks internally. And they came up with a very, you remember this, Cal? We got into this whole, uh, where Apple was, it came up with a really clever strategies yeah, about yeah, how yeah. to find out where all of these leaks were coming from. Because a year ago during iPhone 12, oh boy, where the leaks were coming fast and furiously. And now not so much. So it seems Apple's actually has uh, 
either plugged the holes or removed the moles or disincentivized uh, kind of whatever was the source of the leaks. Yeah. Quite manipulative, really, what they have to do with their so, employees, right? Like, I mean, just seeding, seeding things inside their employees. And I'm like, I just the trust levels. I, I, I'm just curious what the impact yeah, it's, of it's, having solved that issue is in the, on the trust levels. They they plant like fake. Right. Um, they they give certain employees certain versions of the devices, the objects in the rooms where they're not supposed to leave. You know, like they put things in the rooms that can be seen. It's um, you know, <laughs> I'm just curious if maybe they just pay off Guoming Cho to not uh, report on it anymore, and they'd solve the leak problem right away. Yeah, the other. What we noticed was on the last year, it was really interesting that there was an Apple event was announced. A bunch of the tech press said, ah, oh, this event is coming. And then Apple said, no, it's not. Uh, that was just basically we were trying to figure, we put out a whole bunch of dates. To, and then now we know who the leaker is because you said it's, you know, April 12th. And so now we know who April 12th was. They, you know, they work in the you know, chip department. And so now we have our leaker. So they recalled the event because it wasn't a real event. It was just, they send out a whole bunch of dates to different departments. And then they figured out which department's doing the leak. Very clever. And this next one will be the one that, that they finally launched the Apple glasses with. It'll be at the next event after the next event after the next event. Yeah, yeah. And this time they'll launch the glasses. <laughs> well, Facebook, uh, Mark Zuckerberg has just said himself, they're launching the glasses with Ray-Ban uh, AR glasses before, sure before the end of the year. So we have that to look forward to. Snapchat also has their glasses. Niantic, uh, which is the maker of Pokemon Go, also has their glasses. And it's looking like Apple. And for the first few hundred customers, it'll be fantastic. <laughs> and it looks like Apple will not have them ready for the iPhone uh, annual event, which happens in early September. So we'll have to wait until WWDC or around April of next year for Apple's uh, entry into VR AR. Although they will no doubt will talk a whole lot about AR at the iPhone event. And this that's a very easy prediction that they will... Uh, the next, the iPhone 13 keynote will feature heavily kind of the AR aspects of things as they uh, really start to put a lot more emphasis on that. So thank you for that, Dr. Donish, on the Apple 13, iPhone 13. And then Eric sent in this one from spectrumiee.org. The future of deep learning is photonic. Computing with light could slash the energy needs of neural networks. The basic computing unit in the device is an optical element called a beam splitter, although its makeup is, in fact, more complicated. You can think of it as a half-silvered mirror set at a 45-degree angle. And a similar headline, a Tesla car mysteriously slows down mid-road for no good reason, but one, a rider using a Tesla autopilot system noticed his car was slowing down recurringly despite the road being relatively wide open after inspecting the issue he found out that the car's autopilot was mistaking the full moon for a yellow traffic light which was causing it to slow down and that's um scientists transform water into a shiny golden metal <laughs> you can see it for yourself in the photo i'm tweeting out now yeah golden okay. metal we did it we've <laughs> only uh, a millennia later um musk uh elon but lots of lots of alchemists got their funding. That's <laughs> yeah, the the Wall Street book. Journal reporting that Elon Musk sides with uh, Fortnite maker Epic Games in their battle over Apple App Store. The Tesla chief executive calls Apple's fees a de facto global tax on the Internet of 30 percent. And that Epic 
is in the right in this uh, in their fight against Apple and their 30% tax on all apps in the App Store, calling it a de facto tax on the internet. And Evan, you just sent in one about a foldable house for $50,000 that goes up in a day called Boxable. Yeah. Yeah, I'll uh I don't have the tweet in front of me. We know we need more cheap housing, more affordable housing, yeah. more novel housing, I believe- smaller homes. So looks we need city councils that actually don't aren't property holders that benefit from this. You have to see this one to understand it. It it basically looks like a shipping container, and in fact it's designed to be shipped uh, like a shipping container would. However, once it arrives, it kind of quadruples in size because the walls are kind of foldable yeah it's like a transformer, transformer a shipping container housing, that's yes. a transformer yeah. that changes into a house and it, and, it, and it used to be shipping containers were cheap but now apparently they've like quadrupled in price so you can't really build a cheap shipping container house anymore the other challenge is shipping containers so interestingly uh, i've actually uh, had a chance to see it in, uh, for a variety of reasons of what we're doing at resilient but the the thing that's really exciting about boxable is that you can actually pre-design them, Tyler, and everybody. Like, you actually could pre-design the interior, and then when you unfold it, even the walls can fold out, and you can actually start having interior and exterior design be prefabbed in a factory, shipped, and shipped in a way. One of the biggest challenges with shipping containers is a lot of times you have to use multiple shipping containers, like we do. And when you do that, it's actually very, very expensive, and you actually have to have them uh, reattached to each other uh, uh, on site, and then there's a, still a lot of on site work with Boxable. You literally just unfold it and it gets up and running in a day or so, and it's just incredible to watch. It. Great for an office or like a remote workplace or something, too, or Did, or a clinic. <laughs> Dr. Ganesh, you're actually you're doing you're essentially doing deployable field clinic stuff, right? Exactly, that's and so, so that's cool. So, what we're what's really exciting about them is Boxable is that uh, they're the, the, the most exciting part about them is that they're going beyond just the homes. I think affordable homes is absolutely, Evan, to your point, very important. But the ability to go and deploy a physical space that meets certain standards right from the get-go and built in a factory prefabbed with all the materials internally, it seems like it would be easier than it is, but it's actually extremely difficult. And Boxable is doing an incredible job. Um, So very excited about what they're doing. For many communities worldwide that lack not just uh, affordable housing, but also essentially amenities and essentially like things that, uh, not even amenities, but like core critical infrastructure, like, you know, clinics and like, you know, health type kinds of things. I can imagine essentially being able to deploy the sort of infrastructure would be a huge upgrade. Like being able to just just deploy it all over the place, like having affordable construction technology and go faster and standardized method. I mean, this kind of goes back to the, the just, just uh, let's see, 20 seconds, just going back to the, the origins of the hospital to begin with. Uh, Florence Nightingale actually was, uh, she was one of the first nurses and she was sent you know, Queen Victoria to get like the Elon Musk's days in Brummel, actually like oh, rig up a field deployable hospital on the railway system. And they deployed it and was using the modern standards of hygiene and it saved a lot of lives. And so this is kind of, I, I love how this is kind of like going, coming back full circle, going back to the original origins of hospitals you can set up quickly in the middle of nowhere with stuff. That's That's really cool. There's also the issue of the, a need for housing uh, in terms of rental housing between the traditional apartment price and the price of you know homelessness because there's about uh, 40 million people about to be evicted out of their homes now that the the kind of um, expiration 40? date on uh, yeah 
Uh, okay, so they just go to D.C. and overthrow the legislature. I mean, that's that's it. You can't throw 40 million people out without having social unrest. Right. I mean, Tyler, to, to put it in perspective, my wife and I were driving in Glendale or something. Mm-hmm. They have these new apartments. A two-bedroom is like $4,200, bro. Wow. Like, I I don't even, you know, like, this is Southern California. Yeah. You know, I know we're, you know, it's it's really expensive here, but that's that's like New York. Yep. To be clear, the, 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 what's happening exactly is that they're taking, you know, they were supposed to extend the eviction moratorium and they haven't. There, there's a lot of talk about how, uh, uh, you know, there might be a chance that they might be able to do something uh, last minute. But it doesn't mean that all those people are going to be kicked out immediately. It just means that they right. can get eviction notices. The process can begin. But it's scary as hell. That 40 million number is so exaggerated, by the way, by people who. Four you know, million. 3.6, 3.6, this got round up to 4, but still, that's a huge number. I'm, I'm really looking at the numbers now. I think now. The, the number I'm quoting is the number of people who say they can't afford or don't have the money to pay their next exactly. rent. Oh, okay, never mind. Okay, that, that's, the, that's, that's the next, this, this is the immediate one with things. That, yeah, that's, this that, is comes next month. that comes next month. One, one exactly. emergency at a time. <laughs> one, so, one tragedy at a time. So um, that, that might be a good segue for you, Dan, if you want to bring up a tragic headline. <laughs> Where are you, Dan, man? I'll, I'll, I'll filibuster he's, for him. That's he's using right. Twitter. So uh, Evan sent there. in one that Snapchat yeah. is growing faster than it ever has. It added 55 million daily users last quarter. And China tech stocks. Snapchat's fun. Like if you haven't been on Snapchat, even. If... That's where the cool kids are hanging out. Yeah, it's China really tech stocks yeah. suffer the worst month since the global financial crisis. Investors shun New York listed internet groups and shift to mainland equity markets uh, from the Financial Times. And Evan, I love this one you sent in calling about Terra boxes. New Terra boxes turn electricity and sand into solar panels. That's crazy. It's like terraforming Mars or something. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild. It's a cool concept, but unfortunately, the the website. It's the one I'm thinking of with things. Around, I saw the friend said to me, "It has no numbers, no, no statistics, and no way they can basically fit into the floor plan." That's small with stuff because the world's smallest production line for such things. It's very, very large. So it's it's a it's a cool concept. It's just uh, a little skeptical. Yeah, of for those of, who of want to investigate, uh, I just tweeted it to the Tech News Twitter account at T N A T W. You can see the letters above my head in my photo where we're tweeting all of these articles in real time. And Starbucks, according to Bloomberg, the headline is Starbucks is the new talent factory powering corporate America, the coffee chain, which has produced as many executives as significantly larger companies is a favorite source for recruiters. And it's fine with that, apparently. And indeed, I know some very senior folks, uh, Adam Brotman ended up going over to run Jesus, where did he go after that? Did he go to Best Buy, Cal? Did that, is, did you, are you, does the name Adam Brotman ring a bell? Yeah. Uh, oh, no, familiar. it was uh, Stephen no, Gillette did. No. I think he went to Best Buy. He was, yeah. Oh, Stephen Gillette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He came to Because he, he was like yeah. chief digital yeah, officer at Starbucks. Familiar. And then he went yeah. over to Best Buy, right? Yeah. So yes, the next yes, article yes, yes. is um, about... <laughs> The, the headline is a photograph um, um, of a headline of a newspaper 
that says the first water war is uncomfortably close. And uh, the article reads uh, about China's 11 dams on the Mekong River that give it power and the Nile. And there's basically in three different parts of the world, these major, major rivers. You have the Mekong, uh, which flows from China through Myanmar, Laos, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam and the South China Sea. You've got uh, the the Tiger Euphrates going through Syria um, from Turkey through the Middle East. You've got the Ethiopian, you know, the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, which goes through uh, Sudan down into Egypt, down into the Nile. And all of these are becoming powder kegs. And so the headline is the, the first water wars uncomfortably close drought and climate migration are threatening hostilities across the Middle East, Africa and Asia. And indeed they are. And hold on to your hats, folks. It's going to be a bumpy ride. And it's if you want to see a strange alternative history, that's the Answar Dam is one of the main areas that the, the Egypt uses for a lot of its water stuff. An alternative project that almost went through, it actually have, it actually went surprisingly far. It looks like called the Qatari Depression Project. Uh, this one was going to be nuts because they'd actually flood a part of the Sahara in the, in the North, North Africa there. And the idea is you could actually uh, you know, evaporate and use it to drive a massive amount of power, which you could use for all sorts of things, from desalination to water pumping, all sorts of cool stuff. Um, the, the, of interest to historians and things was the method of which they're saying to extract this massive uh, project with things. They wanted to ask uh, Eisenhower if they could borrow some nuclear devices for the excavation with stuff. Um, they actually went surprisingly far with it with stuff, but uh, Egypt was like, mm, we have, only have no money for one project, so let's do Answer Dam, and it didn't go through. But we came this close to having nuclear devices used for the Sahara for a giant uh, uh, just evaporative dam project. Okay. It was nuts. Qatari depression. Next really- big headline, the rise of virtual avatars from JT, from social media to business and entertainment. Virtual avatars are increasingly popular in, in various industries and may even replace actual people in business meetings to avoid Zoom fatigue. So you can make Zoom into a, a clubhouse conversation if everyone was using an avatar instead. Um, but virtual avatars are very interesting, and there is indeed startups getting money uh, to create platform agnostic avatars to, so you can move between VR experiences with the same avatar rather seamlessly. And Tesla confirms its commercial EV project, the Tesla semi-truck, an autonomous you know, electric semi-truck, called Semi, will be delayed until 2022, cites both the ongoing global processor shortage and its own currently limited battery production capability for the new 4680-style cells as contributing to its decision to delay the Semi till next year. And um, other articles happening at this moment, Twitter to offer a bounty to find algorithmic bias. We covered that one. China to strike hard on four new sectors. And now that it's cracked down on uh, the ed tech sector, it's going after telecoms, re- the resources, uh, transport, and the construction industries all simultaneously. Why, why do one when you can do four? And uh, that's from the South China Morning Post uh, from our friend David Cheng. Well, on, on the Twitter headline... Yeah. On the Twitter headline, does it say what kind of bounty it is? Thirty-five hundred dollars. Is it a? Thirty-five hundred dollars. Oh, so it's not an NFT no. or anything to do with DeFi or anything no. like that. <laughs> Karam okay. has All one right. here from Wired. The headline is: "The dam is breaking on vaccine mandates. Hopes for a quote-unquote normal fall have been dashed by variants and low vaccine uptake. Businesses in the White House think requiring shots can turn um, can turn thinking." 
requiring shots uh, can turn things around. Hopes, yeah. Well, they're not. We had a headline oh, yesterday that the White House is contemplating offering hundred a hundred dollars. <laughs> There's all kinds of interesting incentives around the world. In in Hong Kong, you have a chance to join a lottery to win an apartment or a luxury car, and all all over the planet. There's all kinds of new incentives to get uh, people to get their vaccines. I, I think in California there was a vaccine lottery where forty people won a million dollars or something like that. I got to look into it, but. I don't think it's that much, but we have we have a lottery like that in in, in Nevada, but we're only going to have like one million dollar winner. But we have we've had people win, you know, twenty five thousand already. You know, yeah. oh, yeah. I That's think right. there Let's... was a, a million dollars lottery in. Ohio what if what if they well. what if they just changed the that marketing was, yeah. a bit and they tell you you could win a whole bunch of antibodies that could fight off COVID? <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> Guaranteed winners. Can I just make a point <laughs> that the Nevada, the Nevada lottery for vaccines is fairer than the other states because everybody who's been vaccinated, including people who got vaccinated months ago, are eligible. So it doesn't just does not just reward potentially reward the people who hesitated. So our our system here is okay. a little fairer. The per- so yeah, I'm sorry. California did ten. So there were officially ten one and a half million dollar winners in California already issued. That. So next headline is um, from uh, Professor Ossif. CRISPR creates first genetically modified marsupials. Thank God. Whew. Mission accomplished. Wow. <laughs> I, we did it, everybody. Well done. New methods produce. Uh, we, we've now achieved, achieved uh, albino opossums, everybody. Well done. We, I was about. I'm reaching for it. There, here it comes. Come on. We, like, here it comes. Is... We did it. We did it. Yeah. We did it. Albino opossums, everybody. We finally reached albino opossums. Uh, the first ever customer des- cons- customer designer marsupial baby created by CRISPR using the gene editing CRISPR technology. Japanese scientists knocked out the gene that codes for pigment production, and bred a litter that. Are they qualified <laughs> for that kind of work? I could see the kangaroos. We have albino kangaroos now, essentially, the glow in the dark. Ooh, I mean, bioluminescent bioluminescent kangaroos. That could be kind of cool. Glow in the dark cats. Uh, I think I just found my next startup. Holy cow. Uh, it's a thing like, like like there's like the hello world for when you're programming and it's like the first thing you do with that same thing with electrical engineering you but twinkle you... led it's just the thing to say hey i got this working for genetic engineering the hello world is essentially get it to glow in the dark because a gfp is one of the easiest proteins to synthesize it'll pop up and everything it doesn't damage anything and it looks freaking but... cool you can measure it very obviously if it's working or not shouldn't so we be able to take this, the bioluminescent the gene out of you know or algae or whatever and, and put that in a cat or a dog or something yeah Sure, sure. They've actually already done that with things. They've got glow-in-the-dark cats, pigs, uh, rats, all sorts of different creatures. If you literally just say GFP and type in any animal you can think of, there is basically some very disturbingly beautiful uh, pictures of all sorts of The next headline is, uh, oh, from our friends at the FinTech and Payments Club. Um, from It says, we have to be in the crypto MasterCard CEO says, we have to be in the crypto space. MasterCard CEO confirmed that the company is readying its network to support stablecoin transactions, providing its issuers uh, meet regularly. So it looks like we have that to look forward to. 
and messy. Here's one about the central banks of France and Tunisia in a wholesale cross-border CBDC trial. The central banks of France and Tunisia did a cross-border central bank digital currency trial using a blockchain system from Prosperous. There you go. And uh, QuickBooks introduces a new POS system, point-of-sale system, meaning like a cash register for a brick-and-mortar store based on a laptop, of course, similar to Square, but it's QuickBooks. So, you know, makes you doing your QuickBooks a whole lot easier automatically. You know, you your cash register. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. From the people that brought you uh, TurboTax. The next one is from Cheryl from Nikkei, Asia, Japan. China's Gen Z inspires beverage makers to take on Coca-Cola is the headline. Patriotism and slick marketing fuel sky-high valuations for new companies um, who want to compete with Coca-Cola. Mainland Chinese loves Japanese or leveraging on the Japanese brand. Better keep up with the quality. Okay. So the next one is from Mahogany from CNN around tiktok how one user went viral after sharing his tinder hack to virtually uh connect with olympians uh the tiktok olymp the tokyo olympics are officially underway with thousands of the world's most able-bodied people competing against each other in uh, one convenient location uh, namely tokyo and and uh, the other underway with thousands of competing in one of the locations for the okay while while many of us at home fawn over these olympians thinking what if comedian reed kavner revealed how his method of using the online dating application tinder has made meeting an olympian easier than ever before i paid for tinder plus so i can swipe in the olympics village and date an olympian Kavner wrote in his TikTok video that detailed how he used the app to connect with the athletes. Well, I can explain oh very easily how he did that. So when you have Tinder Pro, you can pick a very specific geography of potential dates. And so he picked the Olympic Village, which, of course, is full of athletes. So that's how you can um, limit your searches to athletes in that geography. And then he became viral by putting it on Twitter, uh, getting a good ROI on his price of uh, paying for Tinder Gold. Very clever. So that's from CNN. Thank you for that one, Mahogany. The next one's from South China Morning Post out of China from Mahogany. Catastrophic food shortages set to sweep the world's hunger hotspots, driving up starvation and deaths, UN warns. Hunger is expected to rise in 23 global hotspots in the next three months. And where are those hotspots? More than 41 million people worldwide. Um, so here we go. This gives us a chance to play our favorite game, Tech News Jeopardy. According to South China Morning Post, more than 41 million people worldwide at risk of falling into famine or famine-like conditions unless they receive immediate help. This country, uh, in this country, the number facing starvation and death is expected to rise to over 400,000. The Food and Agriculture Organization and the World Food Program said, what's the country? Yemen? No. Yemen? No. Madagascar? No. Nigeria? Nigeria uh -huh. is listed. It I think it might be easy. Go ahead, Messi. <laughs> Sorry, I was gonna say. Uh, Ethiopia. And you're from Ethiopia, right? <laughs> That's right. a little unfair, Messi. Um, you had a little. Uh... But I think it's in the Sahara. Uh, maybe is that South no. Sudan? Well, Sudan? 
By the way, the, the, the well done to okay. everybody. Messi wins and joins the winner's circle of the score is now tied at one 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 between Cal and Yes. Somebody needs Cal, to break somebody Messi, needs to break that, right? Um to two. who else was on the winner's circle so far? Uh yes. Then and me. Uh, Donish and Charles and May, And then the hunger is expected to rise in 23 global hotspots in the next three months with the highest alerts for catastrophic situations in Ethiopia's embattled Tigray region, southern Madagascar, Yemen, South Sudan, northern Nigeria. Two U.S. agencies warned the Food and Agriculture Organization and World Food Program said in a new report on hunger hotspots between August and November that acute food insecurity is likely to further de- deteriorate. They put Ethiopia at the top of the list, saying the number of people facing starvation is around uh, 400,000. Good frack. Food supplies exist. It's not being distributed. That's why I guess it's unfair I'm being in here. <laughs> so the next one is from Mahogany from Gizmodo. Google Fi, which is Google Wi-Fi, reportedly isn't letting users call poison send, poison control. Users have reportedly complained about this for months. Google says it's investigating the issue. It's pretty important to be able to call poison control if you're exposed to something potentially toxic. Unfortunately, if you're a Google Fi user, that might not be possible right now, but hopefully they'll get an update when they figure out what's going on. And the next one's from Cheryl from Kyoto News in Japan. Uh, the headline is Olympic athletes pained by online bashing. Mental health care being sought by these Olympic athletes after they receive brutal treatment online uh, from internet trolls. Behind J- Japan's record high gold medal rush in the Tokyo Olympics, some of its athletes have been struggling with online bashing prompting these sports stars to seek medical health uh, treatment. Yeah, very, very unfortunate indeed. And Amazon's backed electric vehicle maker Rivian in talks with ministers over UK battery factory to make the Rivian um, vehicle starting with their um, very sexy big uh, truck. An EV vehicle manufacturer backed by Amazon and Ford is in talks with ministers about building a giant factory in the UK that include uh, batteries for the launching of their vehicle. And New York City's new biometrics law takes effect uh, around privacy, where stores are going to just uh, nearly identical to China's new facial recognition law, uh, requiring all businesses to alert individuals um, that they are using the technology. And um, the next one's from, Sa- yeah, Sarah sent in one from Indi- Economic Times, uh, dot India Times, another Indian unicorn uh, that we covered uh, about an hour ago. So this number 18 unicorns this year for India. That's truly tremendous. And your odds of going back to the office are dropping by the day. Uh, Evan sent this one in from Mother Jones, where it says last week, Apple delayed its return to. Uh, in-person work until October. Twitter announced on Wednesday that it was immediately closing its New York and San Francisco offices and postponing other office reopenings. Google said it would push back reopening until mid-October. Uh, Lyft suspended Howard? its... Yes? 
just very briefly, I, I, I've seen so many news headlines about work from home and like, should we go into the workplace with things? I am now imagining, you know, like 28 days later, all these zombie movies saying, yes, the zombie apocalypse is a thing. We need to learn to live with it, essentially. Let's essentially go back to work. The zombies will be downstairs. We've got good security. As long as you follow, essentially, your commute, as you don't get, you get infected on your way to work, life is good. That, that These movies need to be made. They'd be amazing. Yeah, they'll, they'll get made. Um, people are going to have a whole lot of time on their hands when Delta really starts uh, peaking, which they say is now going to be in mid-October at uh, 400,000 cases a day, Dr. Donish, is the expectation for mid-October? That is the expectation of diagno- diagnosed cases, yes. I think we're already at a, at a million right now, uh, uh, according to Scott Gottlieb, as yeah. we talked about, Tyler. So yeah, 400,000 actual diagnosed cases, God damn it. So, um, I just, I'm sorry. I just, I, I knew this was going to happen when I was in Vegas, man. I'm sorry. I just, I know I harp on it. It's like, I just knew it was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, Faraz, feel free to jump in anytime, man. So the next article from Mahogany, this, just a quick question, just a quick question. Sure. If I may. This morning, um, so I, I was awake all night and, uh, and when the Pacific time zone was talking, uh, uh, Danish, there was a, there was a headline I saw, but I, I couldn't find much on it which was um, President Biden is open to lockdowns. Is there anything on this that you guys have seen in the United States? In what sense? Like, we're not under lockdown right now. No, no, no. no. So there was a, uh, there was a room. No, I, 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 could explain that. I could explain that headline. He basically, sure. the, the only statement he's made is that he's, he's waiting for legal guidance as, as to what the federal government can do versus what state governments can do. In terms of uh, whether it's uh, whether it's um, lockdown, certain types of mandates, there's certain things that the states clearly have powers. He's not clear that the federal government has the power to do a national. So that's what we're talking about. Fifteen second little thing on this. So, so it's essentially, uh, forty five. The prior administration basically punted all responsibility from the federal to the state governments, like entirely. And so the thing is that there were certain things feds could do that they aren't doing because it's now in this weird sort of Corona economy variations just will whatever make the rules we go along it's a thing however they're revisiting a lot of the logic behind a lot of the current infrastructure saying well if we went back and basically made a new system or what what, what it would look like so there's a lot of operation parameters that we haven't even explored because they just punted it last time so that's that's what's being explored right now i will say that i would be an absolute shock um if we went back into a lockdown because now we have transformed where we are because a significant portion of the population is vaccinated and so uh you know the the concern right now is not about us overwhelming the healthcare system in terms of hospitalizations um, and the icus being overwhelmed my concern is really about there's one piece of information that we don't have answer to this week we got two new pieces of information one people that are vaccinated but then get a breakthrough infection which means they still get infected with covid because delta as a way to kind of work around, they have, we know that they have mild infections, but we also know that they transmit it to other people. And ultimately, you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon, uh, somebody gets it who's not vaccinated and then ends up being hospitalized, but it is low, right? So that, that is a low percentage. The bigger issue I have is what this means for the long-term health of our nation. Yep. If one third to one, one sixth to one third of them end up having long COVID, which we're seeing those numbers right now. And those are really high numbers. And just so people know, this is affecting our kids too. The new numbers from the CDC in this leaked report was 10% of children 
are getting long COVID right now. I'm disturbed that mild brain damage is considered to be a mild it's, symptom. It's all, I mean, Chris, it's, we, we it's, saw all the headline is only seven IQ points. I mean, come on. No, That's okay, a, all right. It's only the loss only, of symptoms. You know, like, it's only brain like elementary it's school only, you know, to university level, energy. you know. Anyway, um, let's get back into the headlines here. We've got uh, Jeff Bezos loses $13.5 billion after Amazon's uh, disappointment uh, in their weaker than expected second quarter. Uh, so that's about, I don't know, what, 1% of his worth? Big whoop. Uh, yeah, poor guy. Let's take a poor moment Bezos. and just have a sad moment of silence for Jeff losing $13 billion. Uh, Yale brings back masks for indoor spaces as Delta upends plans. Uh, Yale University is reinstituting a requirement that all individuals wear masks in indoor campus spaces to combat high levels of the Delta variant. And the battle that Apple isn't the privacy battle that Apple isn't fighting from Wired from our friend Evan. California has begun enforcing a browser level privacy setting but you still can't find that option in Safari or iOS. And why is that? Because it doesn't work. Because the do not track essentially is just ignored. It's literally put as a preference of, oh, that person That's cares right. about privacy stuff. Sell them security products. It's actually well done, on that. Yes. It, just, it, it just for the last, the For at least the last decade, Voluntary. privacy advocates dreamed of a universal, legally enforceable do not track setting. Now, at least in most popular state in the U.S., uh, that dream has become a reality. So why isn't Apple, a company that is increasingly using privacy as a selling point, helping its customers take advantage of it? And if people are, uh, it's all, it's all, it's an option. So anyway. So, so, so we could fix privacy in very quick order. All we need to do is just say, have a central registry of saying, do you want to be included in targeted advertising or surveillance set-based advertising, or do you not? And if you want to be on, it's like, do not call list. And just say, if you're on the privacy track list, you're, you're, you're opting out facial recognition outside of some state-based thing. You're opting out of uh, targeted ads or anything. And then if you basically can show evidence of that having happening, you have a legal uh, uh, from essentially for what happens if you have an infraction and, and, don't, and limit the, don't, don't limit the amount of damages. The problem will solve itself very quickly. And, and Chris, is, isn't, it, isn't, isn't Apple getting into the advertising game in some fashion? With they've, search been or the, with... they've been in the advertising game for a while with things. They say it's with cohorts of 10,000 with stuff with local AI to sort the cohorts. But it, it's, it's just... Look, Apple does everything that every other tech company does. The thing is, they get in the game later than everyone else, and they sweep all the profits about it, and they are much better at the branding. So the thing is that Apple is basically, they will basically do the tail end. And the privacy thing is something of a matter that they can differentiate because they basically had lagging AI, they had lagging uh, data collection, and they had lagging online services for cloud with stuff. So they said, how can we work this to our advantage? And they did. They did a spectacular job with it. As you start to see this thing evolve, what you'll start to see is privacy as a concept will get redefined to basically fit whatever current business interest is currently the, uh, 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 as a thing. Where this is very dangerous is that you see all these groups doing AI ethics, you see things like privacy ethics and cybersecurity, et cetera, et cetera. What you're seeing is the groups that are basically advocating for supposedly for consumer rights or citizen rights or, or human rights, depending on how far you want to take it, what they are doing is they're actually altering the definitions very slowly so that basically uh, people's uh, what the people will demand will basically align with whatever they can currently offer. 
one very mild version of the term of the group. Google, as an example, is saying, we care about privacy, so we make sure that no one basically has access to your private data that you give to us, and we see everything, so we're very careful with who we share it with. That is a version of privacy where you're trusting a third party involuntarily that's stealing all your data from you. But the, because they basically are, are setting this as a standard, and they're the ones that are getting the meetings with the congressmen and world leaders and telling them what privacy looks like, that is what's shaping essentially the, the evolution of the legal doctrines. If you want to basically shift the doctrines to be something that's actually human rights, it's actually civic and privacy aspects, you need to basically have the groups that are actually going to benefit from it not being essentially the tech companies, but essentially the small local groups uh, that essentially are, are stand to gain from actual privacy at its core. Okay, I gave off my soapbox now. Okay. Thank you. Next big headline, uh, Evan just sent in one about the California drought. Dozens of communities in California are at risk of running out of water from MSN.com. Dry wells, low rivers, and other problems are creating emergencies across Northern California. And the Pentagon is experimenting with using AI to see days in advance. And the Pentagon aims to use cutting-edge cloud networks and artificial intelligence systems to anticipate adversaries' moves before they make them. What? Let's let's see if there's any examples in this story. Um, here we go. It's from. Uh, it says U.S. Northern Command (Northcom) recently conducted a series of tests known as the Global Information Dominance Experiments, or GID, GIDE, which combined global sensor networks (AIs) and cloud computing resources in an attempt to achieve information dominance and decision-making superiority. According to Northcom leadership, the AI and machine learning tools tested in the experiments could someday offer the Pentagon a robust, a robust ability to see days in advance, meaning it could predict the future with some reliability based on evaluating patterns, anomalies, and trends in massive data sets. While the concept sounds like something out of Minority Report, the commander of Northcom says this capability is already enabled by tools readily available to the Pentagon. General Glenn Van Herrick, commander of NORTHCOM and North American Aerospace Defense Command, NORAD, told reporters at the Pentagon this week that this was the third test of GIDE conducted in conjunction with all 11 combatant commands collaborating in the same information space using the same exact capabilities. The experiment largely centered around contested logistics and information advantage, two cornerstones of the new warfighting paradigm Recently proposed by the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, a full transcript of the press briefing is available online. Van Herrick told reporters that this AI-enabled decision-making could eventually allow, or could actually allow, for a type of proactive forecasting that sounds truly like stuff of science fiction. The machine learning and artificial intelligence can detect changes, and we can set up parameters where it will trip an alert to give you the awareness to go take other sensors such as on satellite capabilities to take a closer look at what might be ongoing in a specific region. The ability to see days in advance creates decision space. Decision space for me is an operational commander as an operational commander to potentially posture forces to create deterrence options to provide that to the secretary or even the president to use messaging the information space to create deterrence options and you get the idea. What well, kind of wild. And, and there's a, so We've got Jedi, Jedi. Going on here. Um, yeah, precog at the national level, quite interesting. And so I just retweeted that one. Thank you to Ev Edward or Evan for that one. And the next one is very similar, um, but different. 
um, which Evan just found from Wired, which I found as well. And I we talked about it in one of our very recent gatherings, but this has been a fan favorite when we mentioned it last time. So it's totally worth uh, circling back on. This one's really interesting, although it takes a minute to explain. So bear with us. So it says... Um, on September 17 last year, the largest ship in the UK's Royal Navy, the aircraft carrier HMS Queen Elizabeth, steamed majestically towards the Irish Sea. 283-meter-long fleet flagship was flanked by an escort of destroyers and smaller ships from the UK, Dutch, and Belgian navies. The six vessels, moving in close formation, would have made an awe-inspiring spectacle if they had actually been there. And then it's paywalled, but what it says is, because I've read it a few times now, is that basically there is on the oceans a the GPS what we use for cars and our, get walking around with our phones on Google Maps the ocean has something called AIS which every uh, boat bigger than a dinghy has an AIS transmitter and the uh, receivers are on the land uh, all over the place and someone is introducing fake AIS data into the network, which is showing American and British um, military vessels entering Russian territories. And some of you on stage might remember several months ago, about four or five, six months ago, when in the Black Sea, it was reported by BBC and nearly live that Russia was firing at a British military vessel uh, as kind of warning shots or something. And it's because uh, somebody had made um, fake data showing that the British vessel had entered Russian ter- R- Russian international waters or Russian uh, domestic waters. And, and then it's uh, believed by the experts in this article from Wired that Russia itself is making this data to give them an excuse to fire. And they tell the story of... Um, they're trying to track down how this happened. And, and basically a, a Swedish gentleman uh, has kind of cracked the code on what's going on here and all signs point to Russia. And it's very clever how he figured this out. Um, but you'll have, you know, you can read the article to find out how he figured that out, but it's a very concerning thing. Uh, that's, you know, so, uh, somebody, and it seems to be very clearly a state because no, no individual has an interest in doing this, but, um, that, um, yeah, that they're introducing fake uh, maritime data, which every ship uses this, to navigate. This can be very dangerous, yeah. like because essentially, it, like a lot of the things for like balance of power, like diplomats going back and forth saying, "Oh, you're in our water," "No, you're in our water," type kind of thing. Military commanders, freedom of navigation stuff happening essentially with like in the straits with yeah. stuff. Like if you're able to, ba- if they aren't aren't calibrating or going for what happens if our this is one of the reasons why they have the sensors on the ships yep. themselves and so much, not just relying on the satellites. Cause if they misread that, that can, that can oh, be yeah. war. I mean, that's yeah, the that's... It's not, it's not just that if this is the, if this is the, uh, the tech that I think it is, it's also the stuff that they use to guide in these massive shipping containers um, to inch perfection into ports and whatnot. If you've ever wondered how a guy at the top of a tower can somehow guide those in and not hit the sides, it's because they use these systems and then like an autopilot thing. And if you screw with that and you jam a ship or you take out one of the docks, like a major dock for a city, you can do enormous amounts of sort of like economic damage. I mean, look at what the Suez Canal did and the, the ramifications that that had Great around point. the world. 
Um, so yeah, you don't even have to start a war. You can just you can just sabotage the economy using yeah. this really easily. And that's just one system, but it is a symptom of like if that system can be jammed, there's probably others that are essentially connected to it that in and, and concert with each other can have these sorts of aggregate effects. Many of these sensor systems are very ancient. Like they were designed like in the '60s, deployed in the '80s and '90s. Like a lot of them are not exactly designed during eras where where you, where you could access any data point at any other point. It used to be you have to physically go to a place, to a command center, to a control station, to a satellite uplink. There's a physical control aspect to it. Now with everyone, their mother saying, hey, look, essentially your, your, your Alexa should be able to connect, connect to anything on the, in the world. Even that military system over there is just sending some IP packets, right? Well, guess what? Guess who's going to be basically a hijack for your next little uh, routing session right there? So what's interesting is that you see these, these breakdowns in current security permissions with these giant architectures designed in other eras as they're moving into the new one. It's like, well, crap, we need to reevaluate security paradigms because that's, that's the part of the yep. digital infrastructure that we have now. Okay, but the, I thought the military network is supposed to be separate from the regular internet. Supposed At least to. in the U.S., that's been the case for a long, long time, right? Supposed to look at off-the-shelf hardware because they got tired of playing catch-up on, on military hardware. So you see things like Samsung rebrands to essentially have military warfighter stuff. And literally all they're rebranding is the fact that it's basically, it's like, look, Samsung Knox, you can run this you know security thing. It's got a little holder for the military stuff. And it's still running the exact same chips that basically been compromised in every single one of these new, recent news headlines. But now it's basically the same system that's basically guiding in, you know, like air combat support type kind of stuff. The military is supposed to have their own dedicated networks, but de facto they've gotten very lazy about basically enforcing that sort of security. And it's gonna they're gonna get their asses handed to them from it. They 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 were using um, public satellite feeds to feed the drone footage for a long time. Remember that kind of drama? Russian satellites. They were basically saying, but it's encrypted. That's okay. We think we got the encryption okay. right. Next one. Uh, Indian government launches their own WhatsApp rival called Sandys. Uh, amid Pegasus Row, because uh, it's revealed that Pegasus got in, it was able to hack a lot of the phones, particularly in India, uh, through WhatsApp. And not only that, but also what was the other Israeli company that was revealed this week as kind of a Paragon also uh, Paragon. Ha ha Paragon. was able to hack into, into devices in a similar way through WhatsApp. Yeah. And yeah. I love these names. So, these names are well, awesome. by the way, there, somebody was making the comparison <laughs> that Pegasus is a is a horse, kind of like a Trojan horse, and you know, and then, anyway, and Paragon's all saying, yeah, yeah. But anyway, this Indian government launching their own WhatsApp, well, that's quite convenient because it, now they've got their own domestic replacement to WhatsApp, <laughs> which is no doubt they wanted anyways. Um, as, if you follow us regularly at Tech News Around the World, you know exactly what we're talking about. Um, yes, go ahead, Frost. Um, yeah, so one th one thing that I was sorry, someone. someone oh, Sylvan, I thought I'm sorry, Sylvan, it was you. I thought it was Rob. Go ahead, Sylvan. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I'm 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 wondering, no. did you cover Kandiru? Right. I I um, sent out a. Um, oh, I thought I, I pronounced it Cinderu. Sorry. Go ahead. Is is a. Uh, we, yeah, but that oh, it right. might be so, something so new because they first may got uh, it, their it, first it was, headline was about two weeks ago. But what's what's that, what's the latest? 
Yes, yes, yes. It was it was about two weeks ago, and right. um, it's a it's it's, right. it's a sister project to uh, um, Pegasus. And um, but but the significant part of this one was that they would registered something like seven hundred and fifty domains, um, range of human rights organizations, and all of that. Um, and so I just I just wondered if, if you if and and the the investors in Kanduru seventy percent are the same. As Pegasus, right, Ooh. and they're at, similar to the other one that was just revealed about forty-eight hours ago, Paragon. It's the founder. The four founders are all directly the. In fact, the, the CEO is the former head of the intelligence, the uh, uh, Israeli cyber cyber intelligence agency, and the one of the chairman is the former prime minister of Israel. So it's like claiming. Ooh. That the that trying to draw that the state isn't involved in these startups because they're private is like a quite a a bit of a you know thin veil of uh, cover. It's so. I, I vote the next one we call Pisces. We got Paragon, Pisces, Pegasus. Just keep that naming going. Okay. Tell it. Tell it. The that committee's objective is to just uh, look into the prioritization of licenses. Nothing. Okay. So, Ross? next headline. Yeah, Ross. I'm sorry. There's actually a little. There's actually a little more to that, okay. Tyler. So, uh, two things on uh, on Charles Julio um, from the Israel, CEO of Pegasus, of, uh, basically. Yeah. Uh, Pegasus, basically. Yeah. Right, and the controlling shareholder and two controlling one of the two controlling shareholders of NSO mm -hmm. Group. So, first of all, I'm not sure if you already mentioned this, um, but one of the things that I would see is 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 some is I don't think Shalev or anyone from Israel or anyone from any of the intelligence forces out of Israel is going to let this go very easily. You probably have them going after many of the other sovereigns and them coming out with every nation that has yep. their own um, on account of, you know, the former prime minister uh, being involved. And also the former prime minister's son uh, is, also, is also the founder of Pitango Ventures, which is one of the most well-known uh, venture capitalist firms in uh, in Israel and is also involved in Shalev's firm, uh, and that has a significant amount of capital uh, to lose if something happens to Shalev. In addition to that, if you look into the trenches of it, then you've got the intelligence forces involved. Um, so this is a major, major firm in terms of Israel. Uh, coming back to the other statement that you made around Facebook in India, um, uh, there was the Vodafone nationalization plan that's coming up. Uh, I tweeted it out earlier. Uh, I wasn't able to speak then. But if you look into anything that's happening in India around whether it be WhatsApp, whether it be telecom or anything, the end story of that always ends with Ambani. And this was a thesis that we mentioned on a number of occasions myself. Akhil was around, Monica is around. At the end of anything that's happening in telecom, anything that's happening with Facebook, anything that's happening with WhatsApp, Twitter, the end of it is all to... Uh, to it, to basically protect Ambani and give Geo and any of his um, any of his firms that are involved with uh, backing from Facebook and the sovereign wealth funds of, of some of the largest nations, some of the largest sovereign wealth funds on the planet, um, essentially the lead um, in in India. I won't speak more to that, but I think you already have the general thesis. Oh, sure. Stop there. Thank you very um, much. Okay, more headlines. Here we go. Um, Argo AI, the autonomous vehicle technology startup backed by Ford and VW, which partnered with Lyft to put a thousand cars in Austin and um, Miami, as I recall, 
has landed a permit in California that will allow the company to give people free rides in its self-driving vehicles on the state's public roads. So our, we've now got autonomous taxis in California for the very first time. There we go. We did it. We did it, everybody. Somebody did it. Ford and VW through Argo AI are doing autonomous taxis now in California. There you go. Air leak in a Russian service module up at the International Space Station uh, led to pressure drop one week after engine firing through the space station out of control. So continued problems with this uh, Russian module um, and a little egg on the face of Russia's uh, space agency, Roscosmos. Yeah. Not what it used to be. Sure. Can I can I make one comment from working sure. with some Russian software on the manufacturing side? Um, they don't believe in undo. Like there's <laughs> no, no undo delete. in their software. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. It's like you know you're programming this like hundred sequence uh, manufacturing operation, and if you screw up on seventy six, you got to go back to zero. And so they. <laughs> When we ask them, like, why do you use there no undo? And there's like, well, you're not supposed to make a mistake. Yeah, you the don't, first they're not place. good at admitting mistakes. So there's a lot of cultures that are just I will uh, say- it's, it's socially very difficult to admit mistakes. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, Tyler, there's, there's a deeper story in this one, too, which is, uh, as you guys may remember, a couple of weeks ago, there was the research module that threw uh the nauka uh that threw the entire station out of control uh when its engines fired and what's interesting here is now we have a service module that's starting to lose pressure and interestingly enough the russians are claiming that the two are not connected yet the pressure in the service module started dropping on july 29th which is the same day that the nauka research module docked um, so it's, it's very confusing. So not only do they not do the undo button, but they don't want to make it seem like a systemic issue, but it, it was even, uh, which again, uh, it was is, even is late for deployment quite, due to technical difficulties. Okay. It's like, it's like actually three, uh, exactly. three issues now with that one. Exactly. Anyway. So. Um, yep. Okay. Great, great, crazy thing. The space station is 400 tons. The, the new, yeah. new star hopper that you see jumping over Texas mm-hmm. or starship stuff, that thing takes up hundred tons to space each time. So literally if Elon Musk has did like daily launches at some point with that thing, that means you get to launch a space station per week. We're going to get some crazy, crazy futures here. 400 tons for a space station, hundred tons ends for the star. Yeah, because for the that's a good point because he's basically crazy, crazy used all the payload volume for Starlink, which is, yep. You know, as soon as that's completed, oh boy, you're going to be launching a module every other day. Um, and actually, by the time that happens, a year from now, you might be launching multiple modules per day, and you could build a a, a city very quickly. Yeah, and not just Elon. Uh, 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 I think uh, Chris, is, Chris, I think in your room itself, uh, that engineer came right, who designed that new engine engine, and we talked about how it's more efficient for. Uh, bringing in mass, just mass movement uh, or, or sort of uh, possibility of space lift even before Elon can pull off. Uh, yeah. Well, there are all sorts of engineers working on all sorts of alternative designs. What's really cool about Elon Musk being successful is it also gives a whole lot of room for other competitors to basically say, hey, look, if he did it, we can do it too. Look, he only took him this amount of time, we can do it in less. 
the more groups that we have for a new space, the better. It just means essentially more joy for, for Andean space, and it's, it's unlocking very quickly now, so it's very exciting. Okay, next article. The biometric identity verification by iProve grows by 15 times, 1,500% in the first half of 2021. Highlights during the first half uh, of the year is iProve's biometric liveness for Australia's MyGov ID. Oh, thank you for this, Rengent. Um, we, I just tweeted it out. It, a demand from organizations needing to verify the identity of online users for fraud prevention drove a consistent month-to-month increase in verifications, up 15x in the first half of 2021. And indeed, Australia is about to make it requirement for all apps to have uh, verified biometric identities tied to the state IDs to use any social media. Uh, Vietnam as well, but only for users who with more than 10,000 followers. Canada just expressed interest to do the same. And it, who's next is uh, the question we're asking ourselves. And how long before America does the same? And well, China was really the real pioneer in that one. And then uh, <laughs> Evan found a great article. Uh, the headline is Meet Tyler Crowley, the man behind the world's unicorn factory who lives off the grid now from your story, one of the main outlets out of India. And indeed, it was an interview I did with your story about, uh, it says Tyler Crowley credited as the force behind Stockholm's rise on the startup capital of Europe. And and a, uh, yeah, thanks. Great article. And uh, you can read all about it, about this very handsome guy. I don't know. He, he, maybe I'm biased. Just every, every, everybody in the room, just really take a step back and really appreciate Tyler <laughs> as a human being and appreciate. No, I'm, I'm being very serious and appreciate the rarefied air we're in, the, you know, and, and it's not to blow smoke, man. Thanks. You're you're unique, bro. Well, you can read. You're it. very unique. That's why, you know, so many. You can read the you article. Know so many people. A, 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 I, what, what, what you want to give a quick summary, Evan? I'm a little I, you know, I'm not sure what resonates with people because I, I was on the uh, interview end of that one. No, I'm okay. sorry, I got to come back. So Shopify to allow merchants to sell NFTs directly through their digital stores, their online stores. Fantastic. And another day, another platform adding NFTs, which tells you that that's incredibly simple to do because <laughs> everyone's adding NFTs to their platforms, basically, uh, and will continue to do so. Everyone will add NFTs to their platforms and every company is going to make an NFT, as Coca-Cola just announced. And it's it's almost like people getting Twitter accounts and announcing they have they're using Twitter now. It's like everyone's going to have NFTs. Is this going to be like the Beanie Babies of the nineteen nineties? Um, <laughs> we're going to hit peak. Yeah, I'm actually pretty bullish we're, on we're NFTs. Hit... Just, there is a scenario where there's a lot of yeah. backtracking. Japan's first commercial things. use quantum computer starts operations, and boy, it's a surely a, a whole lot more beautiful machine than what we've seen. Um, from Google and the likes, uh, but I just tweeting that out so you can take a look at it. Yeah, it looks like a- Steve Jobs. Yeah, would it looks like looks, if Apple were to make a quantum computer, that's what it looks like. And the next one is EY's new blockchain platform could solve a major tax headache. Uh, tweeting that out, and uh, from Dr. Donish, Jay Z, and Will Smith and Sequoia. Um, Sequoia is one of the world's biggest and best tech investment firms. Uh, invest in something called the Landis, 
which allows families to rent before they can buy the home. And that is genius because the, the startup buys the home and then rents it to the family um, so they can uh, essentially uh, establish credit, you know, and, and being able to pay it. Yeah. It, it lowers the exactly. risk. That's yeah, the most it's, if, if so, done correctly, uh, it's thing... absolutely genius and will make a boatload of money. Because it... And, and the reason why it's so exciting is because one of the biggest challenges that we have right now is the FICO score is complete trash, right? It's, it's not a good estimate. of That's why companies like Avant and others have done so well, which is the credit score, you know, is, it's it's regressive it hurts people of color there's just so many issues associated with the credit score but what this does is you buy the home uh, as a startup you then give the the home uh, to rent they rent it for a certain amount of time you build internal credit with the person that's leasing the home to you and then over time you're also building uh, uh building the rent to own and it's just taking rent to own to a whole new level they raised 165 million in debt and series a combined uh, in this round. And, yeah, they're um, going to need a ton of money because you know, they're, they're buying a lot of homes it's just an and then they're, then they're renting story. them out. But the it does open a whole new segment of the market that previously wasn't able to buy homes that, that should be able to, but they need that kind of st- those stepping stones of, of renting. I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, so next. Yeah. Uh, I assume if, if the home prices fall... Okay. They would suffer in no, that case. Because in the, fact, edging. Yeah. Well, the 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 startup doesn't because the startup is selling the home right away to the exactly to the they they never actually um, are financially responsible essentially. Then oh, I I thought you said they will rent it for a while and then they get to buy it, and I right. thought. And they buy is when whatever the market price is, is what they would pay. You are saying that's not the case. It's predetermined. You are locked in exactly. Oh, I see. Okay, that wasn't clear. All right. And they're, and of course they're charging above market value for the home. That's their business model. But the but you're getting the convenience of renting before you buy it for people who don't qualify for a loan necessarily. Yeah, uh, Danish. Yeah. I actually uh, worked for FICO a while back and. What we observed there, right? if you take a FICO score and run it through Citibank, JP Morgan Chase, any bank, any portfolio, you would never get a discrimination with any alternate score. So that has actually these sub, uh, six, sub 600 FICO has been tested for a lot. That company has done actually a lot of things. In, uh, it's, it's not shitty because it's evolved on over three years that right? it becomes very new. And uh, there has been studies where people come up with a lot of alternate score in US. I'm just talking about the US. And they couldn't beat FICO on those portfolios ever. Uh, so that's actually, uh, as I mean, f- I'm not sure from an individualistic point of view what you have seen, but for let's say big banks and uh, they, any alternate score couldn't uh, differentiate between risk uh, for let's say uh, at least overpower of FICO with uh, also on the sub 600 domain. Uh, it's uh, it's been a long time since I've had a good debate up here, but I'm not. You know, what I will say about the FICO score is there's enough studies out there, Amish, that have looked directly at the impact of FICO on people of color. Um, it's led to incredible startups like Avant and even Affirm, uh, which, uh, you know, are, are changing the world. And I think that 
for us to try to claim that FICO scores don't negatively impact people uh, people who have uh, less money to begin with is is a bit. Um, I think it's a bit naive and it's it's not in line with the reality that's happening in cities all over the country. I think, you know, other people can jump in as here as well because I'm not a finance expert. I just I was I happened to be an early investor in a company that was going against You, you also have a whole you have a whole industry preying on people with those exactly. low FICO scores taking advantage of them and and with low with high interest loans and it's just a terrible industrial complex. So, like, you know, when you think about even the, the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, which a lot of us know people and families that were negatively impacted by that. Uh, sure, the FICO score itself was not uh, was not responsible, but the industrial complex associated with that, those people are still paying, you know, 20, 25 percent API, uh, you know, credit cards right now. Uh, because they, it just started a series of events that led them to be in this position. And while the rest of the world is paying 5%, those people of color, they still can't come out of poverty. So again, I'm not trying to be difficult on you, Amish. Dr. I'm just Danish, saying, you're absolutely yes. correct. And I wanted to actually support you in what you're saying because I am a Puerto Rican. I am Puerto Rican. My family is from a lower middle class. And our percentage of APYs for my family and those in it is 298 it's 29.8, and the, it's just ridiculous, the, the pillaging and raping that's happening in this whole context. Because being from New York City, where there's so many minorities and so many families that can't even buy property, and I think the easiest and closest place they could get it is the Poconos, which is two and a half hours out of New York. So if you imagine that they have to commute and they can only find work in the, in the big cities, that really does put a heavy burden on the family, and it does put a heavy burden on the, on the family unit. And, you know, you do see that sort of trickling in. So I do agree with you in terms of this FICO score. I think it's a bit naive to assume it's doing all great stuff because there's a lot of, unless you're actually on the ground and you have family or those that are connected to you that have seen it actually hurt them since that financial crisis in 2008, 2009, I would probably say maybe go have a little bit of a research and go introduce yourself to some of those people and ask them some questions and sit down, have a cup of coffee. And I'm sure they'll share with you their frustrations and how it actually hurt them. By the way, the FICO score, and I can go talk a lot about the 2008, 2009 and the, the failure of FICO and the failure of other things that caused that situation. The problem with the FICO score, the problem with even using income to determine mortgages, it doesn't really look at um, assets. It doesn't look at whether people have saved assets that they can get go into if they, for example, you know, lost their job or something. So all of the mortgage scoring you know, and how they determine who gets mortgages. It was all income-based. FICO is basically effectively income-based, very, you know, or heavily income-based. Because Okay, so that's another problem with it. And by the way, the FICO scores themselves, leaving aside the whole racial disparity stuff, absolutely had a role in, in the mortgage collapse because of fraud, because mortgages were, were packaged as securities and 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 if you act, and they actually uh, use the FICO scores to package the mortgages, and in some cases they were taking people with even really poor FICO scores, and 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 they were packing packaging them in the mortgages too. And then Moody's and S and P was saying, despite the bad credit scores, those bonds are AAA. So you know, the, so there's there, there was so much stuff that happened in two thousand eight. 
that was, you know, beyond yeah. all the issues that everyone's talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah Ken, but the FICO gave it the pro- the individual rating given by FICO weren't misplaced. It's the S&P's and Moody's problem that they give that corporate uh, structured uh, rating, which, so it's it's their problem. The corporate rating was in question, not FICO. Oh, I agree it, with it, that. No, no, no. I'm saying there was multiple problems there. And I, I, 100%. And, and in, in that case, you know, they, they misuse FICO. I, I agree with that. But I'm also saying the idea of deciding, you know, who's more likely to default on a mortgage or not, simply based on FICO or income, really, for example, doesn't, you know, have save money assets. A lot of immigrants, to some other people's points, um, you know, they save money, you know, they save cash and they don't necessarily use debt because they're conservative. And if you don't have debt, you can't even, you know, if you don't purposely have debt because you're being, you know, conservative, it's hard to build up a, a credit score. So there's a, there's a lot of that, too. Can I you pivot know, back some... to the article? Mm-hmm. It, it, so angel groups have been investing in real estate for years and, you know, for a number of years now. And so this this is kind of intriguing, actually, from a different perspective in, the, in that you've got a, like like you're saying, Tyler, KP, holy cow, they, they were the you know, they were the VC, right, 20 years ago. But but it's great that they got, uh, you know, Jay-Z and Will, but you said something very key in this, which, which regard is what is their business? What is their motivation? How What kind of money are they looking to pull out from it? Because they're not a, you know, they're a VC for God's sakes, right? So we'll have to kind of keep a close eye on to what, what, uh, what, what, they're pulling out of all these uh, of these real estate deals because that's right. going to be the equitability of that. I guess is question number one. You oh, know, and how how are they going to channel that back or not? It sounds like that's it's just kind of a little. It's it's oxymoronic or it's kind of like it's it's there's a little there's something going on in my mind where it's like wow, it's it's great, but we have to, we have to wait and see. Okay. In in the UK, um, for a number of years now. Um, the the government has supported a number of um, uh, schemes to support provide if you like step ladders to owning your home, own home, and one of them is shared ownership. Now shared ownership um, again supported by um, by and large um, housing associations. Um, in this case. Um, um, kind of designed as not for profit, however. The housing associations um, will will buy the home, sell you a, a share which you can afford. So you could have a twenty five percent share in the home. So you own twenty five percent, and then you rent the seventy five. Typically, however, because the rental values are so much, despite the fact that um, you could afford both the rent as well as the mortgage, the twenty five percent mortgage. If you had outright bought it, your payment would have been less. So it doesn't really work out in the end for 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 this for for the people that want to uh, buy the home. It's 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 literally selling a dream, um, and 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 then tying people into very very long term debt relationships. You know, it'd be great if homes were actually made for places for people to live rather than as financial investment vehicles for basically for aggregation and basically weird shenanigans on the markets to make smaller groups things. Just just throwing this out there that, you know, before the 30 year mortgage got invented, uh, you know, what, 80, 90 years ago or so, um, to be able to basically have everyone be able to have uh, upgraded indoor plumbing and all these other things is saying, well, these houses will cost more. Let's make a new middle class that can afford these. 
oh wait, we've got company towns, people can afford these. Let's basically you know, leverage it against their future earnings, et cetera, et cetera. The thing is, you don't have to build houses this way. We did, we know how to make affordable housing, but we're literally made it illegal to do so in many districts um, uh, to the point where essentially you can't actually make them without these instruments. It's not because we lack the technology or the knowledge of how to do so, but the way the legal codes are set up is in many zoning and building codes makes it illegal to build affordable housing. And then you look at who makes the rules for that, and it's what same groups benefiting from the prior parts. But the main point here is that if we made houses for people rather than for, 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 for finance, it would make a very, very okay. different type of real estate that we're building. By the way, to your point on the 30-year mortgage is really good because the Canadians only have, like, I think, 15-year mortgages, and they're just they're all arms like after within five years, and they didn't have the real estate failure that we had in the United States, literally because okay, they didn't have thirty get off, mortgages. Let's get off the mortgage thing for a bit. Um, with businesses getting squeezed due to freight and import inflation, this will accelerate oh, the a company called Two Simple, spelled T-U. Two Simple Self-Driving Truck Network takes shape with Rider Partnership. And for those who don't know, Rider is one of the biggest um, trucking companies in America, especially for moving of, you know, your house, you know, stuff when you move from state to state. And so this is a, the self-driving truck company that went public earlier this year has partnered with Ryder as part of its plan to build out a freight network. Um, And uh, indeed, uh, an autonomous partnership with Ryder is big. That means a that that's now really starting to get into <laughs> replacing truck drivers at scale. So um, thank you for that, Jeff. And then here's one that I found from David Sinclair, who's leading the anti-aging movement out of Harvard and in his lab, where he believes he's uh, starting to figure out how to stop aging completely and even reverse it. And he, and he claims to have reversed it in mice. And so his uh, tweet uh, today says, from five hours ago, it says that childhood trauma increases the chance of a heart attack decades later in life. Why does he think that? Because a new study finds that childhood trauma shuts off the SIRT1 longevity gene for life, which um, is basically a gene expression that people can have, uh, which is pronounced in people who live very long lives and childhood trauma stops that gene from expressing itself permanently so if you have childhood trauma you're very likely you will not have a long life truly tremendous finding next article a satellite called at swarm they have a twitter account which is at swarm uh debuts their 499 dollars evaluation kit for consumers and tinkerers. So if you want to tinker and dabble in satellite connectivity, satellite connectivity company Swarm has come out with a new product that will give anyone the ability to create a messaging uh, or internet of things uh, set up for the low, low price of $4.99. I'm tweeting that out to the Tech News Twitter account like we do with all of these links. Thank you for that one, Evan. And Hassan found one that I'm tweeting out now. That says a new study has found the map the, that mapping how hate clusters communicate around social platforms can help predict the flow of disinformation. Though more research is needed, these findings could help fight the spread of hate online. And there's a link to the article. And Warner 
did renegotiate. Oh, sorry. The headline is from Bloomberg. Joshua sending this in. Thank you, Joshua. The from Bloomberg says Warner Brothers guarantees filmmakers a payday for HBO Max movies. Warner Brothers has come up with a new plan to compensate filmmakers during the pandemic. Treat every movie like a box office smash. There you go. They get a cut uh, there that now that the these platforms are getting competitive for the content. So Netflix is competing with HBO Max and Disney to see to get the rights to stream new movies because they always need new movies, just like theaters needed new movies. But the theaters are going away because people are streaming. But now these streaming platforms are competing to get the movies. And so it's going to become very competitive. And now HBO's upping um, uh, the ante a bit by now giving uh, ostensibly um, a new plan to compensate the filmmakers by giving them um, a bit of treating treating the streaming platforms like their box offices and giving them uh, a kind of a, a cut in that way, which the other platforms are not doing yet. So interesting to watch how that space evolves. Tyler, to be fair, the 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 of the seventeen movies that they're releasing, three of them are the uh, Dune, the Matrix, and Space mm -hmm. Jam, and so I guess they would have been box office hits anyway. Yeah. No. So, uh, the Tyler, thank yeah. you. No, go. Oh, I'm sorry, Tyler. I just want to say thank you. This, this is amazing platform. I I literally been treating this as if it's a course. I have a notebook. I have plenty of notes. I've learned so much. <laughs> I just really want to thank you. <laughs> Can you please tweet that article in regards to the mortgage company of the rental home? Yeah, um, I should be in our Twitter account. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, okay, T N A T W. Perfect. About four tweets ago. Yeah, okay, and that's perfect. a fantastic compliment that you actually use no, notes, take notes like you're in a class. That's fantastic. Um, thanks for that. The Vinay sent this one in from IndianExpress.com that I'm tweeting out right now. That says um, it's all about the incentives globally. Fresh COVID nineteen vaccine incentives on offer around the world. Hong Kong's incentives are the flashiest: a Tesla and an apartment in the world's most expensive housing market and gold bars and a diamond Rolex or $100,000 uh, that you could win in a lottery. and But all kinds of places are offering incentives now to get vaccinated. And in, in BBC, is Vinay sent in one from the BBC that says Nanjing, uh, which is the new epicenter of COVID in China for Delta, which started with five flight attendants at the airport, has now grown to almost 200 people and have that have been infected since the virus first detected at the Nanjing airport on July 20th. So in 10 days, it's only up to 200. Let's hope they keep it under control, but color me skeptical. I'm Delta is incredibly impossible to maintain, as we know damn well here in Thailand. So that could grow. I, I have a prediction Delta is going to go viral. Um in China, no pun intended. The Alexandra sent in this one. Welcome to the beginning of the E shekel. The, as Israel's doing their digital uh, central bank digital currency, your playbook is getting repetitive over there at the CBDC land. Israel draft bill aims to force investors to report Bitcoin holdings above sixty-one thousand dollars to tax authorities in Israel. And Alexandra sending in another one uh, from CNBC that the grand jury indicates Trevor Milton, founder of electric car maker Nikola, um, on three federal criminal fraud charges. 
and accusing him of lying about nearly all aspects of the business. <laughs> Quote unquote. Wow. They had to say nearly because the name was still actually <laughs> so, um The next article is from P.T. Yoder, and who usually joins us in the audience that they, we talked about the 3D shutdown of Amazon Kindles because many older Kindles have a 3G kind of chip module in them. And so they won't be able to download audiobooks anymore or, or, or textbooks rather, the ebooks. And now, and now older Tesla Model S's uh, that were built uh, uh, could lose connectivity features with their 3G network being phased out. So Tesla Model S owners with the pre-June 2015 models of the company's flagship sedan are set to lose some connectivity features in their vehicles as AT&T winds down 3G. I have one of those, but I've already upgraded to the for uh, LTE, but they're they're making it really cheap to upgrade, so it's not really a big problem. Plus, you can use Wi-Fi as well and use your phone as a hotspot, so... Not a, not a critical yeah, problem. For I have some Peter Tesla from owners. Tesla have told me some really hilarious stories of the earliest days of the, when they had the connected cars, and they had he has some really funny stories of Norwegian people who live in different countries where they live in one country and work in another, and Tesla was initially in the early stages, it was just built in, and Tesla paid for the data that the car was using. Um, and so some people who were using their car away from their home in a different country, those fees got very high because you're in before the EU passed this kind of unified data plan packages. Uh, it got very expensive when people were using their car out of their countries and foreign countries and Tesla had to pay the bill and they went, it flew to Norway to one individual car owner and forced him to use a different chip in his car (laughs) to lower his data bill on his tesla um wow yeah funny story he has a lot of stories like that the really funny stuff they had to figure out logistically in the early days so the next one's from sylvan uh about uh in we were talking about israelis israel's sindaru or kandaru or sindaru however it's pronounced sold state spyware to hack journalists and dissidents. So now we've had in the past couple weeks, two weeks, three different Israeli spyware companies that sold um, their spyware to international clients to hack journalists and dissidents. So it's um, a, a bit of an issue here. <laughs> they discovered more than and, 7, and, 750. And Charles, days. go ahead. Charles, Charles really said, pay attention to Israel. And man, he was not lying. Well, he because he got hacked himself and then he went to the FBI. And so he happens to know a bit more than he can even say. And all he can say is, you know, pay attention because the FBI knows, you know, is investigating this stuff. So Varda Space Industries closes a $42 million Series A for off-planet manufacturing. We covered this one a few days ago, but it's such an interesting one. A young startup, Varda Space Industries raising $42 million uh, Series A. That's a huge Series A, by the way, uh, to bring manufacturing a key capability that can only be found off-world in a micro... They're doing microgravity manufacturing. Um, so in places that... Is that the one that's doing fiber optics? or is one I'm not sure ones? which um, you know products and services they'll be focusing on, but ones that benefit so, from microgravity, of course. 
so just real quick with things, one of the ones that was very attractive for groups that are looking at space manufacturing is fiber optic cable manufactured in zero G, theoretically at least, should be able to basically work exceptionally long ranges without defects, which means that you could basically go across the entire ocean without repeaters, which would be a big freaking deal. Um, but uh, that's something, you know, relatively simple inputs, outputs, it's just, it's just the environment. Um, there's actually, um, there's on the Small Steps Giant Leaps Club, there's a uh, talk to uh, space venture capitalists open the office hours. I think it's on Tuesdays. I need to check the schedule again. But they actually talk about several of the space-based manufacturing groups and cover which ones are focusing on which ones with stuff. And it's some really cool discussions. People are interested in that topic. So Kodiak Robotics is another one of the main players in the autonomous uh, trucking space. And there's a headline today about uh, where the Kodiak's robotics founder says that their tight focus on autonomous trucking is working. And uh, indeed, the, the autonomous truck companies are doing very well. And there's a lot of them. And uh, we covered the Jay-Z Will Smith Sequoia. I did tweet it out um, for uh, who was the young lady that was asking about that. Asha. What a great name, Asha. Um yeah, so it's 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 from Dr. Donish, is who originally. So you can look for Dr. Donish in our tweets on the Tech News Twitter account. And then Cheryl sent in this one from The Verge about K-pop's fandom platforms are changing what it means to be an idol. It's not just fan cafes anymore. The technology of fandom is changing too. Parasocial relationships, a largely one-sided relationship between a fan and a public figure, they feel close to due to social media, are everywhere online. And Dr. Donish sent in another one that uh, from Technology Review that hundreds of AI tools have been built to catch COVID. None of them helped. Some have been used in hospitals despite not being properly tested, but COVID could help make AI better. And he also sent in another one from Stat News. FDA plans sprint to accelerate formal review of Pfizer's COVID vaccine, COVID-19 vaccine. Lawmakers and prominent health experts have urged the FDA to expedite full approval of Pfizer's vaccine, citing various potential benefits. And um, Evan just found this one about neuroscientists unveil wiring diagram containing 200,000 cells and nearly half a billion connections in a tiny piece of a mouse's brain. And the... the yeah, it's Gotta a see the picture of it's a piece amazing. of a mouse's brain with uh, 200,000 cells making half a billion connections, which tell. Tyler, this is the, the link oh, cool. I, Thank I you, sent Wilson. you earlier. And the, the implication okay. is that eventually we can use that to do our own brains. And then at that point, you can feed it to the AI and then boom, sentient AI, general AI. Go ahead. Okay. Can I comment on that? Yeah, it's it's super cool. So what they did is, uh, it's it, the, the, there's 200 cells here around. You know, like Tyler said, half a million connections. Um, but this is from uh, a cubic millimeter of tissue from sex of a mouse. Um, so you know, you can visualize a grain of sand, uh, and it's it, like it's an enormous uh, undertaking. It was a collaboration with the Allen Brain Institute and Google. And what they, they have to do is they have to fix the tissue. They, they freeze it. And then they take these really, really high resolution scans with electron microscopy. And then they have to do all this work to register uh, all the different layers together. And then they just do this massive segmentation problem. 
and they're able to pull out all the blood vessels, all the glial cells, all the different neurons, and then go down and like reconstruct all the, the 3D morphology of all of these different cells down to synapses um, and, and spines and all the dendrites. Um, and to give you an idea of how crazy this is, they, they're, they're uh, hosting it online where you can, you can view, view it online. But if you click through and, and this uh, grain of sand of neural tissue is 115 terabytes of data. So it's it's pretty wild. And, and the, the other thing I would say about it is this is just a snapshot of a grain of sand of neural tissue. So normally this is a, uh, you know, all the thing in time is missing here. So to, just to get an idea of how much data to reconstruct. Alan Civil Institute is absolutely amazing. There's one one quick question, Wesson. Are you sure it's electron microscope or sure it's said EM? Oh, okay, cool. They've upgraded. Okay, I, I, I remember talking to some people that were doing the the mouse brain versions. They had a little, you know, d- little diamond scraper and they image each individual layer, but they had to do it optically because uh, um, it was such delicate tissue with things. But they've upgraded to EM. Man, that's going to be some crazy data sets there. By the yeah. way, for people, if you want to see some interactive data sets, Allen Cell Institute, just strongly recommend people check it out. They do some of the coolest things that I've ever seen on a web browser. And what's amazing about it is that it's not just accessible to uh, layman people. It's the same tools that scientists are using to actually interpret the data. So it's some pretty amazing stuff. And it, I didn't realize a web browser could do this, some of the stuff I've seen on the website. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I use their tools all the time. They're really cool. So keeping it on medtech for a second, Froz just found one, a new one. Uh, Scientists reverse age-related memory loss in mice, which could be helpful with... uh, Flowers for Algernon. We just fixed the COVID long hauler problem. (laughs) Scientists at Cambridge and Leeds have successfully reversed age-related memory loss in mice and say their discovery could lead to the development of treatments to prevent memory loss in people as they age. Fantastic. There we go. What memories are these mice losing? I don't understand. How to get to the how cheese. How to find the cheese. How to run <laughs> how to run away from the cat. That sounds like a book. Yeah. And uh, but that's that's a fantastic headline. It says although our study was only in mice, the same mechanism should operate in humans. The molecules and structures in the human brain are the same as those in rodents. This suggests that it may be possible to prevent humans from developing memory loss in old age. Fantastic. The next one is from Nalormi, uh, from The Economist, and it says China's tech clash gains steam again. Online education firms will not be the last victims. You can read all about that from The Economist. And who's next? Well, it's going to be property. And Evan just found one from Fast Company. Uh, the title is, Can Vitamin D Protect You From COVID-19? Here's what the latest research uh, shows uh, clinical trials are underway to de- definitively determine whether consuming vitamin D helps reduce the risk of COVID-19. S- studies suggest it might. And researchers found that black women with deficient levels of vitamin D had a 69% greater risk of COVID-19 infection. And JT found one uh, about uh, Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg hopes churches will one day host VR uh, services on Oculus, calling faith communities the best of Facebook. The social media giant's chief operating officer, Cheryl Sandbook, says she's looking forward to the day when uh, churches can uh, function on, uh, through VR on their platform. Working title, Facebook. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is going to be such a use case here in India. The temples all gone VR. It's going to be phenomenal. Um, InMarsat combines satellite and 5G into a single global network. Uh, everyone's excited about InSat joining the list of companies providing global connectivity. Count me included because competition will keep the prices competitive so that uh, we can continue to buy more islands and have uh, coverage everywhere all the time. Even on the boat between and in the vertical takeoff and landing copter while jumping between islands. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. So the Evan found one um, about Apple Healthcare powered by Apple Watch. Is this the future? He's asking. And it's a diagram and where it talks about data generation, data storage applications and services would be the next step where Apple could head next. Services, telemedicine, coaching and chatbots. Indeed, they already have the FaceTime, which so many telemedicine platforms are built on. They also already have Apple Pay, which is what those telemedicine companies use to do the payments. They pretty much... and Adhering aid. Yeah, they already know, have a lot of the key pieces in place. So uh, what's stopping them from going, going in telemedicine? So um tweeted that one out and then mahogany just found one from ars technica the headline is this 900 person delta cluster in massachusetts has the cdc understandably freaked out 79 74 percent are vaccinated oh shit more importantly vaccinated people were found to be spreading oh, yeah. the dangerous virus variant to other vaccinated people good times Apparently, we keep it live in our noses, even if our lungs are protected. Apparently, it doesn't activate antibodies in our noses, so we can still spread it to other people. Although I, I live here in Massachusetts, and just to be clear, there's a lot of hard partying going on in P-Town, Provincetown. So yeah, uh, there was, there was serious disco you can, dancing. Evan, you can make you can make out with somebody at the and bar, and you're totally protected, right? Of transmission than breathing. Okay. <laughs> apparently not tyler apparently not and but you know among the vaccinated just to be clear uh there were zero deaths so that was the tiny bit of good news yeah brain damage does not so, show up tim as a tim um kieran yeah who's been notably quiet today <laughs> um found this one from the financial well yeah, he yeah, came he, in he and then he kind of walked to he went to. He's, he's, he's got the kids yeah, on the weekend so um the date this he found this one in the Financial Times data explorer who uncovered vital clues to COVID. The epidemiologist uh, on tracking the virus's symptoms, how diet affects disease, and what he plans next. His name is Tim Spector, and he's got a profile piece in Financial Times that I just tweeted out. You can read all about it. And Poppy found one um, about a robot a robot nurse launched in Hong Kong to assist COVID-19 patients. Can you get Delta from a robot? That's the, the next new question. Uh, um, and do robots carry Delta? A Hong Kong-based robotics company which has a which has 2016 already created Sophia has now created Grace, uh, the sister of Sophia. Um, and I'm trying to remember the name of the company because it's actually a Swedish Hong Kong collaboration. Um, awesome. Fur Hat is the kind of the name behind it, anyway. So very, very interesting oh, that they the made a sister yep. to Sophia to be a nurse. And Dr. Fran just found this one from the New York Times about Bezos's rocket company loses challenge to NASA's SpaceX moon contract to the government. Accountability. Even after Bezos started begging, he's saying, "I'll pay for it, please. Yep. Just I want to go to the moon." Yeah, 
the government accountability office said a 2.9 billion dollar award to spacex to build the next lunar lander for astronauts would stand and the cdc uh bb who joins us usually in the audience each day uh, found this one from cnbc that the cdc study shows 74 percent of people infected in massachusetts covid outbreak were fully vaccinated uh, as we were just covering previously and some some brilliant person named ted who's joined us uh, once or twice on stage, uh, found this one from Tesla Roddy, that Tesla could be looking toward a battery recycling process of its own, according to a new patent that describes the retrieval of nickel and cobalt from expended battery cells. And I believe that's what uh, my buddy Peter's doing at Northvolt already. So the prior art might be a little tricky with that patent, but I could be wrong. So the next one is from Cheryl from the Straight Times uh, out of Singapore that the U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris to visit Singapore and Vietnam and next month to strengthen relationships and expand economic cooperation with two critical Indo-Pacific partners in the U.S. as China heats up its rhetoric and military drills in the South China Sea. There you go. They left that last part out, but I'm just filling you in. Because <laughs> that's obviously why she's going there. So then the next one is from um, Alesh um, from CNET. That TC, TCL, which is a huge TV manufacturer, one of the top four globally, has created something called mirror shade TV glasses that plug into your phone that you, you then put on your face. And they look like glasses. And so now you can have a kind of VR experience from just your phone and a cable and this cute little crazy AR VR glasses that you plug into your phone so that you can see your phone's screen all up and big on your face. Very handy for your next flight. And then Faraz found this one from Bloomberg. The headline is Robo Lawyer valued at $210 million with backing from Andreessen. And do not pay a startup that describes itself as a robotic lawyer striving to beat bureaucracy has more than doubled its valuation to about uh they just raised 210 million dollars and then we covered k-pop and um tyler one thing interesting about that was that uh he actually the founder publicly said that in that entire round where they raised all this money they were only diluted four percent Kind of smart, smart founders. I like, I like how Woo. they're thinking. Um, it's a young guy too. I think he once got some killer advisors yeah. about. So we've got just a few more headlines here. What do we? Everyone's tweeting the holy cow! Everyone's tweeting really fast all of a sudden. All right, here we go. Ten more. Uh, Evan just found one from hcn.org. The Trans Atlanta pipeline under threat from thawing permafrost. Structural integrity of the pipeline. And potential oil spills are at risk. Oh, boy. And Faraz just found this one from Hacker News. Chinese hackers implant PlugX variant on compromised Microsoft Exchange servers. Those fantastic Chinese hackers are at it again. And those terrible yeah. Microsoft servers. Um, yeah, at this point, I'm not sure. I I, I think we've got to start focusing the blame on Microsoft. So... I was gonna. I was gonna say, like, do you trust the multiverse where Microsoft's, you know, running it? I mean, you get to a new man. room. You would get to a room, and it would say, like, you know, sorry, you need to re-log in. 
with your Microsoft account. So even Evan you're in. found this one from Clean Technica Toyota actively lobbying to slow down the EV revolution. Toyota seems to be doing everything possible to become known as the most despicable corporations on the face of the earth, says Clean Technica. Last month, it was discovered they're the largest funder of the GOP <laughs> so that they could stop uh, America's push towards EVs. And, and yeah. they're the biggest car seller in the U.S. Yeah. So, you know, uh, no, Lormi found this sense. one from Nature. Artificial intelligence is structural. Uh, is And our AI in structural biology is here to stay. The DeepMind team developed a machine learning tool called AlphaFold. The team trained the program on DNA sequences. And you can read all about that. That was like 30 years point. before they expected to have this stuff. So it's like not on our not on our recent like we weren't expecting to have this this, this soon. So the, the, what's kind of funny is all the all the the Gartner prognostications of when we have certain technologies available for certain time frames. This might be a huge boost for nanotech and, and biotech stuff. So it, it'll be interesting to see if it yes. actually pans out with stuff. But it's looking really good. Tyler, we don't what we do not doing our usual time on Saturday. Um, go I'll, I'll go hours, as long right? as you're willing to go. Here, I got yours here right now. Uh, Froz just sent this one in from Nikkei Asia. Taiwan gives TSMC green light for most advanced chip plant to do two nanometer. And no me just, uh, oh no, that was a reply. Froz just found another one that the UAE engineers develop water bottles that fit in your pocket to tackle plastic waste. Idea to change how Public consumes bottled water was a prize Ooh. winner in the sustainability competition. Fantastic idea. Everyone carries a little expandable water bottle in their pocket. And Nolormi found this one from The Guardian about a federal court judge says allowing artificial intelligence systems as well as humans to be inventors is consistent with promoting innovation as a AI recently created a patent and so now we have to rethink the the kind of patent process and the legalities around that and can AIs be considered patent uh, creators and, and it seems like they can mahogany just found this one from engadget that apple pulls anti-vax social app over misinformation so that uh the one headline we read earlier about unjected it looks like uh they're getting dejected there you go there's a pun for you so um then Evan just found this one from Science Alert that uh, scientists discover psilis, psychedelic-like drug that doesn't cause hallucinations. Well, what's the point you of that? You need to sign up for a clinical trial on this one, Tyler. Okay, will do. And Mah- Be aware of the trees. <laughs> um, Mahogany found one from Canada, cbc.ca, uh, that West Africa battling rising COVID-19 case counts, uh, a resurgence of coronavirus cases in West Africa is hitting the region hard in inundating cemeteries where funeral numbers are rising and hospitals uh, where beds are becoming scarce. And believe it or not, no, I spoke too soon. Frost just found one from about Embrace the Future with Shutterstock AI launches data on AWS data exchange to advance computer vision solutions. Evan just shared one about how robotic carpenters could help solve Canada's housing crisis because, you know, they got robotic arms and they can do stuff. And Mahogany just found one from CNN about massive comment discovery dwarfs all others. Messengers from the past are all around us uh, in the form of comments. This week, we pull back the curtain on an ancient family and share the largest comment discovery ever. Um, 
Indeed, that's uh, let's hope it's just not headed for Earth. And Evan found one here that a lab-grown technology extends. I can go all day, Tyler, if, if you want to keep far beyond to... meat to go. diamonds <laughs> and trees, and even human bones can now be grown in a lab. Yes, most lab-grown tech companies are working to produce animal-derived agricultural products like meat and leather and milk and eggs and what have you. But what about bones? Oh, yeah, we can make bones, baby, right here in the lab. And scientists develop a new vaccine for plague. And it's ready for human trials. Fantastic. And I, I hadn't realized plague is still around. There's like thousands of cases of plague. Well, prairie dogs that pop up every once in a yeah. while. And Ev- Evan's trying to race me here. He's just found one about a grand AI consortium formed in South Korea to develop artificial brain with high performance computation capability. As I said, once we figure out, you know, that mouse brain thing with um, all of the cells and all the connections, and then we do the human brain. And next thing you know, we genetically engineer a super smart person, or we, we actually bring back the, we find the DNA of Albert Einstein. We bring him back into a sleep kind of state to harvest his brain, and then we digitally twin it and create an AI of Einstein's brain, which we then merge with our own BCI, brain-computer interfaces, and then we can all merge with a AI based on Einstein's brain. And we all start speaking German. Well, then we can finish his uh, work on general relativity. The grand unified theory. Let's do it. Here we go. And we can all sign up for air We've got work to do. We've got problems here. to solve. And uh, Faraz just... Doesn't it doesn't have to be a perfect copy to be useful. That's another thing to decide out about this, is that even micro-intelligences that are very hyper-specific on certain tasks can be very, very useful economically. It doesn't need to be a complete human brain copy to basically automate a large number of things because for a lot of tasks, we're not using our full brains. Not, I'm not going to do the full 90% crap because that's some made-up statistic, but there is a thing where a lot of our workloads are only using portions of what we're capable of doing, and if we automate just those parts, we're going to have so a Faraz just there. found this one from the Indian Express that Pegasus Exposé shows that time has come for transnational treaties to stall surveillance by rogue governments and corporations. Nurtured by repressive governments and with exports to other governments aspiring to similar heights of repression, the global surveillance industry is booming. Well said. Um, yeah, Pegasus Gate there is now being coined. And uh, the author of this article is doing a very long, lovely, well-thought-out rant about uh, what we need to consider going forward post-Pegasus. And Evan just found one um, about a new type of quantum memory device that's been created. Scientists have developed a means to create a new type of memory, marking a notable breakthrough in the increasingly sophisticated field of quantum memory. So just going to tweet that. Yeah, it's not just processors and, you know, yep. and 5G. We need faster memory, and, too, for um, all this computation. Evan's doing some serious multitasking here. He just found this one from spacenews.com. That Space Force eyes solar-powered vehicles to for operations near the moon, which might which uh, Elon might find handy with now that he's got that NASA contract. Uh, a startup under contract 
to the U.S. Space Force is investigating the use of solar-powered vehicles for operations in deep space. Fantastic. And... Yeah. And Evan Thanks is... Force. My goodness. Uh, just a machine. Like I said, I'm not multitasking. Like it's, not, it's not weekdays, so I can just go like free flow here. Yeah. An endless changing playground teaches AI is how to multitask. Wow. Video game, virtual game worlds provide a nonstop stream of open-ended challenges that nudge AIs towards general intelligence. They, they keep getting smarter. You, you get it? Yeah. Imagine what an AI could do listening to tech Tyler. news around the world. You know, <laughs> Tyler, Evan is using that AI right now. <laughs> People think I'm a bot because the, I tweeted the amount a million of times Greenland over ice years, that but... melted on Tuesday could cover Florida in two inches of water. That's how fast Greenland. Green... One can help. Veiled threat. Would that be an improvement? Or... <laughs> and 3D printed con- concrete bridge needs no reinforcements. Um, and the researchers have built the first ever 3D printed concrete arched footbridge in Venice. And I got to say, it's beautiful entirely without reinforcements and that's what makes it beautiful because it's a uh, it kind of defies kind of conventional architectural rules uh, but very interesting looking and uh, for people who are looking more for those generative design as a really cool concept if you look up just google images or DuckDuckGo images of such things they look very pretty and they can keep you occupied for a very long time generative design is really cool stuff and i love this one that evan just found about cars that learn how to drive themselves by watching other cars. Now that's intelligent. Or how not to drive themselves by watching idiot drivers, perhaps. Could do that too. Um, Cyclists. <laughs> and Mahogany just found this one that Britain urges vaccinations during pregnancy amid Delta variant worries. Uh, obst. What's that? Obstetric, obstetric surveillance system found that the proportion of pregnant people hospitalized with moderate to severe illnesses has increased with the highly contagious Delta. And refreshing here, Faraz just found one uh, from Protocol that the FTC officially official warns of seized algorithms juiced by ill-gotten data. And indeed, algorithms are getting juicier due to juicy data. Uh, and that's from the FTC, who clearly must be listening into our tech news around the world about juicy data. And indeed, uh, the algorithms are all over that sweet, juicy data. And Evan just found one from the BBC about the most powerful tidal turbine starts engineering electricity off of Orkney. And you have to see this uh, really wild looking. Um, t- Isn't this a solution for endless free energy or, or am I missing something it's, here? It's 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 pretty low amounts of efficiency with the current the current generations, but if we invest in there twenty, thirty years worth of tech, we can probably get where solar is right now with where it's like, wow, there's no way we can improve it that much and then, what do you know? It wasn't as hard as we thought. We just need to actually put some money into actually building them out. Uh Froz just found one from Forbes about digital fashion broaden clothing options. And digital fashion is a new concept and one that only a woman entrepreneur would develop is the headline from Forbes. And Evan just found one uh, where the headline reads, Scientists Transform Water into Shiny Gold Metal. Yeah, we 
that's a really one of the really weird ones today. Mahogany just found one from South China Morning Post. Headline reads, U.S. says Russians tied to SolarWinds hacks targeted federal prosecutors. Indeed, uh, the, uh, the Justice Department said 80% of Microsoft's email accounts used by employees in the four attorney offices in New York were hacked by the Russians. And Faraz just found one from uh, Arabian Business that Saudi e-grocery market to pass $2 billion in the next three years. From being a laggard among the other online sectors pre-2020, pre-2020, growth in the e-grocery segment is also predicted to outpace the rest of the... Uh, I don't. I couldn't read the last word. It's like a store, but it's on the internet. It's like a store, but it's on the internet. You click, you it's buy, they ship. Next. You buy, you buy my stuff. Click. You want, you want celery? You want, you want, you want oranges, apples? What do you need? Cal, what do you want? Lemons, limes? We got it all. Thirty minutes. You, you're gonna be home. We're sending it over. You, you got it. Pomegranates. You, Pomegranates. That's we got them. Yeah. I need um, that. yeah. Rivian all-electric Amazon delivery vans tested on (laughs) Detroit roads. There it is. That's what we were waiting for. Despite R1T and R1S delays, Rivian's Amazon vans, autonomous, electric Amazon vehicles are coming your way. And if you thought um, the prices on Amazon were cheap before, well, they're about to get cheaper because uh, this is going to be... one of the factors that lowers the prices is, you know, the, the cost of shipping is going to go down dramatically if the vans are fully autonomous. And um, now... Te- and you know they're talking to the UK government to, mm-hmm. to get a plant uh, in the UK. The they're Vivian manufactured vans, yeah. in the UK now. So. Venice VR expanded yeah. returns to VR chat with 35 that. projects in September. The, the This is, I imagine, an extension of the Venice uh, Film Festival, that, which is they're getting into VR. And that's a really interesting development that these film festivals, you know, like the Tribeca Film Festival, you know, um, what's the one up in the mountains? The um, Sundance. Yeah. So Sundance. Yeah, they've been early supporters of VR even before the tech's really there with things. Like, they really doubled down hard in a way that really kept the industry kind of going even when the consumer sector didn't really materialize like it needed to with things. Like, the the, the, the content creators and, 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 and uh, Tyler have actually done maps of the VR industry. A lot of them are based here in Los Angeles with stuff. And you, 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 had, a, you, had, a, you had a good say in starting some of those communities. So they've they, they <laughs> so flourished quite well. Frost just found this one from Forbes, that billionaire Richard Lee, or a Hong Kong-based telecom operator called PCCW, controlled by billionaire Richard Lee, has agreed to sell its data center business to Digital Bridge. And then we had a headline 48 hours ago that Goldman Sachs is going into the data center business in mainland China. And there's an interesting point to be made there, is there not, about my um, prediction that Hong Kong's digital, uh, Hong Kong geographically, physically, has now been um, kind of absorbed into proper mainland China, where the the... The many of the rights of the Hong Kongers, their freedom of press, uh, freedom of speech, rather, is now gone. Both the freedom of press and the freedom of speech are now gone. And so in print publications and even in blogs, those have been taken down. And people are not able to protest. They're not even able to write anything on their shirt. There's no freedom of you know speech, essentially, in, in Hong Kong. 
That's physical. That's geographical. But what about digital? What about, for example, um, the publisher of Apple Daily, Jimmy Lai, was you know jailed, and the whole team was shut down, and the, the whole publication was shut down, and their banking you know accounts were shut down, and everything. And then in the days after that, a bookstore was found to have some books by Jimmy Lai. And then the bookstore and the library were told you can no longer have those books. Interesting. Why not? Uh, well, they need to disappear, just like Jimmy Lai, uh, because he's not no friend of the state. So what about the digital versions of those books? And we saw other really interesting early indicators that uh, the CCP is going to remove uh, the digital freedoms of Hong Kongers, which is their ability to use the open internet, you know, like Google, Facebook, Tinder, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, uh, which the mainlanders don't have. And so the fact that the Hong Kong billionaire is selling the big data center business uh, and that Goldman Sachs is going into the data center business in Beijing um, this is kind of an indicator that, um, the, the whole data, uh, center aspect of things, this is not a good sign for digital freedoms in Hong Kong. Let's just, uh, put it that way. And tell it, uh, tell it, are these general purpose, uh, data centers or just for the financial services, uh, which, which Goldman is starting up? Uh, that headline was 48 hours ago. I don't recall. So long. Yeah, that was a tech decade ago. So, uh, to, super quick, super quick. There's um, uh, when you sign up with Apple devices, essentially in China now with things, there is basically a thing where they'll say, "Hey, your data goes to Apple and the partnership with this other group." Um, that other group, there's a I think it was a Washington Post thing on. I need to go find the article and stuff. But essentially, uh, they're saying, "Well, this is run by a local data group that happens to be state controlled." Apple has the entire separate thing where we've got the encryption keys and everything else, but we happen to be co-located and all the staff happens to basically be state employees and, 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 and basically the article is asserting that, you know, even if Apple ostensibly has a sort of like control over the data sets, de facto the way they're implementing it leaves a lot of security holes, which can be very trivial to basically exploit for, you know, the full database and the back end with stuff. I would need to get the original article again, but this is one of those like things happening back on data centers in China. Okay. So Mahogany just found one from Mashable titled, uh, Why Women in Tech Are So Angry All the Time. <laughs> what a great title. What was that? <laughs> uh, were these angry women? I haven't come across yeah. any angry women in tech. But... I'm angry that you said that, Evan. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Maybe it's... Yeah, uh, you just ruined his streak. The women in tech are fighting a never-ending war against pay disparity, discrimination, and harassment, but still show up to work. And most of us, however, experience constant microaggressions. Every woman working in tech I know has at least one story that makes your blood boil, right? The writer shares about harassment. And Evan found one from Live Science. The headline reads, Most Americans think intelligent aliens exist. And half think they may have visited Earth. Fifty percent. So Elvis is alive. That's about how many of them run the government. <laughs> the <laughs> new nanoscale material harvests hydrogen fuel straight from the oceans. Research at University of Central Florida developing the world's first nanomaterial that can split seawater into oxygen and green energy. Boy, just in time. 
and uh, um, it's almost like whenever you see a material science breakthrough, you have to go through the checklist with things. It's like, okay, but it only works like five times before it degrades, or it basically can't be manufacturing volume, or uses some rare earth that they only have like, you know, 400 tons of worldwide supply, or essentially has never been proven to work outside of other conditions, or it's like, there's so many amazing breakthroughs that come with material science. It's really getting tiring of the number of things that end up preventing them from actually deploying at scale. And it's like, come on, I wish the, I wish the people covering these articles like really drill down deep on like almost like a, like you know the privacy label things. We should have a bunch of material science by this point of. Like, Anna Marie just found one, um, and the title is, "Can we predict the limits of COVID nineteen variants and their phenotype?" typical or phenotypic consequences and that would be a question for john i think <laughs> i don't know is the the answer from my limited uh understanding of the topic i'm sorry what was the question i was multitasking variants and their phenotypical consequences yeah it's a great question and i've been asked that several times already and and uh, so there, there's no good modeling that I've seen um, to answer that question. There is modeling about the impact of uh, mutations at different uh, sites on the spike protein, but there's not good modeling to answer that question. But my own thinking is as follows. There's a relatively limit of, of the millions of you know permutations, combinatorial permutations about uh, the... Uh, convergence of multiple mutations in different variants. There's only a handful of variants that have really superseded their predecessor variant in terms of their contagion, which is what determines whether ah. it spreads or not. If it's less contagious, so for example, than the Del Delta could combine go with one that's more so if you, um, has a longer incubation period, and then you get the double whammy of, and then you could contagion. also merge with one that is actually has a higher mortality rate, right. and then yeah. And, and, and Los Alamos Labs already a, a year ago published evidence that two variants that were co concurrent um, in, a, in a community did have recombination where they, they, they provided pretty unequivocal evidence that that the hypothetical uh, um, convergence of variants getting uh, in the same cell where you get the worst of one, the worst of the other, you get a new virus that combines the worst of both. Uh, Los Alamos Labs already published that data about a year ago. And so that is, that is a possibility. But in terms of what are the number of permutations that can be more uh, um, contagious than what we've already seen, um, it, it's hard to really uh, project it being too much more contagious. As the CDC said yesterday, the contagion of the current variant, the Delta Plus variant, is already exceeding smallpox, chickenpox, um, and, 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 you know, two orders of magnitude more contagious. So the, the original, wild, uh, the, the Alpha variant that came out of the UK is an order of magnitude more contagious than the wild type. The Delta is two orders of magnitude, a hundred times more contagious than the Alpha variant. So we're now at a thousand times um, uh, more um, uh, viral load than, than what we've seen. I, I, I conflated contagion and, and viral load. So the viral load is a thousand times higher. Sorry, not contagion. Contagion, they're saying, is about 8x. Um, 
And so some say 2x, some, you know, so it's hard to really nail down those numbers. But the bottom line is to answer your question, is this going to be a perpetual cycle that goes on forever? And my answer is probably not. Um, that what's the Delta virus is so contagious already that it alone is adequate to infect everybody who's unvaccinated, including a relatively substantial portion of people who are fully vaccinated with the best vaccines we have right now. It's not a reason not to get vaccinated, but we're going to get a level of herd immunity globally from the current Delta virus alone. If anything is more contagious and supersedes the Delta variant, it's going to accelerate the time at which we arrive at a global herd immunity. And then what's going to happen is this will be the fifth common cold coronaviruses. There are already four that circulate and we're vulnerable to getting reinfected every two to three years with a relatively, relatively mild infection. And there are 1600 plus different antigenic sites across all the proteins, across all of um, the, uh, the COVID virus so that those people who are naturally infected are going to have some array of the 1600. So a complete escape of this pedigree of virus out of natural immunity or out of uh, addressable vaccine immunity is highly unlikely. So the only question in my mind, is it going to take us another two years or another five years to get to the point where the global herd immunity results in this becoming essentially the fifth common cold coronavirus that just gives us a bad cold every couple okay. of years. So, um, I'll hey, Tyler, your um, yeah, I, think, I, I have to char- my AirPods only last four hours, so they got to charge up. So, yeah, ho- hopefully they're charged. Let's try it again. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll quickly point out that because uh, um, the the accuracy of replication of uh, a fidelity replication is is high, and it's a long. Uh, uh, genome compared to other RNA viruses, uh, so it has to be high to produce vir- uh, viable progeny. People thought originally, oh, we don't have to worry about it mutating because it's got this uh, proofreading exonuclease. Well, the thing is, it's the same proofreading exonuclease, which number one can mutate to become a little bit less ac- accurate, excuse me, th- that and or the uh, replicase can mutate to become a little bit less accurate, which it did, number one. But number two, also the XON proofreading exonuclease also promotes the recombination that was mentioned. And this was known in other uh, coronaviruses before uh, SARS-CoV-2 ever came around. Yeah. And, and the other the other countervailing factor and 100 percent correct, Eli, the, the, the other countervailing factor is that the initial projections of don't worry, this is a slow mutating, but you know, relatively speaking, this is a very slow mutating virus compared to many others, notably HIV, um, hepatitis C and so forth. But um, it the other countervailing factor is when you have 100 million people infected simultaneously who each have trillions of viral particles even a low mutation rate has plenty of opportunity to experiment with new variants. So exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing is, you know what they, it was, it was astounding that people didn't get this early on. They were talking about, uh, Oh, only like two mutations per site per year, whatever the figure was. And they were basing that off of the number of people infected in Wuhan in January. And it's like, this is ridiculous. This is somebody who doesn't understand math.
One of, one of the water, one of the biggest watershed events and silver linings of the COVID pandemic is that it, it's exposed a lot of failures, public health systems, you know, um, it just, you know, governance models. But one of the key ones it, it has revealed is that we do not have basic blocking and tackling in our educational system for um, learning cognitive bias and where cognitive bias as an as an evolutionary feature of the human condition is very functional most of the time, whether it's ascertainment bias or confirmation bias or accessibility bias. Those are three big ones in COVID. There, there are 140 altogether. But we need uh, to absolutely build uh, awareness of the pitfalls of this evolution of the human brain towards all of these cognitive biases so that when something exceptional occurs like a pandemic, we don't trust our natural functional biases because they fail us in these black swan kind of events. And so what Eli just said about it was obvious to him, it was obvious to me that this was going to be the course of I, I, I coined the term whack-a-mole pandemic in February of 2020 before the first wave really hit the U.S. because the biology of this virus and the nature of global travel and spread is such that what's happening was absolutely predictable to any epidemiologist who has an understanding go. of math. <clears throat> so they're epidemiologists. The next headline is from our friend Evan um, from AP News. Uh, Tyler. Hey, um, first, well, thanks for inviting me on stage. Uh, and good to, good see, to see you again, Vivian. Many familiar faces. Yeah. Uh, it's it's yeah. been a while. Yeah. Where have you yeah. been, Vivian? Been we missed you. For a while. Yeah. Uh, well, I miss you guys too, but uh, I think I think the room has changed a fair bit. Uh, uh, and it's really neat to see the discussions and uh, topics raised. And I'm happy that you guys are talking about COVID too. Um, there were several points made. Uh, okay, uh, first, you know, with respect to variants, I can't remember whether there's been 3,000 or 30,000 variants. So I think it was John uh, who made this point. So, you know, he's certainly right that only a few variants uh, matter, right? Uh, as in, you know, how they impact uh, humanity's battle against COVID-19. So um, the, the, the point on you know, how we have, you know, hundreds of millions of people infected um, and, you know, contributing to uh, an increase in the number, the, the probability of variants going forward uh, and hence, you know, even recombinant, uh, uh, you know, coronaviruses, right, with, with advantageous mutations. Uh, that's really real. Uh, um, and that's why we need to, you know, vaccinate and mask. Um, I've heard some pretty horrible things from, uh, you know, uh, G20 chief medical officers on how easily this spreads. And I think someone made the point, maybe John again, that uh, this is, you know, that the CDC, I believe, has said this is, you know, really as infectious as smallpox uh, or chickenpox. Uh, the the press release I saw referred to chickenpox, so that is that that's pretty scary. Um, however, on the herd immunity question that uh you know you touched on, Tyler, um the I think it all hinges on number one the dominant variant at at a certain point in time. So let's say you know 
Delta for you know the second half of 2021. Uh, and, but more importantly, the variant of concern, uh, you know, next year and the year after, right? Because this pandemic. Uh, so first of all, you know, the developing world is not going to get the supply of vaccines. Uh, you know, even by the end of next year. So they're not going to re- reach herd immunity. And because, you know, most countries have begun global travel uh, for various reasons, uh, you know, it, it's really going to spread. And so hubs like London, Singapore, certainly the US, because it doesn't look like US are really closing borders either. Uh, you know, we are going to be, you know, super spreader sites, so to speak. So um, one key thing is whether the world gets its act together. Uh, you know, with respect to getting vaccines to the developing world. So I think since the India pandemic, the US has done a lot in getting vaccines out to not just India, but actually uh, I think more than 20 developed and developing countries. So that's good. Uh, But, you know, the so any model, and I'm super interested in seeing, uh, you know, great models that you guys have or know about, um, any model that takes this into account um, would be, you know, would, would be relevant to our discussions. Uh, the other factor, of course, uh, which we still have conflicting evidence on, uh, is how long they last. So uh, it's not just a matter of, you know, antibody levels, uh, but I believe it's, oh yeah, I forget. Is it H-cell? So, so the, the other immune response uh, is longer lasting, less easily detectable. So that is really going to be the crux. So if that wears off after two years, we are all screwed because all, our, all the resourceful or well-resourced developed countries are going to be buying uh, vaccines, booster shots, you know, or you know, whatever for, for us, right? Everyone else is going to be screwed. Um, the so unless the WHO is going to get the political clout and it's not going to reach that level in you know two or three years, uh, uh, you know, I, there's there's not going to be a reasonable mechanism to even protect the health workers of most of the developing world, let alone reach herd immunity. So the crux for us, therefore, is how protective. Uh, in terms of the you know fundamental immune response beyond antibody, how protective the vaccines, uh, especially AstraZeneca, because it's actually the one that's been recognized by I think is it 170 countries, um, so so that's the one that's going to affect the uh, you know global transmission, um, and global you know variants uh, for that matter. Yeah, uh, Vivian, those, those, you know, Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead and finish. Yeah, well, that's that's the finish, actually. Okay, so so I recommend, and and you're raising all the right questions. I recommend you read every paper published by Alessandro Setti, S E T T E, uh, La Jolla Institute of Immunology. Many of his papers have been presented to Congress during testimony because he's doing the most brilliant research. There are other people like uh, Blum at, at uh, uh, the Hutch in Seattle, and and others globally. People in the UK are doing some great research as well. But we we have a pretty substantial set of evidence from the work that these amazing researchers have done. 
um, that's pretty widely accepted in the immunology and virology community. And, and I'll summarize it as follows. You know, they, you, you can look at the types of immune responses we have and how effective they are in the context of a COVID pandemic and these emerging variants. And, and you've got the innate immune response, which is not specific to the pathogen, but just responds in general. Um, and then you have the B cells, which make the antibodies. Uh, you have the antibodies themselves, and then you have a whole array of T cells. The antibodies are uh, really a high level of antibody is really effective because it blocks all of the spike proteins before they attach to a cell and get inside and replicate. So having a high titer of antibody from a vaccine, like right at, you know, two weeks after, four weeks after you get your vac, your second jab, um, of the two dose vaccines and lo a longer period of time after like the J and J vaccine, which continues to drive antibodies upward for a much longer period of time related to the mechanism of the vaccine itself um, and the type of antigens exposed. But the point is that the antibody levels are your best uh, first, you know, first line of defense if you've got them. What naturally happens with most antibodies to most infections associated with most vaccines for those infections is that they're designed um, by evolutionary biology to dwindle over time because if we kept really high levels of every of every antibody to every pathogen we've ever seen, our blood would be too thick. So they naturally decline. They protect you for a period of time when teleologically you're likely to be re-exposed to the same kind of pathogen. And so when it declines, what it leaves behind is the memory B cells and the memory T cells. And the memory B cells have been shown um, in uh, SARS and MERS to persist for well over a decade. They've been shown with the Spanish flu to persist for a hundred years. And those individuals lucky enough to have been exposed, but live long enough to be tested. And so those memory B cells are there. It, the problem is, uh, so that's a level of immunity that's pretty significant in most diseases, but it takes a while to call them up and to call those reserves, those memory B cells, so that they replicate into large clones quickly and generate high levels of antibodies. So you have this lag period um, between when they're re-exposed. Yeah, uh, I'm familiar with all this, John. Okay, okay, and then the T cell, but the, here's the point you may not be aware of. On the T cell side, when you see the virus, there's six, 1,600 epitopes, okay, 1,600 targets for T cells to be very specifically reactive to. And Alex Setti said as recently as last Thursday um, that the, the wide array of epitopes that have been already found to be recognized by T cells across a population is so broad that the thought of having an all-out escape from pre-existing immunity is highly improbable. Um, so, you know, improbable things have already happened with this virus, but the person I respect the most in the research space on this topic said last Thursday, he doesn't foresee a complete escape of all forms of immunity that are being acquired around the globe right now. So to answer your question, and I know you're very sophisticated in this space, but I, it, was, uh, it was new to me last Thursday that there are 1,600 epitopes that are recognized already by T cells um, in, in, in a, across the population, not in every individual, but across the population. That provides some reassurance that this won't go on forever, but it clearly is worrisome that it might last uh, for at least a couple more years. Vivian, jo John, can I, can I put, when you said first line of defense, can I just ask this, which is, 
this is supposed to be the, the delta, for example, is like, what was it? You said a hundred or a thousand times more, uh, more, more, more viral load. Okay. Uh, so yeah. viral load, the, the, the visualization I get and tying this back to the, 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 the identification about the aerosol, the, how, how the droplets and how right. this thing. So, right. so, so what I, being a video game, crazy person, I just, when, when I think of people coughing this new Delta thing or even breathing, I'm just seeing these clouds. So I, I'm thinking, you know, the first line of defense is PPE and behavior, right? Um, 100%. Then, yeah. So, so if we, if we focus that Absolutely. on the, if that's the front line, uh, now I'm, I'm kind of just as a personal and, and kind of personal advice, I'm trying to think for myself and my family. And as I share this, the, my, my, my perspective, I, I'm just thinking that this is, you know, I, 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 I go to Walmart every so often, right? And I, I, I guess it was safe enough if it fully masked up with the N95 that that was some, that, that it gave us some assurance. But now I'm thinking we're literally going to be walking through clouds of this stuff potentially. And so that well, and, kind and, and of... And a great, a great analogy that, that I just heard for the first time last night, um, and I'm blanking on the guy's name. He's a former Harvard professor. He's a brilliant epidemiologist. And what he says is just imagine this. If imagine if everybody around you was smoking, how many of them would you smell the cigarette smoke coming out of them from how far away in a closed building? And if you think about the days or still places where smoking is prevalent and you smell that cigarette smoke everywhere, imagine that the odor you're getting out of the exhaust from people who are smoking is equivalent to smelling COVID and what your exposure is in a virus that is this contagious. So it, it, it's not my analogy. That will scare people, John. I, um, I understand so I that. But, a really yeah. good point. I had, uh, Vivian, I'm sorry. I had that metaphor in my mind last year when I was trying to gauge, because I had friends in Wuhan that were giving me kind of last January, February. So the scare thing, I just want the, I just want the factual stuff, right? I mean, whether it scares you or not, we've seen people are going to make their own decisions, right? But I'm just, I think metaphors like that are just helpful for people to contextualize. Thanks. I'm done so, so, guys, it's just because of the size of the particle. Every particle on Earth has what's called a settling velocity. And the smaller the particle is, the lower that settling velocity is to where you almost have to be still for that thing to fall out of the sky. And so when they told us all, hey, it's okay to take off your masks if you're vaccinated, it was also the week that they told us this was airborne. And airborne means it's not following. It's not settling. It's no longer an aerosol. It's in the air. And so it's no longer a droplet. It's yeah. An and, that, and that's for me. That for me was the definitive moment when I said, I'm vaccinated. I'm masking up and I'm going all in on masks from here on out. And, and it's unclear whether it's absolutely necessary, but odds are goggles would be a good eye or eye protection is a good idea as well, because there was a documented uh, case of transmission in the medical setting where everybody was wearing masks uh, uh, that a number of people, um, uh, healthcare workers got infected. Okay. And they we got to we got to pause on the COVID eyes. chat. Sorry, Vivian, yeah, have, you can have the final word on COVID. Um, well, uh, I'll just uh, note that, you know, David's work on video games, and if there are others working on this, if you can come up with, you know, fun yet real visualizations of um, how different the Delta variant, or how it changes the game, and how masks do help, 
uh, that would be awesome. And then please let me know. Thanks. And the first place you need to send it is to the CDC mm-hmm. and to the U.S. Department of Education. Because uh, if you can envision everything David just said, no, no, everything David just said is true about pediatric population spread. And I'm not saying these kids are still holding up really well if they get the variant, but they're carriers. And there's, I think, fewer than half the states have any mask mandate okay. going into fall when kids go back to school. Uh, yeah, well, ho- hopefully don't just send it to the U.S. Send it to, you know, some of us who can help, both with the U.S. and other governments. Um and, you know, Tyler, if it's okay, I'll just note that, you know, for those interested, there are lots of COVID rooms. ASEAN COVID session for August uh, will maybe focus on how the Delta variant changes the game. For those of us who, uh, you know, maybe maybe uh, un- unfollowing the news, so keen so anymore. Okay. So th- thank you, everybody. The, <clears throat> the next one, I think Evan found this one from AP out of Hawaii, uh, of the Boston Dynamics robotic dog known as Spot, you know, the yellow and black dog that we read the headlines about six weeks ago that the NYPD had tested it and basically immediately was met with a furious feedback by the citizens of Manhattan who told the police to get that thing out of here, and they did, and they sent it back to Boston Dynamics. And now it's being used in Honolulu, And so the headline from AP reads, Robotic Police Dogs, Useful Hounds or Dehumanizing Machines. And the story reads, if you're a there, although there you have a very interesting new use case for this in Hawaii, where it says if you if you're homeless and looking for temporary shelter in Hawaii's capital, expect a visit from a robotic police dog that will scan your eye to make sure you don't have a fever. That's that's just one of the ways public safety agencies are starting to use spot the best known of a new commercial category of robots that trot around with animal-like agility the handful of police officials experimenting with the four-legged machines say they're just another tool like existing drones and simple wheeled robots to keep emergency responders out of harm's way as they scout for dangers but privacy watchdogs the human kind warned that uh, police are secretly rushing to buy the robots without setting safeguards against aggressive, invasive, or dehumanizing uses. Aggressive? <laughs> what what would be an aggressive use of a police uh, a robot dog? Bad PR is mm-hmm. what it amounts In to. Honolulu, the police department spent about $150,000 in federal pandemic relief money to buy their spot from robotics firm Boston Dynamics were used at a government-run tent city near the airport. Because these people are homeless, it's considered okay to do that, said Zhang-Wook Kim, legal director at the American Civil Liberties Union of Hawaii. At some point, it will come out again for some different use after the pandemic is over. Acting Lieutenant uh, Joseph O'Neill of the Honolulu Police Department Community Outreach Unit defended the robot's use in a media demonstration earlier this year. He said it was a protected. It has protected officers, shelter staff, and residents by scanning body temperatures between mealtimes at a shelter where homeless people could quarantine and get tested for COVID nineteen. So it has a thermal body scanner on top of it. 
Could, could I just, just highlight how dystopian this headline is of, like, you know, body scanning robot dog in tent city a during global pandemic. I mean, there's a lot of dystopian headlines. The robot right is here. also used to remotely interview individuals who have tested positive. Oh, wow. So it scans you. And then if you're positive, it starts talking you. to you. <laughs> Or start ordering you around. Does it have like any like compliance tools, little taser things on the side just to complete the ensemble? Not. You know, <laughs> then it will hunt you and make sure. Although, you hey, quarantine. Chris, uh, I got news for you. They, they've the uh, the O'Neill acting Lieutenant Joseph O'Neill at the Honolulu Police Department says um, we have not had a single person out there that said that's scary, that's worrisome. <laughs> Okay, we're doomed. (laughs) We don't just walk around and arbitrarily scan people, he says. No, we're picking on homeless people. It's not arbitrary at all. The... You know, if they did that, like, I think the biggest problem is that scanning, people think that it means, like, the laser thing from the movies, right? To say, look, it's scanning. Look, it's doing, like... All it needs is a red dot coming out of its eye. Well, yeah, just like lasers and the glowing things, and then it's like the Robotron voice is like, Just stop there, citizen. You are being scanned and detained for the global COVID response unit. Stop, like, citizen. Stop there, citizen. Uh, police use of such robot dogs is still rare and largely untested and hasn't always gone over well with the public. Honolulu officials faced a backlash when a local news organization called Honolulu Civil Beat revealed that the spot purchase was made with federal relief money. Late last year, the New York Police Department started using Spot after painting it blue and renaming it Digidog. It went mostly unnoticed until New Yorkers started (laughs) spotting it in the wild and posting videos to social media. Spot quickly became a sensation, drawing a public outcry that led the police department to abruptly return Digidog to its maker. This is some Robocop stuff. This is crazy, was a reaction in April. So, so so you give it a paint job for camouflage. Oh, wait, it's blue. The public can't see it anymore. That'll make it blend in real great. And by the way, returning it to its maker sounds really dark <laughs> with all these other things. Do you return the other homeless people to their maker if they don't perform on their... Um, yeah, <laughs> so wild new use case of scanning people for COVID through their iris, by the way. And by the way, that might be an appropriate moment to remind everybody of what can be determined by scanning your iris. It's not just a COVID check or a temperature check, what else can be seen from your iris? They can detect your gender, your age, your biometric identity, meaning who you are, if there's a face time, a face, uh, a face algorithm uh, behind that, which very likely is if they're using, um, what, what's Charles' company's called? Clearview AI, if they have Clearview AI as part of the algorithm, they can tell who you are just from scanning your face, just like your phone can. It can also detect other physical health, like if you've had a concussion, chronic pain, vision disorders, obesity, or Parkinson's disease, mental health, like depression, PTSD, autism, or eating disorders, personality traits, like extroversion, neuroticism, curiosity, skills and abilities, like uh, your ability to uh, in sports and math and languages and chemistry, your drug consumption of alcohol, tobacco, cocaine, MDMA, and cannabis, and cognitive processes, to name just a few. Oh, and we read a headline last week that they can now also detect early stages of heart disease. Oh, it, it gets so, so yeah. much better than that because Hyundai just bought Boston Dynamics, so I remember right, with things. And the reason it's a big deal is they're also famous for their heavy industry stuff. 
So if you think big dog right now, you think it's big. No, that's a little dog. The one that's coming, it's going to get a lot more intimidating, a lot more exciting. You know, I can see like the, the Westworld style robots running around. It's like, you know, making sure citizens are, you know, maintaining quarantine and, you know, make sure that they're not spreading hate speech online or whether or not they, yeah, that's going to be very exciting here. The, the final uh, on, the, on the retinal uh, scanning, um, some of those things, you know, can be determined with a lot of accuracy. Others, probably not so much. And I think there's going to be uh, some questions about how reliable all of the uses it's put to are going to turn out. Yeah. Um, the next article is, and thank you to Evan for that one. The next one is also from Evan. Helion Energy says it will offer the world's first commercial fusion power how's that when i don't think we even have it available yet but they're claiming they'll be the first to have a commercial version and then uh, mahogany found this one from the washington post indian chinese army officers meet to defuse border standoff top indian and chinese army commanders have met after a gap of three months to discuss the expeditious disengagement um on the uh, himalayan border uh it says to discuss the expeditious dis disengagement of thousands of forces in a bid to ease the 15-month border tensions uh, tensions and clashes which got uh, uh several people died in the last clash but interestingly no no shots fired on either side it was but they intentionally didn't fire shots because you don't want to be the first to provoke war by, you know, starting by firing first. But they literally beat each other to death with their hands. Kind of, kind of a wild. And it was caught on video, by the way. Um, a battle in the Himalayas. Evan just found this one from Futurism. In a bizarre twist, astronomers detect light coming from behind a black hole. A team of scientists detected a series of bright X ray flares coming from one of the least expected of places behind a supermassive black hole which is understood to you know light is not able to escape you know uh, escape a black hole so it's uh, quite an interesting finding indeed and then indiana to test magnet um uh, a company called magment a mag magnetized concrete to charge electric vehicles the governor of indiana has announced that the india indiana department of transportation and Purdue University will soon begin testing the uh, magnetic concrete to charge electric vehicles as they drive. And um, let's see here. The next one from Nalormi from The Independent in the UK. Jeff Bezos loses his bid to block NASA SpaceX deal, which gave SpaceX uh, $2.9 million uh, for a, the, uh, a lunar base essentially and next up also from evan is from bloomberg tesla battery supplier c-a-t-l debuts cheaper sodium ion batteries let's hope that uh, finds its way into the cost of ev cars and mahogany found this one from scientific american how a remote indigenous community fought the pandemic uh, thanks to a response based on local culture and values india's nicobar islanders haven't had a single infection during the nation's horrific second wave. And the Nicobar Islands, for those anyone living in Thailand knows where they are, because it's just west of Thailand, basically. They're much closer to Thailand than India, actually. They're, and it's kind of the extension of the archipelago off the northern tip of Sumatra. And um, yeah, the Nicobar Islands are amazing. 
and um, and there's reports that India is militarizing them because China has to pass them to bring oil from the Middle East to the the east coast of China to Beijing and Shanghai. And so, if India militarizes the Nicobar Islands, uh, China's not going to be able to move their oil uh, from the Middle East to China, and that's why China built a port in Myanmar, so they don't have to pass the Nicobar Islands. And that's uh, things get more interesting from there. But we'll save that for another time, <laughs> because the d- democratically elected government in Myanmar was going to shut it down, and that's why the coup happened in Myanmar and the the current coup junta regime. And that's why China just was the only country so far to recognize the new junta as the new official government of Myanmar because they're there to protect the pipeline. So now you know what's really going on. Anywho. For people that want to learn more about this, there's a really great series of articles. You can start on Wikipedia. You can branch out from there on the first island chain, second island chain, third island chain. I think this extended to fourth and fifth is kind of like a more imaginary thing, but it, it's it's useful to understand some of the geopolitical aspects of which countries are trying to be on what side. Evan of just found for, an for interesting control. one from CBS in America about a Stockton restaurant hires a robot uh, as employee shortages take toll, as we've been predicting. As post-COVID, a lot of people are slow to go back to their regular jobs and and wanting higher pay, and they're sort of pricing themselves out of the market uh, as robots are willing to go back to work during COVID. And uh, this is an interesting example that I just tweeted out where it's a, a robotic tray uh, delivery and pickup system. It's really cool looking. Um, and then the next one is from Yahoo Finance about Helion Energy breaks ground on a site of its next generation fusion. And they're the ones claiming that they're going to have commercial fusion, a clean energy company committed to creating a new era of zero carbon fusion. Okay. Uh, I'll let, call me when it's ready. The Commonwealth Fusion, uh, 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 spark reactors, there's all sorts of fun things happening in the space. And for people that want to look at the real history origins of these, look at something called Project Pacer. There's some the next headline the 60s, just is researchers grow a coral garden in a lab. And yeah, and it, they almost look like they overdid it. These look like psychedelically uh, glow-in-the-dark corals. Uh, researchers have figured out how to keep the sea anemone and coral cells alive in the lab. This is a new type of coral garden and it could certainly help uh, the, the troubled oceans indeed. Next up is Scientific American. Entire buildings can be wrapped in jackets to save energy. Apartment buildings or blocks of row houses sorry, um, can be upgraded in one installation. And then the next one is from Singularity Hub. Scientists bred healthy mice using artificial eggs. And ovaries made from stem cells, because stem cells can be rapidly created from skin or other cells. They are an endless source of uh, utility, and you can read all about that one. Make breeding healthy mice using artificial egg and ovaries made from stem cells. And that's actually a really, really cool story. You guys, I'll I'll post some stuff, some additional research that's being done beyond um, the mouse okay. environment as well. It's, it's actually really cool. And Tyler. Yeah. I know this is almost the end as I'm, I'm going in to help my husband move about 50 vintage arcade games right now. So I'm going to probably kill myself. I'll take care. 
Yeah, I'll take, I'll take pictures and post. But I just want to say I'm very grateful for this room. And Saturday mornings are one of the best parts of my week. So thank you to you, Tyler. John, your perspectives you always share on, on COVID. I'm, I'm just very grateful for you guys. Thank you, so Thank you. Keep it up. Okay, All bye, right. guys. So the next one from Nalormi from TechCrunch, China Roundup. Keep, keep down internet upstarts. Cultivate hard tech. And this is actually a very misguided TechCrunch uh, journalist who fundamentally hasn't a clue what's actually going on in China. Um, who says, hello and welcome back to TechCrunch China Roundup, the, the digest of recent events shaping the Chinese landscape and what they mean to people in the rest of the world. The tech industry in China has had quite a turbulent week. The government is upending the $100 billion private uh, education sector, wiping billions from the ma ba ba And uh, the implication in the headline, keep down internet upstarts, cultivate hard tech, was rumored to be the reason why China is cracking down on the ed tech, and it's not. It has more to do with the declining birth rate more than anything, and it has nothing to do with trying to keep down startups at all. And it has, it's not about... As one person on surmised, who's probably never been to China, that you know they're trying to focus on semiconductors and stuff like that. Uh, those two things are unrelated. This is just a mis. Quick, quick, quick thing to throw out there with things a little bit of history here. So, 1979 essentially was when we normalized relations with China. You basically rejoined all the, the international bodies and stuff. It was also the same year they instituted the one-child policy. Um, Rockefeller and some other groups essentially were very much tied in with making sure that essentially that was one of the things we strongly pushed during that time frame. A few years prior, we actually Johnson administration conditioned food aid to, to famine struck in India, and we leaned our international partners to have similar policy, where we would not basically administer uh, food aid without essentially mass sterilization programs. This is something essentially that ostensibly has kind of, we've kind of stepped away from since then, but it was something that was very much at the very beginning of the relationship with China with the, hey, the, if we trade with them, the westernized type of thing. And so this is almost like, I don't know how much this is active policy. I think this is more just like one of the things that's just, you know, bookkeeping type kind of things. But when you're seeing a severance with the West, this looks like one more aspect of that. And I don't know, I don't know how much this affects things, but it's a little history thing that doesn't get covered very often. So the next one is from uh, Evan on a similar point. Uh, It says the global population will soon fall and this will change the world. Falling populations in Europe, America, and Asia will make Africa an economic superpower. And that's actually... A very uh, it's it's logical uh, because the first bit is true, and the second part could be true, and the source of this and thank you for this one, Evan. I'm just retweeting it out now, and it says demography is destiny is a phrase said to have been coined by the French philosopher August Comte. Uh, the Irish people, perhaps more than most, should appreciate the significance of this expression. After all, no European country, possibly no modern country, has experienced as traumatic a demographic pattern since 1840, with the island's population only just moving back towards the 8 million record in the early 1840s, Ireland's 200-year experience is a source of fascination for demographers. Yet our experience of falling population is about to be copied all over the world, albeit under very different circumstances. The planet is moving from a baby boom to a baby drought. This demographic fact is sometimes difficult to grasp, grasp because much of the talk, particularly and rightly around climate change, paints the picture of more and more people vying for the world's finite resources. We have become used to the idea of a rapid population growth, which has been the story for the past 200 years. In 1820, 
there were 1 billion people on the planet. 100 years later, it's 2 billion, rising to 4 billion by 18, 1975 and 6 billion by 2000. It's now 7 billion plus, but this is about to come to a halt. The baby drought has reached every continent except Africa, according to a wonderful book. Well, according to all any, anyone who studies demographies, actually. And the world's population will grow less than half as quickly as it did between 1960 and 1990. Countries such as China, Sweden, Canada, Brazil, and the U.S. are, are all failing to reproduce themselves, leading to gradually falling populations over time. By 2040, the same will be true for Southeast Asia, Latin America, and Central Asia. Right now, for every baby born in the U.S., there are 4.4 born in China, 6.5 in India, and 10 in Africa. By mid-century, the populations of even India and China will have peaked, while the population of Africa will continue to expand so much so that by 2090, 4 out of 10 people on the planet will be African. Typical economic factors such as income, life expectancy, and more career opportunities for women go uh, go some way to explaining demographic trends and another huge factor despite today's trends in porn, Tinder, and pickup culture is that in the West we are less, interest, less interested in sex. And the article's quite long, but um, the premise is essentially true, that Africa is really the only stable traditional demography with uh, more young people than old people. Uh, Mexico, Mexico as well. So Tyler, I, 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 yeah, so stable and that, that growth is good. All of that is part of the central problem of how we got to where we are. There was a researcher at Stanford 50 something years ago, like the original researcher who kind of basically de determined that it was population growth that was leading us down this path. So all I wanted to just offer into the room is that it's a good thing that we have a shift in a way that our the, the number of humans and the way we live uh, gets more in harmony with the natural. I feel compelled to just offer that it's a, it's actually a good thing that we we kind of have a a peak and that it's going to come down. Africa, it's, it's so hard to to judge what's going to happen at the end of the century. You know, <laughs> there's a market forecast, so. There are a bunch of dynamics involved. But I just wanted to offer that, Tyler. Thank yeah, you. Not sure. The race for EV parts leads to risky deep ocean mining is the headline from Yale University. The electric vehicle boom is driving a surge in demand for prized metals needed for batteries and other components. And some companies say solution is mining deep oceans, but scientists say could irreversibly damage the vast, largely pristine ecosystem. When they say largely pristine, they means they didn't have enough money to go research it first. And they're saying, no, the things we haven't studied yet, don't wreck that. The problem is when you kick up dirt and, and the deep, uh, it, it can go for many months, like circulating around. It's very different from if it's, you, you, like, you, know, you, you have a dust storm of, above ground with things. And in the atmosphere, it takes you know like maybe like a day or two to settle tops with things. Underwater, it can take many months in turbidity, which can destroy a lot of local stuff. So, yeah, unhappiness. And the thing is, there's there's a really beautiful e e ecology all at the bottom of, of the ocean that we do not, we've only started to begin to appreciate. And the way they're doing it is not essential to get at the nodules. They could pick them up much more gently with disturbing much less, but they'd rather just because it's, it's hard to work at the bottom of the ocean for them, they would rather just vacuum them up and you know, kick everything up everywhere, which is just an atrocity. 
it probably is possible to do underwater mining essentially that's very ecologically like friendly with things this just wasn't really a design parameter when they did a lot of this stuff so it's yeah go back to the drawing board type kind of thing so the next headline is um from Aisha, who joined us on stage, <clears throat> who's taking notes, <laughs> as she says, and you're going to be asked to prove your vaccination status. There, There's no be-all, end-all way to carry proof of vaccination on your phone. And uh, it's a, from the Washington Post that you're going to be asked to prove your vaccination status. Here's how to do it on your phone. You show them a video of when you got stabbed. <laughs> Just show the video. And... California has a program where you can just show a QR mm -hmm. code right now. And that's offered by the state. And that's offered by the state. And Faraz just found one from the Wall Street Journal. The headline reads, looking for love post-lockdown? Niche dating apps are the next best thing designed to pair up pet owners, runners, vegetarians, gamers, and even astrology zealots. Super specific dating apps are helping singers, singles connect post-lockdown. Only Capricorns. <laughs> Goddamn Virgos. So um, next up, we've got Evan with one from Bloomberg about New York City brain computer startup announces FDA trial before Elon Musk. And so they got the FDA trial to do brain computer interface to put a cable in, implanted into somebody's wet noodle, as we call it, uh, before Neuralink has. So they're doing an, a... Is that USB yeah, or Lightning, I think. <laughs> It runs JavaScript. That's the most horrifying it's a, part. It's a lightning spinal tap. So the next one is from Times of India, uh, from Faraz, Facebook's India revenue to top 1 billion. And that's why they say, you got a boss, when India says, send us all of your data. And the Evan just found one from the Wall Street Journal that says, work from anywhere. Perks give Silicon Valley a new edge in the talent war. Startups in smaller markets field pinch as coastal tech giants poach their employees, a national competition for every hire. And the next one. Everyone thought that the opposite of this would happen. I mean, we thought, you know, people would leave Silicon Valley, but what's happening is the tech giants are poaching people in, you know, Idaho who are good. And so it's a problem for a lot of local tech companies. Okay, I got a one that ties in directly with this. It's a very short one of things, but new study shows 38% of remote workers work from bed. Essentially, if you're reading this news that we're working from home, chances are pretty high you're staying lounging in bed. That's not an accusation. Yeah. It's a guilty as charged. <laughs> 1,500 remote workers surveyed and 38% said they work from bed. 45% remote workers admit to working regularly from the couch, 20% work outside, and 19% from a closet. Uh, guilty okay. as charged. Wait, wait, what did Evan say? I missed that. What did... I said, I said guilty as charged. I had a I had a Zoom okay. call with a client who literally she was in her closet. It was very sad, but funny. Yeah. Kids, kids That's running around or something. Yeah, I, I don't know. But you saw like all her dresses, and it was it was it was wild. Yeah. You know, we're we're going to have like this new like architectural features. Like, and here's essentially the place where you can basically spend the next eight oh, hours. Your, lock your lockdown just, you know, room, locked away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> your pandemic that, lockdown room, where you can thing. do your Zoom calls. That's a thing. They're called um, clothes or something like that. Mahogany had something. Was that? I went yeah. from the couch and often from the shower. So there you go. Waterproof laptop. Yeah, yeah. That, that is best. So the the converted the converted offices. Is is a thing. Uh, um, it's called like clothes or something like that. It's like <laughs> a new, like if you live in a city 
you don't even need to be a parent. It's more like I don't have space in my apartment, and so I'm converting okay. this. So it's a thing. It's a trend. Well, the yeah, the you point you make a great you know, point, Evan, though, on this headline about work from anywhere perks give Silicon Valley a new edge and talent, right? And they knew that. That and that was the trick. That was the rug pull that they did. Was it was like, oh, everybody can work from anywhere now. Yeah, it's all good. And they were like, they didn't think, oh, now the company's going to replace all of our overpaid California asses and hire people in Toledo, Ohio. You know, and even more, watch the next step when they go to Romania and Ukraine and, you know, um, Vietnam. And they start getting all the best talent from there at one tenth of the price of what Californians charge. To it. Yeah, and then and then uh, the U.S. elects Trump back in power to to because everyone's threatened. Oh, thanks, I don't thanks know for that, Kyle. I really needed <laughs> just, to yeah, just remind you, remind you what could happen there. No, but I mean it, it'll have a massive backlash. We already had a backlash on on the on the blue collar work, right? The white collar still work starts going there. The the, the coding at at even and this is beyond the the stuff that the Indians kind of took in you know in the early twenties or sorry two thousands. But this is now backlash, and the backlash is now from the middle class. No, but check it out. But so anyway, I didn't want to go there. It's We're amazing. having a casual chat. It's Sorry amazing because the the whole work from anywhere thing, and then the the team members. You know, this is the funny the headlines lately in the last week and two, last one and two weeks was that people don't want to go back to the office, and if they're working from home. Um, and the company decides, okay, everyone can work from home, then, yeah, they're going to start, if, if the company switches to work from home, they're just going to start hiring, and the, the, the salaries will get cut in half because now you've opened up yourself to compete with everybody globally, not just the people in that lived near your you know, Silicon Valley office. So I don't know that you want to work. If you are going to work from home, you're going to need to move because you're now competing with people who have a cost of living that's a quarter of yours. How's Thailand looking with stuff? Unfucking believable. We have the fastest wired internet on the planet. I get a thousand megabytes down per per a thousand megabytes per second down, thousand megabytes per second up for sixteen dollars a month. So is that is that fiber, yeah. Tyler, or are they doing like a fixed wireless? Fiber, yeah. Wow. What are they using? Wow. Crazy. Hey, Tyler, a lot of Silicon Valley firms are making that deal with their employees and people are taking it. If, you know, go, li- go live in the middle of Texas or Wyoming or wherever you want and just take a salary cut. And it gets okay far better it. than that, because as an American, if you live outside of the continental U.S. Uh, for 330 days out of the year, you instantly get a hundred thousand dollars tax credit. It, but a lot of these tech, tech workers make. Um, more than that. that's my point you because you you need to make more than that to Both to up. take advantage of it because if you need to make a hundred thousand dollars if and then that first hundred thousand dollars of your income is tax-free hey, and then after it with things you get the wonderful privilege of being an american internationally which means no matter where you work or live in the world you get to basically pay uncle sam to make sure that he can keep the world's freedom safe and a lot of the crypto interest in B2B payments is around paying distributed workforces around the world and, you know, doing salary settlements and transfers and stuff. So just, just to put a fine point that. on it, if the $100,000 tax credit, um, you, you're able to take off a hundred, your first $100,000 of your income. You can just take it right off, essentially. And 
that if you weren't doing that, as most people don't, um, you pay about a 35% federal tax rate. That's about $35,000 on that $100,000 of income. So you're essentially saving in real financial terms, $35,000 a year if you live outside of the continental US for 330 days a year. But, but Tyler, when I, I, I live in the UK, but I also had some, lo- uh, some local taxes, which meant I yeah, of course, you got to pay your foreign earned local tax. Sure, too, no. So. so what you find is a low tax. Correct. You find a low tax place and you don't pay the U.S. Right. tax, so you pay the lower of the two, right? The U.K. is obviously a higher high tax area, Evan, but Tyler, uh, you find, you consider, yeah. Tyler, have you considered going to travel advisory groups, you know, services? You know, these, you already got the sense of the place to go. You've already got the, 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 the conference. But the bigger point is the, expanding the, into travel services that $35,000 a year on that first $100,000 of income you're a, you're paying $35,000 a year if you decide to live in the US. That's $100 a day to wake up in America that you don't have to pay if you live outside of America. You could, and that 35,000 that I'm saving by living outside of America is the entire money I spend for the entire year. I'm essentially being paid to live outside of America. I have no other ex- that covers my entire expenses for the year. I'm going to go live in Tyler's resort. So it's it's like living for free if you live outside of America. All included, your your meals, but, your massages, but, but your you transportation, your internet, your, all of it, all of it, your rent, everything. But you might have to take a boat. To so work. why is anybody living inside of the U.S. if you can work remotely? And your companies are telling you go work remotely. What are you doing in Texas? But but you did say you have to earn that. It only is relevant to people who make more than a hundred thousand. That's correct. Yeah. But anyone working in tax making over a hundred thousand generally. So Tyler, doesn't that also mean if you make less than a hundred thousand, you aren't getting taxed at all? Your first hundred thousand is tax free. And Americans don't seem to know this yet. So, are you saying this is are you saying this is independent of any double taxation treaty between it's not your foreign 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 country and U.S. It's money you made in the in essentially in the U.S. Oh, you make some money investment in income whatever your domicile country is, country of residence, you'll you'll pay that money to that tax authority. Um, the U.S. also wants to know that foreign earned income that you made. And but if you paid it to the local government, it's and they have a tax treaty, which the U.S. has tax treaties with pretty much everywhere. Then you don't you're not going to get double taxed. You just show I, I made this money and I paid it in the local to the local tax authority, and it's sort of a wash, uh, um, you know, in in the vast majority of cases. I, I would you. It, yeah, it, it, I brought this up because you didn't give this explanation when Cal. Yeah, brought depends up this on the country. UK I, tax being might, in the yeah. You gotta this pick the right country. This doesn't you apply. Pick the right, so right. if you live in a high tax country, you're gonna pay more in the country. your new country's tax. Like if you move to Scandinavia, where Mahogany is, she's in Denmark. Well, that's about the highest taxes you'll you'll ever find. The exactly. 
you'll you're going to end up paying the the Danish tax exactly. authority more than you would the American tax authority. So when you show America how much you made and how much tax you paid, they're like, oh shit, you paid more than we would have charged you do for that income. So good, good, you're done. You don't owe Uncle Sam nothing. Yes. No, no, but that that presumes that this other country no, is other taxing you on, your, you on US your US income, income. not their local income, right? See, then the thousand that was made in the US. Well, um, Amy can uh, um, confirm this or deny it, but I think the Netherlands does, depending on the type of visa that you have. Um, they do want to dabble in your worldwide income, like how the U.S. does. Yeah, That's true of India, too. Mahogany. If you spend more than 180 days in India, India's calendar year is April 1st to March 31st. If you spend more than 180 days in India, even cumulatively, then you are liable for worldwide income tax in India. Oh, interesting. Mahogany, to your point, you're... Hello? Hello? Yeah. We can hear you. Oh, okay. It was. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, that's super weird. I hear two things. You're hearing an echo because my. That's Tyler. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Just actually, really quickly, Mahogany was correct because the Dutch have actually changed their um, post COVID, which is super fascinating. They've changed the benefit to Americans actually coming here. So there was, <clears throat> excuse me, because of the Dutch-American Friendship Treaty, it used to be 10 years where an American could come over here with their country, with their company, and they would have this 30% tax break, which is what was really super, super attractive for a lot of Americans to come here. And over the past five, oh, the past 10 years, they've actually, they've actually cut it from 10 to 8 to 5 and now the 30% ruling that is one that the Americans get coming into Holland is actually now down at five and they're actually trying to fight and take it away. But alongside of that, to Mahogany's point, oof, they are going after worldwide taxing here as well. Like, for example, if American is living here and they've got wealth in the U.S. or any other investments in other parts of the world, they are now going to be taxed here in Holland. So it's not it's not getting pretty for Americans to be living in Holland if they have a lot of wealth from the U.S. because now it's going to be taxed here. And that's where it's getting unattractive for Americans if they have it to stay um, basically keeping their U.S. passport. So in some number of the expat groups, there's a number of Americans that are actually also really seriously considering relinquishing their American passports and taking the Dutch passport because then it puts them just as a national paying taxes here. But it's super, super wild because the whole sentiment of Americans living here and having that sort of cush life of that 30% ruling and what was always available to them, it's dwindled down quite a lot. And now people are kind of like, similar to what Tyler, you're saying, they're kind of like, why do we need to stay here? Or why do we need to go back? Or do we need to go to another country where it might be more effable because we have kids or whatever their family situation may be, or their business situation may be? So it's a very interesting well, one. That's sometimes happened. it's worth paying the tax, like in Holland, Correct. I would be willing to pay the extra tax. Um, but Evan, that's exactly what's happening. There's a number of Americans that have been here like 20, 25 years and like, ah, fuck the passport. We're staying here. <laughs> you know, they're just like, yeah, they're, no, I get it. They're like, we're, we're like, we're done. We're keeping, we're like, the U.S. is crazy. Yeah. <clears throat> and even though the taxes in 
Denmark are ridiculous. I know some Americans for whom that story is also true. They're like, yeah, I pay a lot of taxes, but what I get for those taxes, I love and I love being here, et cetera. Exactly. So if you paying. have kids, it's actually a great deal to have, to have a family in Scandinavia in terms of all of the the benefits that you get. Same thing, same thing with Holland as well, if you're a mom, because the nice thing about like Holland is that they really, really do take care of the women like heavily, like it's such a well, I mean, families here, if like you get divorced or separated from a Dutch partner or whatever, and you're American and, but you're, you've had a child with a Dutch or you just like, they take care of the mom and the baby. Like it's like so protected here. And it's, it's something where like Tyler and Mahogany are both absolutely correct. And Evan, it's like once one progresses in their life and sees what it is that they value. I know a number of, we were, I was just talking to um, um, a British an Irish and a Brazilian today about this. And they, they, de they did say that despite all the sort of craziness, the Dutch have handled, they have sort of picked up, picked themselves up in how they've handled the pandemic and the vaccination. And I think actually now we're at like 60%. So they have sort of hustled to make it happen and the variant has shown up here, but it has not hurt. Uh, it, people have not gotten deathly sick. So it's a very interesting dynamic. So to proving that obviously the variant keeps on floating around, but the more that you have the, the vaccination and herd immunity in control in your country, then that does allow you to sort of still wear masks indoors, which I think is really respectful regardless. But people are now like super jumping on planes and traveling, but that's just the Dutch. So they love to do their travel. So a lot of them got vaccinated because they were like, ah, we'll get vaccinated because we want to travel. And that's it. They didn't make a big deal about it. They just did it and left. Okay, more headlines, shall we? The Evan found this one from The Guardian called The Galileo Project. Scientists to search for signs of extraterrestrial technology. Team will search for evidence of... Um, team will search for evidence of extraterrestrial... There we go. Like what? Wasn't that what SETI was doing before yeah. it was sort of shut down or taken over? And then yeah. I think the newest sexy thing they're doing is they're looking for exoplanets and trying to look for them like blinking around the sun or whatever and saying, hey, look, they must be an alien megastructure. Estonian Central Bank talks up digital euro experiment results. A blockchain based digital euro could, in theory, support most almost unlimited. Uh, numbers of payments being processed at the same time with a very large uh, volume and Estonian Central Bank seems very bullish on the digital uh, euro. George Washington. Mm. It's a Christmas miracle. Tyler, Tyler, That's there was something that was interesting that happened. Speaking of Estonia, Tyler, super wild because you're going to love this. You really are. I know I actually saw it and thought of you, Professor X. I, I am a digi resident in, in Estonia, which I've had for three years now, that e-digi resident that they have if you're like a digital entrepreneur. And I get an email <laughs> in Estonian from the police department. And what do you think it said to me? Because you could just... Something about your out. Bitcoin trading. Nope. My they want data. your data. No, my, our, the data oh. got hacked. The e-residency permit data. Those, yes, of all yeah. those digi, 
Yes, sir. Exactly. And Ooh, my mine was mm. mine was in there. But they also said that they caught the person and that the information was not compromised. I mean, it came from the police department. So it was very interesting because it was super, super professional and super, super like German-esque because it was very, very sharp, very, very organized and very, very pragmatic, but very controlled and managed. So in some ways it gave me the confidence yep. that they took care of it effectively. So... But yeah, it's an interesting thing. Was that Chris that was like kind of giving no, a little the, chime in there about? Yeah, it's just, the, just that part of the world, Finland, Estonia. They don't. There's no nonsense in their conversations. Yeah. Um, central banks though. are yeah, considering true. digital currencies. This is from uh, Forbes, thanks to Froz. And uh, there's a chance the government uses it to dictate your spending habits, according to Forbes. Oh boy. And Evan found this one. Uh, from Switzerland that the Hyperloop prototype track unveiled in Switzerland. The Swiss Federal Institute of Technology at Lausanne, uh, called EPFL, has built Europe's first operational model Hyperloop to test uh, the new generation of uh, transport. Tunnel tunneling yeah, plus Hyperloop. Through the mountain, going through those mountains, for sure. I think, yeah, they, they're the type that would do it, too. Although, I have to tell you, if you ever find yourself in Switzerland and the flights in and out of Switzerland are on Swissair are quite expensive. But if you take the train to Milan and go through the Swiss Alps, oh, man, I, I can't recommend that enough. Holy cow, that was fantastic. During the day, of course. I love it. If you go from I, my specific route was from Geneva to Milan through the Swiss Alps. Um, on a train where they have kind of glass, glass-ish ceilings. Got it. Did you, did you know that? Did I mention no. that they bought back the overnight train from Amsterdam to Austria? Uh, all yeah, of Europe's back bringing back overnight trains because they're so trying to get people to stop taking flights. From... I'm sure the airlines love that, but yeah, yeah. it's super cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mahogany found this one from the New York Times. Really fascinating. That. The headline says, the founding fathers were surprisingly pessimistic. The generals, politicians, and dreamers who made America didn't always like what they'd written or wrought, as it says. And George Washington feared for America and other truths about the founders. We've frozen in time from the New York Times. And then Faraz found one um, about esports in Thailand and Evan just found this one about a father builds an exoskeleton to help his wheelchair-bound son walk, 16-year-old son. <clears throat> and you have to see it to understand it, but it looks fantastic. Mahogany found this one from Vox. Here's how police can get your data, even if you aren't suspected of a crime. And you may never know that they did. Well, just like um, the Department of Justice did uh, on... Um, some journalists, and just like they did on Adam Schiff, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee who was investigating Donald Trump, and they went and got his records from Apple and Microsoft, and they were gagged from being able to say that they had were forced to give it up until just recently. But if you ask any intelligence agency person at all, they say, we report to the Congress with things. If you don't like it, you can elect different representatives that we report to with things. So this is kind of interesting counterpoint to that one. Yeah. Anyway, but that's how they get your data. They just, they can 
go to the tech companies and say, hand it over. And by the way, you can't tell them that we've asked for it. And you may never know they did. We don't read privacy policies and they access our data from third parties. Well, they can also get it from the, the directly from the sources. The Amazon delivery companies routinely tell drivers to bypass safety inspections. This being reported from CNBC, Amazon urges drivers not to operate any unsafe vehicles, but drivers say managers encourage them to ignore safety hazards during daily deliveries. Good times. Next one from Mahogany through NPR. And the headline says, say hello to the Tokyo Olympics robots. The field supports robot. The field support robot will be fetching all sorts of objects during the weekend's track and field events. It's one of several robots designed um, uh, to make the games more user-friendly and efficient. And you can see them in the uh, photo and the, the tweet. I just tweeted to the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. <clears throat> and then Evan found this one on BBC. US, a U.S. company has turned a former coal plant into a gas-fired Bitcoin mine. And Market Watch uh, says that Nikola electric truck prototypes were powered by hidden wall sockets, towed into position and rolled down hills. Prosecutors say, holy cow, what a freaking scam. See, it's fine as doing tech demos. The problem is though, that when you raise all that money and you tell the investors that it's essentially, oh, yeah, this thing's totally. Wow. Legit. Holy cow. Or, uh, Reuters uh, says organizers seek to prevent heat stroke with AI gadget. The Tokyo Olympics is battling through a pandemic with the Japanese capital in a state of emergency amid record spike in cases. And organizers seek to prevent heat stroke with an AI gadget. I don't quite understand how those two headlines connect. Hey, it's hot outside. Look, yeah. we used AI to the tell you this. The Tesla Megapack unit catches fire in Australia during testing. A fire broke out in a Tesla Megapack battery unit in Australia on Friday during testing one of the world's biggest energy storage projects. I'm telling you, they had the firefighters. Tesla needs a branded firefighter. And division. South China Morning Post from Mahogany that smartphone glass supplier Bill Crystal revives Hong Kong IPO plans. The timing appears to be more fortuitous as Hong Kong's first half bank deposits ballooned by 11.5%. And um, from New York Times, citing new data, Pfizer outlines case for booster shots. Uh, Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine may be slightly weaker over time, the company reported, but experts said that the most people won't, um, won't need boosters anytime soon. And also the New York from the New York Times pandemic aid programs spur a record drop in poverty as uh, the most comprehensive study yet of the federal response to the pandemic shows huge but temporary benefits for the poor and helps frame a larger debate over the role of government. And um, Lormi just found a uh, YouTube video looks like a podcast about uh, AI chat with GPT-3, what it's like to be a computer, an interview with a computer, <laughs> where it tells you what it's like to be a computer using GPT-3. And Mahogany found one from space.com titled, Who's Going to Fix the Space Junk Problem? There are over 20,000 known and tracked pieces of space debris orbiting Earth, each one traveling at about 15,000 miles per hour pose a risk to future space missions. 
And Mahogany also found one from Mashable titled Stop Messing with Bears in National Parks. Go ahead. Yeah. Real quick. Real quick on the last sideline on the st- on things, there's an amazing website. It's a lot of fun called stuffin.space. Stuffin.space. And it is really fun to play with in the browser. And you can see every single satellite flying around the planet. You can see the Starlink constellations. They look very different from the others and the one web stuff and the military okay. stuff. It's Next really one fun up. Um, who, yeah. Uh, stop messing with bears in national parks. People repeatedly approach big animals. The likes of elephant seals and Alaskan brown bears. The National Park Service charged a woman for disturbing wildlife after she approached and agitated a grizzly mom. You know, selfies and all. Viral, viral TikTok videos, perhaps. And the next one is from CNET. It's time to put the headphone jack behind us. With a huge advances in wireless audio, is the humble 3.5 millimeter headphone jack as crucial as it once was? Nope. And it looks like Apple's debating even removing the lightning port on, on the next iPhone. But the models were just revealed in the past 48 hours, and they do include the lightning port on the iPhone 13. I think they still mm-hmm. need a physical to be and able to flash. From CNET, Elon Musk weighs in on the Epic Games versus Apple suit by tweeting out that uh, Epic is right and that the App Store fees are a de facto global tax on the internet, as he tweeted. And work from reclining. 38% of remote workers do so from bed. A true home office is still a luxury, and most remote workers don't have one. And they're working from their beds 38 percent the horizontal workforce as Heyman says and disinformation for hire pr firms are the new battleground for facebook and uh, facebook's head of security policy has testified before an australian parliamentary inquiry that his company has witnessed an increase in uh, disinformation and from the daily mail uh, observations of universe's lost material reveal it's in hot gas. A team of scientists led by the University of Geneva detected missing matter through their X-ray signature in a massive cluster of galaxies. And you got to see this photo to believe it. And when you see this photo, you will say to yourself, that looks like the uh, the bit of mouse brain that was just mapped out. But in fact, it's a photo of the universe which makes us wonder if the universe is itself not a brain. And I challenge you to look at the photo of this universe and say that that's not nearly identical to how the brain is connected. And feds are seizing cryptocurrencies from criminals, according to Vox. And now they have to figure out what to do with it. The U.S. government has hired a cryptocurrency company to store all the bitcoins it's seizing. And from Mahogany, from via CNET, hospitalized pediatric patients run the bases at Dodger Stadium. With tablets in hand, 10 patients at UCLA's Mattel Children's Hospital moved the wheeled robots around the diamond and even chatted with LA Dodger players face-to-face as they moved the robots around first base, second base, and third base and back to home. And, uh, the oh, this is your article about the Clophis, it's called. According to Yahoo News from Mahogany, uh, people converting their closets into offices. And the, the lady in the photo did a damn fine job, I must say. And in Japan, 
in in voice acting, you can do a similar you know thing. What? Let me go backwards. I, I would like to work out of my walk-in closet. Those things are spacious and quiet. and Yeah, can be. In Japan, the lucky few could watch the Olympics in ultra-high 8K resolution with 22.2 surround sound and subsequently resulted in the first pirated 8K rip appearing on pirated sites. Because they're not watching it in Which person. Which is a major milestone in and of itself. Fantastic. From Torrent Freak. 8K... 8K rip of the uh, 22 Tokyo games. Washington Post says Facebook users are more anti-vax than Fox News viewers. New data shows. And from uh, Hacker News, phony call centers tricking users into installing ransomware and data stealers. Fantastic. And simple mouthwash test for COVID just as accurate as nasal swabs. Well, that would be lovely. And just tweeting that one out. And here's a new one from South China Morning Post that Britain warns coronavirus monitor devices work less well for darker skinned people. The warning concerned pulse oximeters and currently being used by many of those at risk of severe COVID-19 systems to check their blood oxygen levels. This is absolutely true, and and the there's an underlying this is honest. There's an underlying article around this from the New England Journal of Medicine that looks specifically and compared. Um, and this is sort of an older study, but th- there's been more work since then, where they compared people of color, specifically of darker tones and uh, darker skin individuals, and uh, their white counterparts, and they specifically saw that you know those pulse socks that you put in your finger they would be about two to three points off, which doesn't seem like much. But when you're making a decision between starting somebody on oxygen or more importantly, starting them on steroids because they're at 93 instead of 96 or at 91 instead of 94, uh, you know, it makes a huge difference. And uh, it's it's become this huge issue where we were over steroid. You know, we, we were per- perhaps prescribing more steroids for people of color in this country. And there are a lot of people looking back, I know, uh, we've talked about this in other rooms, but a lot of people are looking back and saying perhaps some of the issues that uh, people of color were having in this country, in the U.S. by this country, I mean, sorry, those uh, may have been attributed to uh, some of the same issues we had uh, in India around okay. st- overuse of steroids. Um, Anna Marie, who just had to jump out because she's helping her partner move a whole bunch of vintage arcade games, just sent in a video from the vintage arcade, which is chocked full to the brim of vintage arcade games and uh, Donkey Kong Jr. and Rampage. And um, they think they have one of everything over there. Yeah, you can see it there. The And then Mahogany um, sent in the BBC article about the tidal turbine uh, that we talked about a bit ago. And it says, most powerful tidal turbine starts generating electricity off Orkney. The orbital... O2, which is anchored off Orkney, has the capacity to meet the annual power demands of 2,000 homes. And Evan just found an interesting one from the New York Times titled, A Plant That Cannot Die Reveals Its Genetic Secrets. That sounds so dark. I can see it. This is like the beginning of some sort of like X-Files thing. Yeah, uh, it's uh, like, no, bring the flamethrower. Cue the music. Audio, uh, uh, 
It's coming. The, the plant that cannot die. It will emerge from the deep in the time are of we, COVID. Are we talking like a birthday candle that won't go out kind of die? Or are we talking like it looks a candle? Like candle? It's a no, mortal it like spore. It says, events in the genome. Events. I bet I could kill it. Events in the genome. No, I mean, that's what we're saying. It's like, can you smash it? To survive in an unforgiving <laughs> desert for thousands of years. Yeah, it is a cactus. Including the neglect of a typical um, gardener. Yeah, give it to a frat house. Let's see what they can do with it. It'll be dead in a week. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> from... It'll be dead in a week. It can defend itself. Half though, of the U.S. patients have like not vaccinated their youngest child against COVID, and only 49% reported planning to vaccinate their youngest child when a COVID-19 vaccine is approved for children. While 26% of parents say they were unsure and 25% said they will not. So uh, interesting new data about the vaccining of kids. Um, And the next one is from JT about VR, virtual reality to be incorporated into the U.S. Air Force's sexual assault prevention and response training. U.S. Air Force will use VR in their training to better equip trainees with necessary skills to address sexual assault. And from The Guardian, out of control and rising, why Bitcoin has Nigeria's government in a panic as leaders around the world grapple with cryptocurrencies. What happened when the African country tried to ban them? And the leading cause of death in the U.S. for 2020 is... Ooh, this gives us a fantastic opportunity to play our favorite game, Tech News Jeopardy. Number of deaths for leading causes of death uh, in the U.S. from um, for 2020. Total deaths in 2020 is 3,358,814. What was the leading cause of death in 2020 in the U.S.? Heart disease. Heart disease. Heart disease. Heart disease. McDonald's. <laughs> Overdose. <laughs> diabetes. Diabetes. Okay, flash your mics if you think it's diabetes. You're out. Flash your mics if you think it's Alzheimer's. Flash your mics if you think it's stroke. Flash your mics if you think it's COVID-19. You're out, JT. You're out, Asha. Flash your mics if you think it's heart disease. Flash your mics if you think it's cancer. You're out again, Evan. You're already out once before. (laughs) (laughs) So the heart disease folks uh, have it, tied for first. It is McDonald's. It's heart disease. Burgers. With 690,000 for heart disease, 598,000 for cancer, 345,000 for COVID, and uh, 192 for unintentional in, 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 injuries. Uh, the COVID number is still unknown because the hospitals were affected. Cancer care was affected. Yep. So this indirect, um, well, in any case, there's there's kind of, a, I think, a relation that some of the math is going to continue to evolve, Scient- possibly. 
I think we would have seen um, auto injuries go down this year too, but I'm not sure. Scientists um, eradicate malaria transmitting mosquitoes using genetic engineering, which make females infertile in a new study, which takes one step closer to wiping out the disease worldwide, according to the Daily Mail. That gene engineering delivery vector stuff is highly controversial with the gene drive, essentially because it's basically targeting an inheritable trait. This has huge ramifications for essentially making changes not just to one species, but essentially spreading across like every species. Well, that, that's one way to Got fix some crazy, climate crazy stuff in the future. Um, yeah, fundamental VR unveils virtual reality surgery training platform, as discussed. Thank you, Mahogany. We're slurring away. And they've unveiled more details for its VR surgery training platform, which uses advanced technologies such as haptic feedback with VR. Oh my God, this is what we were talking about. Good find, Mahogany. And then Porsche enters the space race. Luxury car manufacturer invests $75 million in a German rocket startup looking to take on Blue Origin, SpaceX, and Virgin Galactic. And penis snakes from South America have taken up residence in Florida. And logical. <laughs> They're gonna pick one place. Oh man! And don't just—I I hesitate to retweet this one. And be careful not. Yeah, I just thought I was a little Thank slow you, on that one. I appreciate you uh, for don't this one. Got be careful uh, viewing that tweet uh, with with anyone around. The Google will ban Sugar Daddy apps from September first as part of a new. Not at all. Just not related to the penis snake story. <laughs> Trousers. <laughs> uh, and then Evan found one from the Daily Mail that people over 100 may be protected by unique gut bacteria. And is this the secret to longer life? Centaurians have unique gut bugs that stop the growth of more dangerous bacteria that causes disease. It could be. Their grandma's poop has a sleep acre to everlasting life. Well, there might be something to it with the whole heirloom tomatoes and, you know, they all ate and the real the stuff. the Amazon right? Echo Dot for kids is now available to buy on Amazon. So all of your kids' juicy data. <laughs> oh, God, no. They want your Nuke kids' with data. Fire from, the, from Orbit. <laughs> Uh, from Scientific American, uh, U.S. school buses reduce pollution, but new infrastructure deals slashed funding. Advocates worry that reduced funds will go, will not go to the communities most in need. And uh, from the Daily Mail, from Evan, did sex with modern humans kill off the Neanderthals? The answer is yes to that. Interbreeding could have led. <laughs> that was some desperate humans. Yeah, interbreeding could have led to a blood disorder in their babies that helped to drive them to extinction. And, oh, my, you have to see the photo that they chose for that tweet. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) The Neanderthal. Like, what is she looking at? He looks kind of handsome. Like a sexy Neanderthal or what's going on? It's the one that that gets this photo. Um, okay. Neptune Energy taps TSC to drive, to drive cloud native data and analytics goals. And thank you for that, Anita. And scientists still don't know why swimming is better than other aerobic 
exercise for your brain, it's no secret that aerobic exercise can stave off some of the ravages of aging, but a growing body of research suggests that swimming might provide a unique boost to brain health. And it's partly because of those exercises you do in yoga where you're kind of like swimming on your knees, you know, with your arms swinging all over in the coordinating the whole body movement. I think there's obviously something there with your mental health that stimulates more of your brain. Um, opinion from the global, the climate refugees are coming. What? What? Heyman, what's this all about? Climate refugees? What are you talking about? Water shortages? Come on now. For generations, our approach to asylum has centered on war and political persecution, not natural disaster. Unless we change that soon, mass migrations to the developed world will end in violence. Well, there you have it. I, I have in my bio a link to a basically half a dozen solutions for water solutions, climate change things. They're really in-depth and very fun with stuff. If I, if I contact me, I'll DM you as well with things. It, it, this is solvable, and it's lots of fun to learn about. Um... Then the next one from Mahogany from The Verge. Thanks to the Rickroll, never going to give you up. Hits 1 billion YouTube plays. The internet prank with true staying power. And um, let's refresh. Here we go. Here we go. Let it, let it go. And we're out of tweets, everybody. We did it. Congratulations. For the third time in tech news around the world history, we ran out of tweets. Well done, everybody. So that takes us to the end of uh, the internet. We actually, re we've, the internet is over. We found the bottom of the internet well. <laughs> and the internet oh glacier has melted. So we will have to wait for it to refreeze. And uh, we will be back Monday at the latest. No, no. Tomorrow there's that's no right. around that's the world. That's true. Thank you, Cheryl. Click that's on right. the title of this room to see the Tech News Club. Do join the club and make note of the upcoming room tomorrow, which is we have a Bitcoin beginner and Tech News Around the World DeFi, and there will be a Health News uh, one tomorrow as well. So we will see you there. Have a fantastic weekend, everybody. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you everybody. Thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.